0: The devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil.
1: Welcome to the Anything Goes Podcast, the best geek and pop culture show broadcasting from Long Island, New York. I'm host Timothy Rooney, and we're back. I know it's been a while since our last episode, our last episode being the Halloween 2018 movie review. And who says Halloween has to end in October? As a person who's a horror fan and a fan of that uh, holiday m- myself, I would say Halloween goes 365. Kind of like if I could live in Halloween Town from Nightmare Before Christmas, I would. And I think I, it would get old quick.
0: Hi, Doesn't seem like
1: there's
2: much to do. It's so the same shit every day. So
1: you say you're okay with Jack like having that kind of existential crisis and wanting to expand out uh, to um culture appropriating Christmas.
2: Yeah, because fucking it gets boring doing the same shit every day.
1: That's that is true. But as you can tell, I'm talking with Mister Mike Wilson.
2: Gobble gobble, folks! Happy yeah,
1: Turkey Day! Yes, we're recording this on later on Thanksgiving uh, evening, 2018. 2018. So you have a you have a carbon date of when this was actually recorded, and we're talking about the, uh, our. This is kind of I would say uh, Mike's. Um, uh, Mike's uh, extras, pretty much this because is ha- been...
2: this is Halloween tricks and treats. Yes, um, as everyone knows, we have completed all eleven movies in the entire Halloween series. But Halloween is not constrained and bound just by the big screen. There have been many adaptations, you know, licensed media, all kinds of stuff to, that has come out featuring the Halloween series. Mm-hmm. M- much of it official, some of it unofficial, right? But still famous or infamous or even unknown, nonetheless. I have tirelessly put together this a very comprehensive list of all things, books, comic books, video games, and the like. I've spent probably close to two hundred dollars already on compiling all this. So I'm really hoping that you know whether it be now or in the future, this catches on. This I don't care if this is something that catches on later. Mm. You know, I just hope. All you guys really like it. I hope I don't forget anything. No,
1: I'm sure everything you've done thus far, I think is going to be well. It's going to be well appreciated as we jump into our trick and tricks or treats, our Halloween extras episode right now. Okay, now before we actually get into the breakdowns of everything you have, starting with books, um, why why this why why did you want to do this specifically? Why did you want to cover these kind of items specifically?
2: Well, I mean, truthfully, we, we've referenced them a couple times in some of these, talking about little plot elements that would show up later in comics. Um, what's awesome about the comics too is that they are a creative way of filling in many of the you know gaps and mysteries because as We've documented the production of these movies hasn't always gone very well. There's been cliffhangers. There's been plots that just stop dead in their tracks and then are rebooted next time. And there has been a great creative effort for for years now to try and make sense out of a lot of this. I think it's very commendable. Mm -hmm. The fact that these things are officially licensed – and given permission by you know the the owners of Halloween to do, I think it's worth spotlighting these and respecting it. And since we've been doing a comprehensive journey into the Halloween series, why the hell not? You know, right? I, why not? Why not go all the way?
1: Yeah, and I know people who have enjoyed the show this far have um, really the one things they've definitely zeroed in on there is our attention to detail, which I know. We probably have made mistakes along the way because we are
2: human. But I'd actually like to redact something. I didn't get a chance to check, but I think that we said that the la- the new movie was filmed in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was actually Charleston, South Carolina. Right. If we didn't fuck that up, cool. Right. <laughs> we're not as big hack frauds as we thought we were. But if we <laughs> did fuck that up. Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. So for any of you who've been look who may have been driving around looking for all these places and saying those motherfuckers, they sent me to the wrong address. Mm. You know. We apologize. we apologize if we cost you any gas or ruined any vacations. Right,
1: but what are we? What are we starting off with? Books, right? Well, first and foremost. Oh,
2: right. I would like to give you all a bit of an update on where the newest movie is. Um, it's only been a month and three days since this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, it's worldwide gross, as my tablet times out, mm-hmm. is two hundred and fifty-one million one hundred and forty-five thousand two hundred ninety-five dollars. Right. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, it opened at number one. It's, uh, what was its opening weekend gross? Opening weekend gross was $76,221,545. That is more than several of the worldwide grosses of some of the Halloween sequels combined. Yeah. So Needless to say, this was a big hit. This was a huge hit. It spent its first two weeks at number one. It may have stayed in the top five a lot longer, but a couple of strong releases came out, most uh, notably uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, the, the Queen movie. Right. Uh, I believe there was the Grinch movie. Did that come out recently? Yes. The, the new girl with the dragon. Yeah. ass movie, whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, girl the, 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 size, the girl with the spider's web. That came out, and I mean, even if it still lasted, it, it, it got knocked out of the top five. I believe it was number six or seven for the, its third week. got knocked down to number nine for its fourth week. Meanwhile... Movies like Venom and A Star is Born continue to stay. A Star is Born is still in the top 10.
1: Yeah, and it's and, is pretty impressive. And Venom is now about to reach $800 million worldwide. Yeah. A movie that nobody really had liked. <laughs> well, liked or will admit they liked. Admit they liked, or I know people who. Uh, I know listeners of the show, like some of them, uh, at least one person, like he did not really like it. And he's a very optimistic Marvel person. But this was Venom's success was a surprise to many people. I bet even to
2: Sony's uh, expectations. Oh, yeah. And actually, this new Halloween movie is, has the number two all-time top opening weekend in the month of October right behind Venom. And it is only the number third top opening weekend in the, f- in the entire months of the fall behind Venom and It. Oh, and as it stands right now, it is the number ten highest-grossing opening weekend for an R-rated movie.
1: And what other? Did you have a list of what other movies are in that top ten?
2: Number 10? one and two are actually Deadpool and Deadpool Two. That number makes three, sense. Number three, it. Number four, Matrix Reloaded. Five, American Sniper. Six, Logan. 7, The Hangover Part 2, Eight, Fifty Shades of Grey, and 9, my very first date I ever took a girl on, The Passion of the Christ.
1: You took your very first date to see The Passion of the Christ? She wanted to go.
2: She had been having like a like a religious crisis slash awakening at the time. You know, this was in college. She was questioning a lot of things, you know, faith and stuff, getting into Buddhism, but was raised a Christian and wanted to go see this. And I decided, you know what? Let me take you out. We had just, you know, started hanging out quite a bit, and this was our first date. it. Nailed it. <laughs> It, was it a good Friday for you? Well, no, because a couple weeks later she like she dumped me via live journal. Oh, I found out via live journal she wasn't interested in hanging out with me anymore. Oh, we did go see Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind together. That was our last date. That's kind of fitting how that movie is. That that the, the story of that is kind of fitting. Anyway. I just hope to God if I have my memories erased, I don't end up back with her because <laughs> <laughs> that was bad. But yes, um, huge fucking. Applause and kudos to the folks over at Blumhouse. Everyone involved with now Halloween. they have
1: the right sense not to do a sequel. I think we'd be all happy. Yeah, that
2: ain't fucking happened. I know. A- nothing is af- as of the time of this recording. Nothing is official, but everyone's saying it. Everyone's saying they're interested. Everyone wants to do it,
1: but it's not even that. It's just now it seems there have been many articles published saying our slashers and again question mark, and now the fact that we have the league of court battle between Sean Cunningham and Victor Miller for the Friday the thirteenth franchise is kind of settled and that and like that Sean tra- Cunningham's appealing it. Yeah. But and then so there may be a new Friday the thirteenth along the way. There is a new child's play on the way, even though it does not have Chucky and it's a buddy doll, not a well, good funny, guy doll. It's funny
2: there's that but there's also now going to be apparently a Chucky T V series but continuing the original movies. I don't it's know It's like Queens Rock all over know. again. It, it's like like it's just, It's like it's like having a Joker that's in continuity with your current Cinematic Universe, and then having a standalone Joker that isn't.
1: Well, I, you know what? I think a lot more people are looking forward to The Walkie Movies make me want to die. <laughs> the Walkie Piece Joker is so interesting. I've, I've heard nothing but bio-like comments towards the, the new Child's Play movie.
2: Whatever. I'm not going to go see any of no. This is the first movie I've gone to the theater. If we're talking new release movies, this is the first one I've gone to see since Justice League. I only would see Justice League because it has Batman in it. Right. That was last year. Batman and Michael Myers. That's the only things that could get me to get into my fucking car, go into the theater. You didn't and see
1: La- uh, Last Jedi in theaters? That I, was, I thought you I thought you in your mouth.
2: Yes, I did go see. That was? That was December. That was only a year ago? That was be December next month. Holy fuck. It feels, I mean, it'll, be, it'll be a year next month. It feels me. like this. All right, so the last Jedi. All right, so so main mainline Star Wars movies, Batman and Michael Myers are the only things that could get me to get in my car and go to the movie theater for a new release movie and sit amongst... Fucking annoying people. As they say, like. Smell and. Make noise! I was gonna say,
1: like, what what descript- descriptive word we gonna use there to um, define the uh, general population that you you have such disdain for? Well, I usually basis? I
2: usually use the word douchebags, but I gotta be a little bit more descriptive for that. No, uh, but we go to see retro picture show and their amazing productions yeah. that they put on. And did you pretty regularly? Did you see
1: what their Alamo? They dropped what they're doing for Alamo Draft House in oh. January. I did not. It's a King triple feature. It is Cats Eye, uh, Cujo, and Pet Cemetery. Cool. That's in Yonkers.
2: I don't know about that one. We've seen Pet Sematary by them, via them. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So but regardless, anyway. Um, let's dive right into this. There's a lot of material to cover. We're going we're to try and not take almost four hours of your life away. Yes. I don't have a problem doing that because some of the best podcasts I listen to are long. Yeah. And they're great for a work day. But mm. you know what? Let's dive right into it. Yeah. Um, the first thing we're going to go into is the most basic adaptations that have been around forever, movie novelizations.
1: Yeah, they're so basic, they come with Uggs and Starbucks and everything.
2: Like, that's how basic they come with. Whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but five out of our 11 movies have been given their own novelizations. Right. Each, the thing to remember with each of them, though, is that they are adapted directly from the scripts and screenplays with no continuity between... Excuse me, the books themselves.
1: Right, and they, and they have no context of what things going on, changing during every day on set. They're going by the first, or what they believe the shooting script would be for this story.
2: I would say for the most part, they go by things pretty, pretty solid with these. Because, I mean, as we know, the Halloween movies, at least the, the five that we covered, we have the original Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Halloween 4. And we had a very long 30-year th- uh, break because the newest one just got... Uh, novelization right and I can say that the newest one is based off of the revised ending the one that we the theatrical one that we got yeah so which, which
1: we didn't have we have not talked about the original ending because it finally came out like it's become kind of public knowledge now what the original ending was was that they got with such had many detractors for it
2: I have we haven't seen it we haven't seen any of the deleted scenes and whatnot but I mean as we get to it but as I was saying these are adapted directly from their individual movie screenplays as movie novelizations do, sometimes they'll add the, the authors will add their own little details in. Um, in a situation like the the first book, the original Halloween, you know, there wasn't this established mythos continuity like there is now. It wasn't a franchise; it was just a movie. So right. the author did eventually, inevitably, take a little more liberties with the story, delve into things a little deeper, maybe maybe take away some of the mystique. You will decide for yourself. But the later books have nothing to do with that Mm. because they are of their own movie's screenplay. Gotcha. The the author of Halloween 2 didn't say, let me check the Halloween 1 book and continue what that guy wrote. Right. They did their own thing. Sometimes there's little changes here and there. So that's the big thing to remember. Um, All of these books, with the exception of the newest one, are, I would say, pretty rare. If you want to get one... In a beat to hell condition, it'll cost you anywhere from like thirty to fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, the most I paid was about fifty, I believe. Right. For, I know Halloween one, that one's gone up in price like crazy. It's in the two hundreds. But that one I got, fortunately, for about fifty, like seven, eight years ago. Right. Um, Halloween two, I got for fifty. Three, I got for thirty. That's the cheapest. Nobody wants three, apparently.
1: No, and it's so funny. Like I, I was talking to a friend of mine at the bar last night, and. Halloween 3 is his favorite. He's even got, like, the three masks tattooed on his arm and everything. So we had a really long and detailed conversation on the appreciation of three, especially the score. So at least 3's fandom is going up a little bit, even if it's not being reflected in the novelization's uh, sales.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the, the newest one actually went on sale right when it released. So I saved, I think, like, three extra dollars on it, <laughs> which uh, I, I'm cool with that. You of know, course. There's no, there's no big uh, – I'll take a couple extra money. It's funny, too, because I just recently uh, changed a bit of my cell phone plan, and I canceled my phone insurance. I guess they must have charged me one extra month because I have a check for $7 upstairs to cash. (laughs) So, you know, I I better not spend it all in one place. Yeah, I think you
1: should put it towards scratch-offs just to see if, like,
2: maybe your luck will change like that. Um, starting with the very first novel, which, according to Amazon, right now they have seven used and new, starting at two hundred ninety-three dollars. Jeez, Louise! <laughs> oh, it's it's not going to get any better. Trust me, man. No, this one was released in nineteen seventy-nine. It was written by Curtis Richards and is published by Bantam Books. Who's yes, made books all over. This one, I would say, is the is the biggest. And most famous out of all the novelizations. Um, We're not going to go into plot synopsis, obviously, because we've covered these movies. Yes. What we will just focus on is where the books differ and expand. Right. The biggest expansion is we're given a prologue chapter. It was telling a story from a Druid culture in Northern Ireland many centuries ago. On the eve of Festival of Samhain, a teen boy named Enda, who was disfigured from birth, I guess he suffered some birth injury or whatever, um, He's lamenting over his unrequited love, the princess, Princess Deirdre. This is kind of a hunchback in Notre Dame thing, I guess, mm-hmm. you know. He's mocked by his family for his appearance. He's pretty much, you know, like the, the, the town outcast who, who works on a farm. His family fucking thinks he's just a piece of shit. She's, she is betrothed to, to marry a young man named Colleen. He approaches her to confess his love to her because he's just – he's burning. He's burning for you. What? Blue Oyster Cult appeared in the first half. Uh, yes, I Their
1: know. I, I'm just saying, I, I just felt a little bit, I, I felt that second for a, an eternity right there. Just in, in so much torment and pain. Come
2: in the valley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he goes I'm to burning. confess his love while she's collecting water by the river, but the sight of him, what? <laughs> collecting water down by the river. I'm sorry. Just... No, that's where he lives. <laughs> he lives in a carriage down by the river.
1: So he goes to confess his love to her.
2: My name is Enda. I'm 15 years old. I'm not divorced because I've never been with a woman, and I live in a carriage down by the river. Oh, I mean, w- with 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 Shakespearean poetry like that, how could you not fall in love with him? Yeah, why not? The minute she sees him, though, she's revolted by her appearance and believe, like terrified. She thinks that he's a monster. believes him believes just the fact of him saying hello. She thinks she's he's going to rape her and runs away. Mm-hmm. The rejection just absolutely corrupts his soul and any just love he felt or whatever in his heart is is now gone. After, you know, an, an entire lifetime of being treated like just disgusting filth, he just has this horrible rage fill within him. And, and he he basically on the inside becomes as ugly as he is on the outside. Just wishing for the revenge. So finally at the festival of Samhain, while everyone's, you know, dancing and celebrating around a fire and seething with hate. He murders Deidre and Kalain, just takes a butcher's knife that he used on animals, goes up there, and they very descriptively talk about slashing of windpipes and stabbing. Uh, he wasn't very intelligent, though, because he decided to do this out in front of the entire uh, village, I guess. And everybody immediately stops and dismembers and destroys and butchers him, like like tears him to pieces.
1: Like, wow! Like
2: Black Friday shoppers, like yeah, we're <laughs> just gonna, each other to pieces. Which is going to happen in a team? a few hours. I, I, I'm sure that these descriptions are less violent than Black Friday's we've witnessed.
1: Yes, because we had both uh, worked at Walmart on Black Friday. It it is
2: multiple Black Fridays. It is terrifying. Yes. Uh, so yes, his revenge was definitely short lived. Yeah, um, th- I, those no such
1: thing as due process in this village. I hope
2: he was happy with doing it because he didn't have much time to really think about it afterwards. After no, he was ripped into literal shreds. Uh, His remains are collected, and atop the summit of the mountain, the king has his shaman place a curse on Enda's soul, forcing it to never rest and to relive his deed and punishment forever.
1: So you're saying the soul of Edna resides in the the body of Michael
2: Myers, who has feelings for his sister, and that's why he kills her? Well, I will continue. We are given a greater backstory in Chapter 1 of Michael Myers— and it definitely does take care not to fully explain everything. The the whole prologue chapter really does. It, it kind of is his motive, but we still never really. Th- there's a lot of detail left out from Michael's perspective. We get we get some, and I will go into that. It describes the events leading up to Judith's murder on the day of Halloween, much like uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween, except with less rednecks and less "bitch, I will skull fuck the shit out of you." And and to tell you the truth, the. Um, the upping of the gory descriptive kills in this movie offend me less than Rob Zombie's dialogue. So <laughs> well, that's yeah. saying something. But you know, we have a scene in the in the Myers house, a happy scene where Michael's showing his clown costume to his grandmother, who's there, and his grandmother is an old woman. This still takes place as 90- it, as as
0: 1963
2: as it does. And the grandmother's talking about oh, all these traditions, you know, the, the old days of Halloween when we had to deal with the actual boogeyman and talking about telling Michael in description how the boogeyman used to savage the family farm and everything. And they find cows mutilated and all these things, you know, the pranks would go from simple, well, how the hell did that happen? That kind of ruins my day too. What the fuck? I'm scared for my life. So I'm, I'm just having visions of Halloween six of the old lady
1: uh, telling the story to Danny like of of story of what the boogie is and what the the festival of sour is supposed to be. It's really
2: interesting how these same themes really come back. Yeah, and, and I don't know if the people in charge of the writing. I don't know if the, you know the head muckety mucks read all these things and say, let's add these details in, these are good, or mm. let's make it a nod to this, or if it's just coincidence. Uh, it's
1: parallel thought, who knows?
2: But Michael's mother, disturbed by this, you know, storytelling, stops her grandmother and talks about he's been having enough trouble lately with all the voices and bad dreams, and grandmother says, voices? She says, Michael, go, go try in your con costume. And starts telling him about how he's been having dreams of this, of Enda's murders. Really? Saying yeah, yeah, talking about dancing lovers and to kill them and whatnot. And voices you know, voices saying, you know, kill, just do it. And Michael's grandmother tells a story of that her great grandfather, who back in the late eighteen nineties, apparently heard voices and committed murders. Oh. We do not get the full story just yet. Continuing on, we're pretty much we're given an extended scene of You know, Judas leading up, the events leading up to Judas murder. This we're talking about before the opening, the famous POV opening from the original Halloween. Right. But Judas getting Mm -hmm. ready for her boyfriend to come over. Uh, She answers the door for a couple of trick or treaters. They're kind of sassing her a little bit. So she sasses him back and says, oh, yeah, what do you what do you do if I don't give you any candy? Because she's in a rush to get ready to get laid. Yeah. What do you do if I don't give you any candy? And one of the trick or treaters respond, we'll kill you. Apparently, she looks over, sees a little boy in a clown costume, and note, realizes this is Michael. And she's ready to read him the riot act until her boyfriend pulls up. Mm. So finally, she just gives him the candy, hurries him along. She wants to do her thing. Apparently, this is the first time they're going to do it in a bed, uh, according to what this is the the uh, novel says. Oh, and now we do get you know a full-on fucking sex scene that's like romance novel levels of descriptive. I I, I mean,
1: I bet you it seems like the author had to fill pages here. And definitely seems like... I understand now it's supposed to be an expansion upon what is uh, uh, in the text of the movie itself. And I, I don't know. I guess maybe...
2: I don't know if they're trying to lull you into some false sense of security, security maybe. Yeah. Or, ju- or just lull you by, by uh, setting up this tone and then changing it on a dime. Well, and also, do you know like how
1: people have said slasher movies are very... Especially with the Friday the 13th series that they had... The message, especially of the time, was very Puritan. That, like, sex... Equals death. It's one of the ideas that Randy spouts in Scream. And definitely even in this novel from 1979, it definitely, it's linking the idea of lust to death here. And it definitely seems like it's trying to really like, oh, you have these kind of feelings and you will be punished for them.
2: Mm-hmm. So when we finally do get up to what is the beginning of the movie in this, we, we get a look into Michael's mindset. He hears his voice demanding him, you know, kill the dancing lovers. That's what he describes them as, you know, kill them. And Michael, he almost feels like he has to listen to this just to try and get it to go away. Like, Mm. maybe if I do this, it'll go away. That's what he considers. So everything, you know, proceeds like it does in the movie. kills his sister. His parents find him. He's incarcerated. Do you you think he regrets not getting the boyfriend? I don't know. I I don't know. They don't really go into that. And maybe that's where kind of ideas Kind of start, you know, splintering and, and going to shit mm-hmm. when you're taking adapting someone else's material with something of your own. Right. Maybe there's a bit of crossed wires there. Yeah. it doesn't mesh. But he's incarcerated. Apparently, Michael, in this book, does continue to talk for some time while institutionalized. He actually tells the story of what happened verbatim, but no one wants to believe him. They think that, like, he found the bloody knife got blood all over himself. They thought that the boyfriend did it. Apparently he was, you know, found by the police, roughed up a bit, claimed he was innocent. But due to absence of no evidence and the fact that Michael's story does not change, admitting to the murders, they almost have to go along. Like, no one wants to believe that this six-year-old child who's telling people, I killed my sister. Well,
1: I think in the eyes of the law, a scorned lover is far more believable, or it would be easier pill to swallow in a, in a moral sense than a child just snapping and killing her sister in such a and being so okay with it.
2: Absolutely. But that's why when everybody's story sticks, they kind of have no choice but to believe it. Yeah,
1: they're like, "Okay, he's un- unfaltered in his testimony here. I think we have to take that as him at his word."
2: He sent them basically to the Alcatraz for children. Yeah. I sent them to Smith Grove and According to it, according to this, he's just, like, stone face watching. He knows something's up. He knows something's not right. Mm-hmm. So in his early days, this sort of odd calm comes over the sanitarium, where, as if, like, Michael's presence, like, the, the inmates kind of fear him. Uh, it talks of little things where some of the other inmates may have wronged him slightly. It could be anything simple from, like, they gave one example of... Michael's sitting there watching a program. He gets up to turn up the volume. Another kid gets up, turns it back down, and Michael just kind of shrugs it off. But whatever these things happen, and it could also be to kids like bullying him, no matter what, somewhere down the line, it could be days, weeks, months, Michael enacts some kind of like horrible revenge on them. Some kind of misfortune comes on them. But there's no direct evidence whatsoever to prove it. Some of these are actually reused in the very first comic we will talk about. Oh, really? So I do believe that somebody read this. Yes, but nothing could ever be proven. Doctor Loomis, he he tries to convince you know the judge that Michael's this horribly dangerous patient. He concocts this idea of a Halloween party. Now this Halloween party is is taken directly in the comics, mm. where one of the they're playing like uh, musical chairs. This is like a year after his murder. Okay. So, a party.
1: so seven years old, 1964, in Smith Grove.
2: Yes, and the biggest difference is that in the comic, Loomis was against it, but then decided, hmm, this could be what I need to catch him in the act. In this one, he set it up. To okay. Catch him in the act, they're playing musical chairs, and Mike the one little girl gets the last chair, and you know, basically, bumps in front of Michael to take the last chair and says, "You're out." But during the apple bobbing later, for some reason, the power goes out. You hear the sound of screaming and rushing. And when the power comes back on, there is Michael standing away from everything, but the little girl that was bobbing for apples has been drowned. Whoa,
1: that's eerie, and
2: no one can fucking prove anything. So, Loomis, he, you know, he he's begging for Michael to be kept away. The one judge doesn't want to hear it, but by the end of the the chapter, that particular chapter, that judge apparently has a heart attack, dies, and his and his uh, replacement is not as is not as uh, easygoing on Michael and agrees to have him held for 15 years huh yep and as the 15 years pass, that's when michael continues to stop talking everything continues as normal we are introduced to Lori strode who seems to she's more aware of the myers legend of this and she really like harps on it a lot the more she thinks about it she's kind of fearful of it she kind of thinks oh shit what well, what if that happened to me like de- to the point where she's like distracted you know easily distracted where you have to just say like laurie all right you know snap her out of it um but as it continues, though, when Loomis introduces himself to Brackett, he's given the violent history by Brackett, who looked up the Myers case, and apparently the great-grandfather at a Halloween dance, you know, like a Halloween buck social or whatever they had, mm-hmm. <clears throat> murdered a couple that was dancing at the Halloween party for no particular rhyme or reason. And allegedly that – that. um this is some mental illness that runs through his family. Something fucked up, and apparently in the case files, it talks about dreams he had that match up to Michael's dreams.
1: Now, it, it definitely seems like this novel's ideas of it is definitely leading leaning into the supernatural side of Michael Myers as a viewer, and like where at least the first Halloween, yeah, he's definitely a man, and like Loomis is trying he spent the, he spends the spends the time trying to convince everybody around him that he is evil on two legs. How do you feel as a reader, seeing these, like, power going out and these kind of mysterious deaths when Michael's still in the Sanitarium, how do you feel about that? Do you think it goes too far? Do you feel it's like, all right, is he, is he like in Halloween 6 where he's entrusted with these kind of supernatural powers, or you actually like the how, where this author is going with this tale?
2: I often do. I think maybe the prologue idea gives a little too much away the idea that like okay he's hearing voices because a cursed soul from you know 2000 years ago that's forced to roam the earth reliving his d- evil deed you know is the main inspiration behind this killer i i'm more a fan of the more ambiguous take even though i do enjoy the thorn storyline and the whole sister idea right cuz if you're going to continue with this you got to do something if you not if not you're going to be brushing your fucking teeth seven times in a row.
1: Now, do you think, um, say if that story that happens in prologue in Ireland was not the prologue, it opened up with 1963. In the movie you're talking? Yeah, like within the book, like we'll say, in the book, we, we find out later on about the story and that these the voices that we hear that like we don't pay attention to too much early on and then we hear about the legend that happened years and years ago, would that have been a little bit easier? Like, okay, this makes it that moment earlier on a little bit easier to, like, rather than oh let's give you all this information up front and then you get easily po- we can easily connect the dots here do you feel like if we've discovered it rather than told it so
2: early would it that story have been a, easier to, a more enjoyable for you in the book or in the movie book um i don't think so cuz it would have came out of the left fucking field okay it's like it's like okay now you know seven chapters in okay now there's a there's a dream about a druid like wait what I feel like you need that setup for that payoff.
1: Like, but what if it's like that's like Michael recounting this story or this dream to Loomis before he stops speaking?
2: Only if they constantly set it up throughout the movie by giving by doling it out little by little.
1: Okay, here's just here's the thought. We're going, but go on. Well, the
2: last major, the last major difference in here that I could really point out was they do expand on the whole Michael driving thing. It's pretty simple, but Loomis theorizes that. With the fear that he commanded over the entire sanitarium, you know, like the odd calm that I talked about was everyone keeping themselves in check, doctors, inmates, everyone alike, because they don't want to piss this evil person off. So everyone kind of on their best behavior. But Loomis theorizes that he was taught to drive by someone there because of that fear that he commanded. Mm. You know,
1: like, Michael, do you want do you want to learn how to drive? Like, I'll show you. Like, here you go. And then, like, just hoping, like, please don't kill me, please don't kill me, please don't kill me. That's the internal monologue going on in this person's head.
2: There's that, but there's also the idea that he wa- – since Loomis drove him to tons of hearings, he more than likely wa- – I've heard that, you know, out there Just too. observed. Just observed. But, right. like, there's. A, you got to practice, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Michael would be pretty easy to fucking catch if he's, you know, doing five miles an hour in a parking lot like most people do when they first learn to drive. True. This is your shift. Yeah. This is your gear. I mean, but anywho, it's definitely a good read. It follows very closely. However, it does up the ante with more graphic kills. Annie, instead of just being choked, she's fucking filleted from fucking, you know, crotch to throat. Whoa. G- you know, gory like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely a good read. I would say check it out if you have a spare $250 or find (laughs) it for less. I do kind of hope one day there's some kind of archival process for printed media that's out of... I wonder
1: if Batan Books still publish these days. Because I know at least a few of my movie po- my the posters I have on my walls my room And the bottom of like because they're big one sheets like the one I'm thinking of right now is Brian De Palma's Dress to Kill and on the bottom of the posters is read the book by
2: Batan on there
1: so batan has been around for decades at this point I wonder if they're still in the business of doing this or not I probably
2: got bored of something or <laughs> probably much. but anyway moving on to Halloween two uh released in 1981 same year as the the as the film. Uh, It was written by Jack Martin, and that is the pseudonym of Dennis Etchison, who was going to write Halloween 4. He he was the one that John Carpenter and Deborah Hill picked to write Halloween 4 before the whole deal fell through and it was bought by the Akkads and we got the Halloween 4 we were supposed to get. He wrote Halloween 2 and 3 novelizations.
1: Under the pseudonym of Jack Martin. Yep,
2: and it was published by Zebra Books. Um, This is a much more straightforward adaptation. I probably spent very little time on this one. The biggest change overall is that the reporter character, the one talking to Dana Carvey, the the blonde woman in blue, she's yeah. given she's expanded a little more. Her name is Deborah Mundy. Um, as we see in the movie, she you know she wants to get a statement even if you don't get the parents anyway. She's a reporter looking for a story yeah. and doesn't doesn't give a fuck you know how it affects the victims or whatever. She gets all this info on Lori Strode, you know she's she's digging for dirt, wants to find out about Loomis because she sees him there. Uh, The biggest change is that while driving around in her news van, she gets a flat tire, and it's changed with the help of some locals, but in the time that it took her to flag people down, apparently, she had an extra visitor sneak in. Uh, Michael hides in her van, kills her, then takes the van, and it says how he has the notes on Lori and where she's currently located. Huh. So that's the only edit kill. But strangely, now that he has this reporter's van and we know who he can drive the scene where he bumps into the to Lance Warlock carrying the boombox is still in there it doesn't specify that lance warlock is playing the news report over his boombox that michael walks and sees a sign that says hospital hmm. You have a fucking van you just stole. Why are you walking?
1: Yeah. And don't we see... Oh, we see Dana Carvey at the end. I don't know if we see her at the end of the hospital when it's like when it's like the smoke is billowing out from the I think the we hospital. see the
2: male reporter that was on the TV. Okay. She's the one with the microphone like... As like trying to interview logo. her
1: as they push her past her and everything
2: like that. Okay. The last major difference I know... Actually, no. There's one smaller one which will come up later in the comics is Lori's... And this is actually something that comes up in the comics a lot. Lori's dream she has while she's on drugs of visiting Michael in the asylum. Okay. This is constantly – this is what I believe. This is – I have found every person's interpretation of this through the comics, through this, as that's a repressed memory she's dreaming about. That's that's, a,
1: what I, that's what I read it as. That's a
2: heavily repressed memory. And apparently in this repressed memory, whenever she had been talking about the boy that she saw, her parents want so badly to suppress this and keep it a secret – that her father would fucking beat her until whoa would whip her with a belt. And that actually comes up in First Death of Lori Strode comic. Oh, wow. That, when I first read that, I'm like, holy shit, First Death of Lori Strode. And it became to the point where she became so afraid to even think about the idea or else her parents would, you know, beat her. And my idea is, then why the fuck did you bring her to the asylum in the first place? Yeah. There's so much about that sister storyline that is just mm. nuts. You stupid motherfucker! Why would you do that? That's why I think if they had, I, I just feel I don't mind the sister storyline. I just feel the way they executed it in Halloween Two was was bleh. I think they should have had it where like in the movie or the book, in in, in, every, in everything. Okay, in, in everything in general. Okay, I think they should have it where instead of Laurie being two years old and townsfolk saying, "Oh, the, you know, the Mario's boy he killed it. He killed his sister." Oh, which one? The baby? Oh no, the the teenager. And people just forget that there was a third sibling. You know? Yeah, it's supposed to be a small something town. like that in a small town. Nobody would forget that. I like the idea better that I thought of, where Michael's mother was in the early, early stages of pregnancy when mm-hmm. Michael committed the murder. Right, and when the car accident that killed the parents ended up, the the doctors had to induce labor to save the baby, and they did. And due to the surrounding circumstances, you know, they that the Myers family wanted in their will or whatever, or the cops felt this way, or somebody felt this way to have all information on the baby hidden,
0: mm.
2: you know? Yeah. Because there's no time frame, And that's another thing about the new Halloween. What's the fate of Michael Myers' parents?
1: Presume they just passed as natural causes throughout the time. I don't know.
2: I guess that's, that's an interesting point that they never addressed because in every continuity after the original one, it's always, they were killed in a car accident. That's their excuse. That's the writer's excuse in all these movies to get to, it was killed in a car accident, killed in a car accident.
1: Maybe maybe just that the Akkad's or somebody just had like really traumatic experience with a car accident. They just it's something it's just percolated throughout the entire series. Or maybe they're know. just
2: watching the news. There happened to be a car accident on there, or, or while driving to work that day, traffic was slowed because of a car accident, and they were so fucking pissed off they thought of a car accident. Possibly. Anyway, but the final big major difference is that, and I noticed this in in Halloween Four book as well. Uh, Michael Myers and Doctor Loomis are as dead as four o'clock, as they say. At the end of the book. At the end of the book. Now, they talk about two bodies that are not specifically identified because of the explosion. One that was blown completely to pieces, and the other charred and incinerated. The fact that the ending of the previous chapter is Lori seeing a a flaming shape walking towards her indicates Loomis was blown to fucking pieces. Blown to smithereens. Because
1: he was the closest to the explosion itself.
2: Yeah, so, uh, you know... (laughs) Loomis—he's not half the man he used to be. No, he's—he's the—he's a fraction of what he was. There's only pieces of him in my memory. <laughs> but that is Halloween too. Another, you know, good adaptation. I liked it. Halloween. Uh, we got the Halloween three, released in 1982, also by Jack Martin, written by Jack Martin, published by Jove Books. Now this one is pretty interesting. It does follow Halloween three very straightforward, but the entire book exclusively follows the perspective of Doctor Chalice. Even scenes that he's not in. Yes. I'll I'll explain. Okay. (laughs) Um, The opening we get instead of Harry Grimbridge being chased by the robots is Dr. Chalice getting out of work on that rainy night, going to the store to buy his kids the the masks that they inevitably are disappointed with. Right. And in this, we actually – the uh, clerk there – and some customers that come in we get an explanation of why the silver shamrock masks are so incredibly popular. That's something that was kind of a, you know, an odd thing to me. It's just like why are these generic masks things so popular and kids buying them even if they don't go with their costumes. Apparently, the silver shamrock masks are made out of incredibly, incredibly lifelike quality and are Praised and touted for just their level of detail over every hands above, hand over fist above everything else. Right, like these are these are you cannot believe how good these are made and for and for the price, you know they're right. not even expensive. They're more expensive than your regular masks, but not drastic. Yeah, hey,
1: but they're, they're not the little plastic mask with cheap rubber band that's going to snap three houses into your trick or treating.
2: Yeah, but these are just you know. And it almost makes you wonder—are they made out of like actual human? Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, that—that's what I'm imagining now. Because <laughs> Buffalo Cochran, <laughs> would you would, wear these? Would you—would you steal a piece of Stonehenge for me? I steal a piece of, of, of Stonehenge stone stone for, for me. me. I steal—I steal, I'd steal of- it so hard. <laughs> I would turn your head into bugs so hard. <laughs> instead of you, um, uh, it,
1: instead of the Silver Shamrock theme as the commercial, it's—it's it's by horses. It's like stop it, stop it. Stop it!
2: That's the song that drives everybody <laughs> and then melts people. <laughs> anyway. But yes, each scene takes place from Dr. Chalice's per- entire perspective. Like, Harry Grimbridge is brought in, brought in later and with the, oh, they're gonna kill us, they're gonna kill us. And and they do describe it in a way that's, you know, I'd say pretty... It, it, it lets you know what you need to know. That this guy was found, raving lunatic. You know, talk about people gonna kill us. He was exhausted from running so much. Um... But Doctor Chalice then goes to take his nap, and we get you know visions of his dreams. And while he's dreaming, he starts he starts like dreaming of just weird shit, like weird Halloween imagery, almost dreaming of what's about to happen. Where
1: like a premonition,
2: like a premonition. While he's dreaming of a man that walks in and you know kills this guy, oh. and when he wakes and he hears uh what, what was the the nurse's name? The nurse's name,
1: I, Agnes. I think yes, 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 yes. right.
2: Screaming, he goes and he sees this guy in a you know this nice suit walking walking away and. He does, you know, his deed. So everything continues on as it does. Um, The character of Teddy is actually cut completely, and the whole car autopsy subplot is heavily reduced. Really? Down to just the one phone call he makes at the hotel that gives away that he's investigating this. Ah, okay. They leave that in there. Um, When we get to... Also to say from his perspective, when we get to the... What was the homeless guy's name that... Cochran wouldn't give a job to that he I, gives him booze to. I forget it, it's. I haven't watched it since our
1: we did a review. So it was well, like, anyway,
2: yeah, from Chalice's perspective, he leaves. He sees guy notices guys dressed strangely, suspiciously like the guy that killed Mister Grimbridge, walking towards where he just was. But he keeps walking, and all of a sudden he hears this loud scream, like someone's having their head pulled off. Oh, geez, you know. So everything is from Chalice's perspective. The only thing that isn't, but in a kind of way, still is, is uh, the Cupfer family's death because he's watching it through this monitor. Oh, okay. that's told in detail, the same way it was in the, you know shown in the movie. Mm. But because he's watching it, we get that same level of that same thing. But um, during their tour of the factory, Buddy Cupfer explains that Cochran had, you know, he was the the all time king of the Practical Joker, but that he also revamped his entire. He took a major business risk. He revamped his entire business into this masks and that. You know, heavy, crazy advertising. Like you see, the how much the advertising budget goes into the movies nowadays. That adds to its overall cost. Yes, like we're we're talking like that level of crazy advertising. Holy shit! And that's what built their popularity. The fact that and he they, so they firebombed their their, yeah, their the merchandise
1: prana. into your into your uh, subconscious. And the
2: fact that he took that risk. You know, what a great businessman because he was betting on this night to achieve his ultimate goal. Right. You know? um, after he rescued, the only other change after he rescues Ellie, instead of her just being kind of quiet when she sees that she's an android later, she has this childlike demeanor, even referring to to uh, Chalice's daddy. But we believe it's just some kind of like psychological torture or brainwashing that was done to her, not because she's a fucking robot. Mm. So,
1: but is she still a robot in the she's book? She's still though? a robot. Oh, okay. oh yeah, she's
2: still a robot and it still ends with Stop it. Stop it. Gotcha. That is Halloween three. Lastly well not lastly, Halloween four in 1988 by written by Nicholas Grabowski and published by Laura van publishing. Um, it's definitely the most straightforward adaptation yet. You know, um, everything goes as it is pretty much until, uh, about the time when Dr. Loomis just arrives into Haddonfield. Dr. Hoffman is still, you know, his same self who thinks Loomis is full of shit and needs to just fuck off and die. His muscles would be completely useless. Whatever he hits, he destroys. Oh, <laughs> sorry, wrong Michael Patecki movie. <laughs> oh, you, now, did see, it... you did see Creed 2 today, so. Yes, it Isaac is. Drago is on our minds. Yes,
1: and. And Drago's not the only person from Rocky IV that makes an appearance in that. Uh, there is one person that I would not expect to show up, does show up You'll in that. tell me after this. Yeah. Well, even um, though I do
2: plan on seeing Creed too, uh
1: yeah. But also, like, I'm trying to think, now I'm thinking of him as the detective in the 70s uh, Spider-Man movie. Oh, yeah. TV- oh, with spoons Chief, for eyes. Chief
2: Barbera. With his ci- cigar that he was always, like, sucking on like it's a lollipop. Uh, what was it? Nick, um... Nicholas Hammond was Nicholas Spider-Man. Hammond was Peter Parker. Anyway. But, um, there was a scene early before loomis gets the police station of dr hoffman finally getting in touch with them right and finally coming to this horrible realization that loomis was right so there is sort of an arc to dr hoffman um it cuts out the scene entirely during michael's tra- transportation like we cut from the the chapter ends of dr hoffman giving that last look into the ambulance and it driving off to you know the next day to, to going to jamie lloyd's house
1: now do you think that makes it a little bit creepier that we only see the aftermath of what he has done.
2: See, I don't, I don't really know because, like, because it, it, it could you could argue.
1: One people say with horror is like if you lead it up to imagination, your mind can fill in so many other crazier stuff and scarier stuff to you, and it makes it so much more personal. But then again, if you show something that's totally unique and unforgettable, that it obviously will stick with you for generations. So you think of. You think of the first alien, yeah, it's a guy in a suit, and and it's hidden very specifically, and it's used sparingly when you show it, but then you think of the thing, where you think of the creature, like, how unique that is, and how scary that is, and so that's a curious choice that the author had, like, to omit that entirely. Well,
2: you know what that also omits out of the scene? The scene where... Uh, they talk about, has he got any living relatives? We 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 cut to Jamie Lloyd, and we don't know who the hell this little girl is. Right. We find out later on, oh, shit, it's his niece. Mm. So that's interesting. Maybe if there was a cut of the film that didn't have that, mm. it might be more interesting. But one of the weirdest things about the writing of this book is that many of the shorter scenes are given their own chapters. Sometimes as short as two pages. Really? Th- this, this is a very hefty book. This is a pretty hefty – I mean – it's not huge, you know. It's only yeah. The all
1: these books are paperbacks, by the way.
2: It's only two hundred and twenty-three pages, but twenty-seven chapters. Chapter Gee. twenty-seven is one, two, three pages long.
1: Now, this is something I actually I had a conversation on Twitter recently. Would you prefer, as just as a book reader in general, the Halloween whatever? Do you prefer books with sh- with many chapters that are very short, or like? A 10-chapter book, but each chapter is like 30 to 40 pages in length.
2: I'm for quality over quantity, but if quantity, if, if the quantity has quality, I'm fine with that. I just want quality. Okay. Because the whole chapter's thing, like you could end a paragraph and then go to something else mm. without having to end the actual chapter. You right. know, just as long as the story's well-paced and well-written, I don't give a fuck how many chapters. That just stood out to me, though. Okay. It's kind of strange. Um, the last real thing is that the ending part where they throw dynamite down the mineshaft is in there and the description of the shaft's collapse is much more expanded on in greater detail really showing that michael myers was fucking crushed to death like michael myers is dead at the end of this which i'm sure was intent the intention for all of these like this one really describes that that there was no way he could have survived this
1: but does it still end with yes jamie okay yep.
2: It ends with that, and it really does a good job describing it, of saying that like no matter what Haddonfield is, Haddonfield will never, the evil of Haddonfield will never truly die. Michael Myers may be dead, but this, this evil will never die. The town itself is like, it's legitimate, like cursed. is yeah, cursed is like cursed. So hmm. that's Halloween four. All of these, I feel are very good, very good and solid. There was not once where I felt, you know, like this sucks, this is boring.
1: It never felt like a chore to never read. felt like a
2: chore. There was a special edition of Halloween 4 released. I don't know the year exactly. It was in the past 15 years, though. I think I do have it brought up here on me tablet. Nope, that's not it. Anyways, yes, I'm not sure the exact year, but it had even more expanded on it. And from what reviews I saw on Amazon saying, it doesn't add a whole hell of a lot. It just right. more elaborates on stuff, you know? Gotcha. Um Last, but certainly not least, we come back with the triumphant novelization of Halloween 2018. Mm. Uh, this one is yet another straightforward adaptation. Uh, what's interesting about it is that it, it adds back in every known deleted scene that has been made, you know, the the knowledge of has been made public. The okay. Allison likes to jog, jogs past the dead dog. Uh, Lori visiting Karen at her job at a community center. All the... You know, scenes, the the shower scene, all the scenes that were deleted. The ending of Michael burning to death is in there, so that is the ending they went with. And whenever they really get into Michael's perspective, so so to say, not really his head, but just whenever they're, they're describing what Michael's doing or is, it kind of, the the font kind of changes. I have here on page one twenty three. It's in the cemetery when Dana and Aaron are visiting the gravestone Judith Myers. All of a sudden, the font changes and it says, across the cemetery, standing inhumanely, still under a group of shady trees that have shed their leaves, the shape watches them. The tall man taunted the shape with the mask, and the woman carried the mask in her bag. From the man's words and taunts, the shape knew they would come to this town, to this place, and that they still possessed the mask. So whenever we get something sort of from Michael's perspective, it changes fonts to let you know that. That's cool. Now, the one thing I really love about this novelization is that it answers two Burning questions that I had about this movie. The very first, uh, it uh, goes through pages 281 and 282. It is a brief exchange when Sartain and Hawkins are in the car. You know, the, the police cruiser looking for Michael and talking about you, Doc. You believe in your in your uh, what is it? In your Professional baby Laurie's is
1: out of her fucking mind. Lost her
2: fucking marbles. Um. That actually ends instead with a little, an extra conversation, where Sartain asks, Tell me, what became of his childhood home? Now oh, that place was a shrine kind of thing, but for serial killers, groupies, and death metal bands, Hawkins told him. Interesting, Sartain said, nodding as if he could envision it. Vandals got the best of it, Hawkins continued. A local organization that I work with tore it down and turned it into a community garden. Turned tragedy into beauty, if you can believe it. Hmm. So we are given the final fate of the Myers house, which was absent entirely. Entirely from fucking, you know, the new movie. Last what would they have added?
1: 30 seconds to the movie?
2: It, it, not, it uh, added nothing. It would have been great. Yeah. But last but not least, the, the one burning, no pun intended, question... That is on everyone's fucking minds, and I'm already seeing clickbait articles pop up left and right. Oh, yeah. Michael's final fate at the end of the movie. On page 369, we get those uh, different font from his perspective again. Trapped within the basement of the burning house, the shape rises within the encircling flames, heedless of the intense heat, and climbs the stairs even as they, too, burn. Wrapping both hands around the steel bars of the trap, the shape attacks the locked security gate with inhuman strength and fury. Rattling the cage within its housing, the dark force that drives the shape, that endlessly seeks to fulfill its purpose, does not tire or waver, does not stop or surrender, and continues to fight for the freedom to serve the purpose. When the flesh of the shape's palms begin to cook against the hot metal bars, the struggle continues. When the stairs beneath the shape begin to char and crumble, the struggle continues. When the air the shape breathes sears the shape's lungs, the struggle continues. When the coveralls catch fire and the mask begins to bubble and melt into the shape's hidden face, the struggle continues. And when all the flesh of the shape's body begins to sear and sizzle, the struggle continues. Burned hands rattle the cage. Breathing becomes tortured, ragged. Burned hands continue. Heartbeat slows. The shape struggles. And Michael Myers is dead. That he tried to escape, but could not over... He couldn't stand the heat, so he should have stayed out of the the kitchen. kitchen.
1: That his... His body could not stand whatever force drove him. wanted him to escape, but his body, his vessel, couldn't handle the heat.
2: Yep. But, I mean, according to this, Michael died at the end. But this is just a fucking novelization adaptation. Just like all the other ones, he's supposed to be dead. I'm sure the sequel that they're already trying to write is going to find a way to get him out of there and maybe even probably bring back the Myers house in some form or fashion. So, folks, (laughs) anything... And this is anything goes and with Halloween twenty eighteen, what happens next? Anything truly fucking goes. Yeah. But I like this novelization. You could get it for dirt cheap. You could get it for fucking next to nothing. Right. Under ten bucks. Maybe even still at the price. I got it for like what, seven fifty or something? Yeah. When it went on sale. This this ten dollar book that went on sale two days before it released. So <laughs> if you're interested, pick it up. It's dirt cheap. It's really good. And that is all for the uh Novelizations of Halloween. The novelizations adapted. Woo! Um, yeah, right. <laughs> the next that we go that, into... Did
1: that take the probably the longest time to cover those for you personally?
2: No, the comics did. Really? Because of the simple fact that... Well, I mean, I read these books, you know, during the week at work. Mm. I get a lot, quite a bit of downtime at my job. Okay. Lunch breaks and everything, so I read them then. Um the con- the reason for the comics is because they're completely new stories that I gotta find a way to cover for the audience here. Okay, for the listeners, these these are plots that we've already described in full detail. This is just how they differ in written form. Okay, so that's why. Like, what, what what's our time at right now? Uh, fifty three minutes. Oh shit, longer than I wanted to spend on that, but that's yeah, fine. Um, next, unfortunately, I can't really go. Well, we'll save some time right now. Next, we go into some young adult novels that we had that were released. Over a three-month period in late 97, early 98, uh, published by Berkeley Books and written by Kelly O'Rourke. Now, these, unfortunately, I was not able to procure because they are so rare and so fucking expensive, prohibitively expensive. I could buy a PlayStation 4 with what some of these cost. Really? Yes. We had three books. Book one, The Scream Factory. Where is this little? It follows a group of friends who set up a haunted house attraction in the basement of Haddonfield City Hall, only to be stalked and killed by Michael Myers while they were there. Book two, The Old Myers Place. It focuses on a young woman named Mary White who moves into the Myers family with... Myers house with her family moves into the Myers family. Yeah, like, She hit them with their van. <laughs> she opened
1: up their corpse, their bodies, and moved into them.
2: Yes, yeah, skull fucked them and threw them in the ditch. Yeah, skull fucked the shit out of them. Skull fuck, Bitch, with I'm broke, wrist Skull fucked... Yeah, you... Moves back into... Her. The Myers – moves into the Myers house with the family. Michael returns home and begins stalking and attacking Mary and her friends. And the final novel, The Madhouse, features a young girl named Christine Ray who joins a documentary film crew that travels to haunted locations. They are currently headed to Smith's Grove Sanitarium where they are confronted by Michael.
1: That sounds the closest thing to what we
2: got in Resurrection. Yeah. Um, But I I think – I could see the people from Resurrection copying this out of the fucking laziness of the writing. But
1: I feel like – like the comics, I feel like this is where Michael should continue.
2: And just Yeah, and just original stories, right? Yeah,
1: because and because you, you could not be hampered by – like you could have whatever continuity you really want at that point and just tell whatever you want. Like the idea of like, hey, let's just show up. We'll just set up a haunted house in Hanfield. Of course Michael would go there and think some kind of thing was going on and kill people. That would make sense. Well, that's one
2: of the things I love about the Halloween Night Dance comic, which we will get into. It's a completely original story disconnected from everything else. Now the one thing I noticed because I read some of the Amazon reviews is that a lot of these reviewers say that um, the biggest criticisms are that there's a lot of inaccuracies and continuity errors when it comes to the original Halloween. These, these pretty much just follow that. There's sometimes inaccuracies of when stuff takes place. Apparently one book says it took place in 1985, the original. Yeah, I know. Uh, another one talks about him wearing like gray coveralls instead. Okay, so there's navy blue. Some of them go into description of what his breath smells like. Michael Myers? Uh, so, I mean... I don't know how we can confirm or deny that, so... I'm, I'm wondering the level of... Yeah, I'm wondering the level of research that went into all this, but these are prohibitively expensive. Book one I have here in front of me on Amazon. There's three currently used, starting at $503.75. Holy shit! Fuck you in the ass with a big rubber dick.
0: Mm.
2: Book two, The Old Myers Place, two used...
0: Two youths.
2: Two, two Utes <laughs> For $250... And book three, eight used anew for $199.99. Keep in mind, folks, those are the cheapest prices that they are currently going for. Jesus Christ. So for, for yes, for any of you selling these books out there at those prices, fuck you, and may you die a horrible fucking death for being like that. Fuck you and feed your fish heads. Fuck you and feed your fish. I would love to fucking find these people, boil them in oil, and sell their fat for soap. Yeah. Now that we're done ripping off Jim Cornette. Mm-hmm. Um that's the young adult novels. Unfortunately, I, I, I truly I wish I could review these because they seem very interesting. We now get into Halloween comics. Woo! This is the thing I know you. I know that you've waited for because you love comics. Yes. Um, I'm mostly going to let you take over on this one. Okay. Because I have mapped out detailed plot synopses. I've sent the comics to you. Unfortunately, you weren't able to get to them. I life apologize life gets in that. the way. Um, we begin with Halloweens one, two, and three. Mm. These were released in two thousand one, published by Chaos Comics, written primarily by Phil Nutman, but we also have co writing with Daniel Farren's and Mickey Ablan's. Huh. What's interesting is that this was meant to link the Thorn trilogy with H two O and Resurrection. Well it was meant to at the time it was meant to link with H two O, Resurrection wasn't out yet. And unfortunately Resurrection's release negates all this. So it's another thing Resurrection cost us besides time, money, and brain cells. Yes. And it's a great ending. Uh, it was intended as just a one-shot, but it was very popular, and it branched to sev- the two sequels, and it was heavily based on Daniel Farron's unused ideas for Halloween 7 and 8. Uh, out of all these, these are the only comics that mention the Thorn trilogy. Okay. After after this, uh, as I will get into, pretty much one person takes over Halloween comics after this, mm-hmm. and there is no mention of Danny, Karen, or Baby Steven. Hmm. Karen Strode or Baby Steven. Right. So I'm going to hand it off to you with my plot synopsis.
1: Okay. And so – oh, thank you. And so Halloween 1, it's October 30th. Tommy Doyle manages to obtain the files of Dr. Loomis from the county records to learn more behind Michael Myers.
2: Forgive me if my spelling and grammar – well, spelling's good, but grammar and uh, sentence structure may be off. No, that's fine. Uh, I tend to use the same words over and over again.
1: uh, Little does he know Michael has – And has returned to finish what he started years ago with Tommy himself. Loomis', uh, Loomis Loomis's, uh, Diary Chronicles. Uh, I just turned it to uh, Jimmy two times there. <laughs> uh, diary Chronicles. Michael, well, get the papers, get, get the, get the papers. papers. Michael's time in Smith's Grove and the, in the juvenile wing with the other children and while well, he was
2: being. children who were older and dangerous at the same time. Yeah, now, time, well, I'll, I'll chime in every now and again okay. with little uh, details. Um these children range from just, you know, cr- religious crazies, uh, even ones who have killed, and they are very, very dangerous, and people feel like, you know, you're throwing this little boy into the shark tank. The biggest difference between here and the novelization of the first one is that Loomis is at constant odds with the head doctor Okay. over Michael's treatment and everything. Loomis tries a whole bunch of different things, but it doesn't work. Uh Continue.
1: Um, like you, like we had mentioned before, anytime Michael uh, was wronged by or threatened by any other inmate, uh, a horrible fate uh, f- uh, fell upon them, and sometimes even to fatal a consequences. Yes, one
2: example is there's this one uh, kid with like an obsessive compulsive eating disorder. On Michael's birthday, Loomis arranges a bit of an experiment to show how he would react to kindness from others. Mm. They bring him a Michael Myers a birthday cake, and this fat kid immediately dives into it. And, oh. you know, he gets pulled out. He's like, what the fuck? That was a view. But sometime later, while the kid's in the shower, we see Michael in the shadows turn the fucking water pressure to fucking boiling and basically boils the kid alive. The kid eventually dies. Oh, yep. shit. That's a- just one example.
1: As you mentioned before, as Loomis's warnings were routinely ignored by and uh, he found a companion in Dr. Uh, Dr. Jennifer. Yes, uh, Dr. Jennifer White, uh, I believe. Uh, John- Jennifer Hill. For hell. My who, bad. Yeah,
2: who supported his belief in as as Michael being pure evil? She's a fellow doctor working at Smith's Grove, uh, kind of a uh, colleague and companion. She re- she really understands what Loomis is trying to do. He's pretty much his only friend at this point,
1: right? And so much so, it blooms into a loving relationship. Yep. Um the years pass, and Michael's silence is continued, and Loomis's obsession is affecting his, uh, him, and uh, his, and Jennifer's now engagement. Yep, they are uh,
2: engaged, and she's seeing the obsession that Loomis is going through with this, and why wow, it's affecting him. And
1: it finally comes to head one night, where Jennifer, is, who's pursued through the hospital by the shape,
2: and, and
1: and and falls to her death for off the
2: roof. Yeah, she sees some dark figure in the corner, starts running from it, notices it's following her. She gets up to the roof to get away with it, and as Loomis is leaving the asylum, she, he sees her fucking fall to her death and die right in front of him. And, and Loomis- it was ruled as a suicide, but he knew better.
1: Yeah, and, he, and Loomis vows to whatever in his powers to
2: stop, um, keep Michael from... Keep him. Him, that that was pretty much the point where for, for seven years I kept him locked up. That was kind of like the first eight I tried to reach him, but then... All these things happen, and from this point on, I'm going to keep you locked up, motherfucker.
1: Which gives a lot more motivation for it makes it far more personal for Loomis in his motivation, like it's to like, all right, I'm now I'm not just doing it just as as a doctor or as just a good human being. No, you took you've taken something that I've loved from me. Like now, I will do everything in my power to stop you. Well, Loomis,
2: as we know in the movies, he has no fucking backstory whatsoever, right? And that's what's nice about these comics too is a lot of times they had backstory.
1: Right. When midnight strikes, uh, Tommy uh, continued reading until Michael uh, barges in an attack. Tommy shot him,
2: and... Tommy shoots him twice. Like, the stroke of midnight, it becomes Halloween. Mm. Tommy wants to keep reading and taking notes, but Michael barges in, you know, believing that they killed him, and a struggle ensues. He, he, you know, tries to shoot him twice. It doesn't work. He hits him in the face with his bottle of booze that he was drinking and mm. manages to light his face on fire until Michael dives out the window.
1: Right. And dies at the window and vowing to finally kill Tommy and goes after Michael.
2: Yep. Tommy says that this is it once for all you're going to die. And that's where issue one ends.
1: Right. Okay. I
2: was going to say, like, um... Picking up where left off. uh, Issue two now, picking up exactly where number one left off. Tommy's
1: pursuit of Michael believing him to be uh, returning home because that's where you would think he would go. Because that's where I guess he would gather his strength or something like that. Uh, We cut to Richie Castle, a former bully of Tommy Doyle's whose life has gone
2: poorly since Halloween 1978. Now, Richie is one of the three boys in the first one that, you know, is bullying Tommy with the pumpkin. He's going to get you. He's going to get you. Right. He's the one that when the pumpkin falls, runs away and runs into Michael. Who grabs him and stops. Him from yes. like, like like watch where you're going, kid, kind of
1: thing. Um, and Richie has had enough and letting that incident ruin his
2: life. Yeah, he's been and, fucked up by it for over twenty years now.
1: And decides to burn the Myers house down, but is hesi- but um, hesitant and, and goes and he's he's alone and he's killed by he by- go
2: he goes in there with the gas can and starts pouring it, but Michael was in there and yeah. kills him.
1: Um, while searching
2: for Richie. Uh, Lonnie and Keith nearly hit Tommy yeah, with, the their, with, with their car. Yep. They, and, they kind of cross paths. Tommy's running for the Myers house. Lonnie and Keith are looking for Richie and they almost hit him with their car. Right. Uh,
1: in the Myers house, former sheriff Brackett discovers Richie's body.
2: And, and, and he takes Richie's body, right? He moves. He he he, what, what is he doing here? He, he moved away, but he came back to Haddonfield for some reason. And he finds Richie's body takes it out of there and Tommy sees him take his body away. Right. Uh,
1: Oh, yeah, Brackett takes his body away in and followed by Tommy not realizing Michael
2: hasn't, has knows both of them. Yep, Michael's watching from the distance and seeing where they're, seeing them.
1: Now, out in a field, Tommy catches up with Brackett, um, burying Richie and confronts him. Lonnie and Keith search the Myers house for Richie and are killed by Michael.
2: Yep, Michael, does he doesn't leave. He sees that they leave, but he doesn't go after them. He stays at the house where Lonnie and Keith go in to look for Richie. Mm-hmm. They find blood everywhere, but then they're killed by Michael. Uh, Brackett tells Tommy
1: that the history of Haddonfield and the town was founded by a group of Protestants who secretly were... A group of prostitutes? I said Protestants. Prosti- <laughs> <I said prostitutes. laughs>
2: they're very fast. It sound like prostitutes.
1: Yeah, they yeah, There's a group of, pro- uh, uh, in the words of Lewis, like, pimps and whores, pimps and whores uh, found in No, Uh Protestants who, yeah, it does sound like prostitutes, um, who secretly were members of a, a Druid cult and...
0: Uh,
2: cult Led by my- the Myers family. Yes, a sect of these Protestants were actually from a Dru- Druidic cult that traveled to America to escape persecution. They left. They broke off from these Protestants in Haden. These Protestants. I said that right, right? Yeah. I thought I said prostitutes. <laughs> no, 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 you no, got you're, my you're, fucking mind up. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry.
1: Your mind around on prostitutes right now. I think it's, uh, it's just very telling. Now they're
2: wonderful, though. <laughs> but yes, we're all we're accepting of all sex work is here. Yes, they they this Druidic cult. ...is led by an ancestor of Michael Myers. And that's kind of interesting where, you know, you have a druid cult amongst witch burners.
1: Yeah, and his line was cursed 2,000 years ago. Yes, his
2: bloodline was cursed.
1: And many of Haddonfield's leading uh, town people were direct descendants,
2: and after... But, like, there, was a, there were omens of this that was going on. They, like, um, what Loomis says in Halloween 2, the... When they had the great fires, they believed that they could see omens of the future. Right, there were omens that Michael Myers was actually not supposed to live. That the that the family bloodline was supposed to keep its peace for longer.
1: Mm. and that it, we find out that uh, Michael Myers was born at eleven fifty seven p.m. But it was still but still born. However, after midnight, his
2: evil soul armed, and that's when yeah, like Michael know. Myers, he was still born. Mm. But after the stroke of midnight, he came to life. Right. Like his soul arrived late. His cursed soul arrived late, breaking that prophecy.
1: Right. And the, the, the fact that he is – his birthday being Halloween.
2: Well, that's what this implies, and that's actually incorrect because every other thing is had it be October 19th, 1957. Right. So this is – we got a bit of a, a factual inaccur- inaccuracy here, but at the same time, you know, this has ended up being retconned by the time the next fucking comic comes, so mm.
1: – and that Brackett at one point dated Judith Myers, but with, it was because of her death that's what led him to becoming a cop. Mm-hmm. Was
2: later revealed about about them. He figures out all this through police investiga- police investigation. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: Loomis also gave him private diaries where the additional it's the historical records
2: belonging to Brackett piece together the history together. Uh, yeah, Brackett has these other secret diaries by Doctor Loomis that he's not given to anyone else. Um and then they're attacked shortly after by Thorn Cult uh, members. The, th- the Thorn Cult led by Mrs. Blankenship.
1: Oh. And so and they're taken to a church.
2: A priest argues uh that letting them go as Michael as Michael Michael can't be controlled anymore. This one priest in there he's he's arguing with Mrs. Blankenship saying we need to let him go because apparently Michael he's become uncontrollable. I guess his massacre at the at the hospital at the end of Halloween six right. is a big thing. Like he's becoming too much for them. And this priest feels that Michael's gonna return and because he's after them. You know, he's at least after Tommy. Yeah, like and well we gotta get him the hell away we from We gotta us. get him away because we're all gonna fucking die. Yeah. But she doesn't she doesn't want to let them go.
1: However, the priest goes above Mrs. Blankenship and tries to free um Brackett uh, to, and Tommy. Tommy but Michael shows up, murders the priest. Uh, and big
2: struggle ensues.
1: Uh stabs Brackett and uh what was it um Tommy
2: Knocks him into a fucking generator, which causes the church to burn down.
1: Right. Tommy escapes, but it's again
2: captured by the Thorn Cult, imprisoned in, in Smith's Grove, framed for the
1: murder. Yes.
2: Brackett, unfortunately, dies from this. Mm-hmm. He dies from his injuries. The Thorn Cult captures Tommy, and they lock him up in Smithgrove Grove, and he's blamed for all this. Everything that's happened, the murders of Richie, Lonnie, and Keith, the burning of the church, the murder of Brackett, I guess the murders of the, the priest in there. So Tommy's kind, of, Tommy's kind of fucked right now.
1: Right. And so then we cut to Halloween 3, The Devil's Eyes.
2: And it is one year after the events yes. of the previous comic. Number two was subtitled The Blackest Eyes. This one was subtitled The Devil's Eyes. Yes. Um, now, the timeline of this is also pretty freaking inaccurate because it states in this that when we, we cut back to Tommy, it's 2001 now. So that means two years prior was 1999, but that's also incorrect, because this one is taking place after H2O. Right. Like, one and two are before H2O. This is now after H2O. Tommy's been in in prison at Smith Grove during the events of H2O.
1: Hmm. Um, So in prison, and Dr. Wynn is planning to kill him. and Make him look like a suicide. Right, and cover it up. Michael Myers is believed to be... um, Dead at this point, like we said. Right, because of the events of H2O. Tommy manages to escape and sees Michael when escaping, but drives past him on his way to Haddonfield. And we are reintroduced to Lindsay Wallace, now journalist and studying Michael
2: Myers' death, which Laurie Strode has since disappeared after the events of H2O. Yep, we see Lindsay watching a news report recapping everything that Tommy's escaped and that Laurie Strode has disappeared.
1: Right, and she now has Loomis's prior diaries formerly possessed by Brackett, It seems like this is like, almost like... Like, a, kind of like a MacGuffin for this series.
2: Like, these diaries is, like, going from hand to hand and trying to... Well, we are going to get into it. The thing is, she she was notified by Tommy about them, I guess, before he was, or during his incarceration. I don't know if he got his one phone call. Mm-hmm. He called Lindsay and said, check out Brackett's place. He's got Loomis' secret diaries.
1: Right. Yeah, she receives a response uh, phone call while watching the, pre- the
2: news report and Tommy. She's given a quiet phone call. No, She answers, but nobody's there. Mm-hmm. And the grave robbing of Annie, Linda, and Bob, Bob. Yeah, uh, that's Bob. on the, that's on the news. Uh, apparently, the graves of Annie, Linda, and Bob have been robbed. The bodies are missing. The headstones are missing,
1: which is something that Michael has been known to do. Um, re- and they re- the review of the diaries and one
2: entry. Yeah, Smith- Tommy arrives at the house and, oh, yeah. and scares the shit out of Lindsay. Right? He broke up and uh, he broke out and immediately went to her. Gotcha, um, and explaining that he has no knowledge of the grave ro- grave robbings either.
1: Okay, so that's new. So that he's unaware of that. He's
2: completely unaware of that it's all being pretty much being blamed on him. Mm. You know, because he is this this convicted, I guess, criminal or whatnot that has fucking mental problems. That ever you know, because no one ever wants to believe anything about Michael Myers. They'd rather just brush it all off and say, "Oh yeah, he's dead. He hasn't been seen. In, he hasn't been seen in." Uh, seven hours, he's probably dead.
0: Yeah, of course. <laughs> so
2: it's all just playing on Tommy. It's the rules of Hollywood. If you don't make anything in a week, yeah, like, hey, he has to be dead. But we uh- do go into these diaries. Th- th- that's why these really aren't the Mac- I-, I guess you could say they're the MacGuffin because once we go into them, they're pretty much – we're we're done with that. Right. Um, Loomis meets,
1: uh, with the midwife who delivered Michael and gets introduced to the idea of pure evil.
2: Yes. He, she talks about, are you a man of God or a man of science? Right. Him saying science. And she describes the idea of evil and how, when delivering of Michael Myers, when he was born, that his stillbirth, but how he, you know, came to life. Mm Hmm. And... He also hints at the idea that there's a third Myers Child, but unfortunately we're cut off at this point when Lindsay hears something coming from upstairs. Yeah, in
1: the noise upstairs we find a decomposed severed head uh, with candle in it like a jack-o'-lantern. Much
2: like in the new Halloween with the cop's head with yeah, the road flare.
1: And the stolen bodies and headstones are laid out on the bed. Michael attacks and stabs him, but Lindsay runs. Uh, she tre- retreats, to the hou- uh, retreats to the house with Michael in pursuit, comes across the Myers' house. She enters, not wanting to ru- run anymore. She goes into Juice's room. When Michael enters, she tries to reason with him. She's actually
2: brushing her hair, kind of like, like she's setting him up, kind of. She's brushing her hair, picks up a piece of glass from the shattered mirror, and starts to reason with him.
1: When Michael enters, she tries to reason with him, saying that he's killed both scissors and stabs him. In the eye, with a piece of broken glass, Tommy arrives, shoots Michael, and pulls off his mask,
2: revealing it was Lori. Yep. This goes with Daniel Farren's idea of Jamie Lee Curtis's surpri- Jamie Lee Curtis's contractually obligated cameo in Halloween Resurrection. That if you're going to have to have her in there, make it mean something. The idea that the Michael Myers in the entire movie was actually Lori Strode, who went fucking nuts, vanished, stole her friend's body... Mm-hmm. And became Michael, like had to become Michael Myers, like Laurie. It was Laurie all along. Well, not all along, but in this particular issue, it was Laurie all along.
1: And that Laurie dives at the time Tommy's stabbing him, and both of them go out the window, they go flying out
2: the Myers house window. Weeks later, Tommy's and- presumed dead. I think I don't know if he survives this or not. We don't find out his final fate.
1: Okay, um, Laurie is in the asylum and locked up. Not speaking her, and her doctor believes it has to be a psychotic personality transference, ne- le- meaning uh, to relieve the original Night of Terror. She, uh,
2: she becomes Michael, essentially. Pretty much. And
1: took Michael's head uh, as a
2: trophy. and the that's, end- that's what the jack-o'-lantern with pumpkin is. That was Michael Myers' actual sever- severed head. Oh, that's messed up. Oh, yeah. Uh, it ends with Lindsay unsure of the mental illnesses or a true uh, true event as cause of all this. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's your Halloween trilogy of comics. Huh. Uh, the next one we go into. Oh, am I taking uh, over?
1: Yeah, I'll have you take it over here, but like, let's discuss this before we move on. Um, your
2: feelings on this little series of comics? Uh, well, that particular trilogy, I remember when I first got it, I was definitely fucking hot for it. I thought it was awesome. I still think it's very good to this day. Um, it almost gets into kind of weird action movie territory with the thorn cult coming after them. Like, Michael Myers, it, it, that's very much everyone's criticism of Halloween Six. is that... And even mind, truthfully, that the Thorn Cult minimizes Michael Myers, like right. they're this greater threat than him when he's supposed to be the boogeyman, the ultimate threat. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the fact that though that they kind of try to downplay that by saying like we can't control him. Mm-hmm. You know, he's gonna something. He's gonna come back and. One of these days, we're going to be on his receiving end.
1: Yes. And I, from what you, what you guys, what you were going through, the artwork like that, it definitely is like late
2: 90s, early 2000s comic, comic book art. And, but it was drawn by three different people throughout the issues. You do see the art style kind of change a bit, especially yeah. on the third one. It's like totally different.
1: Yeah. But like, I, I do enjoy it, but definitely seems like, and, like, and Tommy and Michael fight. And Tommy and Michael fight. It definitely seems like uh, like this, like oh, we're getting away by the skin of our teeth here, kind of thing, which it seems a little repetitive, but it, I... it's
2: quick, but also to the point, And Tommy doesn't always escape it unscathed. Yeah, like the fact that like he's someone young enough, I guess, to physically try to stand up because Loomis was never you know physically capable of trying to stand up to Michael. Like Tommy at least can get some damn good shots off. Yeah, kind of like what we said about. Uh, in the new Halloween, when uh, Aaron walks into the bathroom, hits him with a fucking crowbar, like he gets a damn good shot in. Yeah, that's true. But sure. it's not enough, you know. Mm. So, the these battle scenes, I guess if you want to call them, they're quick, but they're to the point, and Tommy don't always walk away from them one hundred percent.
1: Right. And your feelings at the ending of the third story about I Lauren- thought it was
2: very awesome. I thought it was I thought it was a really good way of. You know, continuing the story, but have my, but still respecting the ending of Halloween H two O. It was shocking. It meant something. It was very Rob Zombie's Halloween too, where the ending Laurie ends up in the nut house, showing that this experience has fucked her for life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no getting out. It's that sad ending that is very final, but it sticks with you and you remember it. I, I I liked it, and if they did Halloween, obviously as as we said earlier, Halloween Resurrection negates this ending. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Rob Laurie did end up in the. Did end up in the nut house, but Michael is still alive. Like, I, it, it's different, and that's a lot of times what has held Halloween back is the fact that they don't want to change; they want to just do the same thing over and over again. Right. So, but very, very high on that. Um, but that's the ending of the Thorn trilogy as it pertains to Halloween comics. True. From here on out, every Halloween comic from here on out. We get the writing is being taken over by Stefan Hutchinson. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually the director of Halloween Twenty Five Years of Terror under oh. his uh, I guess screen name Rehab Fifty Four. Okay, you see him in the you see it in the credits. I remember when I saw them like, have we reached that fucking point where like people's online handles are their names now? Like the Matrix, like Neo, <laughs> Mister Anderson,
0: Mister, my name,
2: my name is, is Neo, dude. <laughs> Uh, if you prick us, do we not bleed? Yes, my my, my favorite Keanu Reeves parodies from, from the short-lived animated series The Critic, starring John Lovitz, when he goes to see The Merchant of Venice and starring Keanu Reeves. Hath not the dude eyes? If you prick us, do we not get bummed? If we eat bad guacamole, do we not blow chunks? <laughs> when Jay finally decides to write his thesis that one of another Pulitzer about, if the movie stinks, just don't go. Huh. I don't know. The jig is up. Yes, and uh, when a Hollywood writer sees that he says "Uh uh-oh looks like the jig is up and he immediately dives out the window
1: still one of my favorite gags in the oh you're fucking
2: busted oh my god i
1: because i'm like oh it's probably so true
2: anyway but from here on in written by stefan Hutchison, everything from here on in and it all is from the h2o timeline now the rest of these comics actually do overlap certain details with each other so they all do have quite the continuity they could all come together and form those missing 20 years between 1978 and 1998. That's mm. cool about them. Um, next, we have One Good Scare. Where have I heard that title before? Oh, I wonder where. Uh, it was released in 2003. It was originally sold at the 25 Years of Terror convention as a collectible. Uh, Stefan Hutchinson hoped to score a distribution deal that it. it did not pan out, unfortunately. It would still be several years before he actually did, mm. but he released things here and there. Um, this particular book... One Good Scare follows David Loomis, the son of Dr. Loomis. Oh. He has very carefully followed in his father's footsteps as a psychiatrist at Smith's Grove. He tries, however, heavily to avoid the obsessive nature that destroyed his father's life. He does not try to get obsessed with things. Mm. Um, a certain patient arrives at the sanitarium one day. Now remember, this has no continuity with what we just described the three right. comics. This certain patient is Lindsay Wallace. Oh. She arrives, and because of the history she has with his father in that case, he insists on taking her as a patient. She believes Michael is after her, but David doesn't. He thinks that, you know, she's de- that Michael's dead. Um, his sessions with her, though, is enough to cause David to go through his file fi- through his father's notes. Blah. His father's files. Hmm. She sells seashells by I the sea sh- show. shit show. Yeah, this shit show, all right. He reads a story of when Michael was a child. Loomis... I don't know if I guess he just ran out of patience or was kind of testing Michael. He hands Michael a gun one day in his sanitarium as he's staring out the window, this small child saying, if he needed to kill again, just kill me. But Michael gives absolutely no response to it whatsoever, and it drives him fucking nuts. It drives Loomis fucking nuts that he can't get any response out of someone he knows is evil and knows will kill again. David eventually begins neglecting his other patients, taking on Lindsay as his only patient, and and he's starting to fall into his father's obsession trappings. Lindsay confesses that the reason why she went nuts again, she's had many problems with addiction over the years, but one incident the previous year, while alone on Halloween, she found a jack-o'-lantern that just appeared in her kitchen and had tons of knives stuck in it. She turns around, she sees Michael standing in the, standing in the window staring at her from outside. That's not creepy. Yep. Believing, like, believing, just like Lori said, the intent was to scare the shit out of her before ultimately killing her. You know, like he stalked Lori all day long. So, uh, yeah, so she fucking admits herself to the nuthouse. Halloween arrives, and she, she's just going nuts. She thinks that this is the day. I'm going to fucking die. Mm. You know, David's trying to console her and everything, but Michael has, in fact, arrived. He starts by picking off security one by one. Two nurses that are inspecting the hospital, they come by Dr. Loomis's room. They know he's down the hall, you know, his uh, his uh, office, yeah. but there's someone in his office. So Lindsay tries to – Lindsay, you know, she gets out, manages to get away from him, gets out of the room. David follows behind, and there's Michael standing with the two nurses' severed heads. So they make a fucking run for it, find out that security's dead, find out everyone's dead. Michael's able to catch up with him, and David becomes so overcome with fear, wondering, like, how did my dad do this? That he, he fails to act. He just cowers and hides. And Lindsay is, you know, stabbed and taken away. David later on, he, he's, like there, he's like there huddled under a desk all fucking night long. He, he doesn't, you know, move, doesn't get up. He's just filled with fear like because he failed to act. He gets back into his office and he sees that a photograph of him and his father together, uh, the frame is broken over his face. And he comes to the realization that Michael just, you know, let him live. And that one day he's going to return to keep that fear. And he thinks back to his first conversation with Lindsay and realizes that she was right. One good scare can change your life forever. Wow. Yep. Jesus. So. That's rough. Yeah. (laughs) No, they do a damn good job of, like, really driving home the fear. The one thing I like about all these comics is that they really do distill Michael Myers down to his essence. Like, yes, they keep the whole sister storyline and everything, but they don't give you a why. Mm. they don't give you a why they give you ideas like he's trying to rel- relive these murders or whatever and but the very last shot we see when he says no one good scare could live could ruin your life forever is of Lindsay tied to a post like a scarecrow with tons of knives stabbed into her just like the jack-o'-lantern geez now the first halloween did not rely
1: that much on a course more suspense. Halloween two definitely introduced more of that because it's a post Friday the thirteenth world. At that point, do you think these comics go too far? Like it's like becomes gratuitous, gratuitous in its violence. You could say it becomes
2: gratuitous and viol- in its violence, but I kind of feel that's almost an evolution of Michael Myers as a killing machine. As we know, he loves to trick his victims before he kills them. He loves to mess with them, right? And that his pranks are getting more and more lethal every time before Mm -hmm. he actually strikes. So I think it's an evolution. And as we see with horror movies, how they've evolved into the eras of gore. Yeah. Even all the way up to the the fucking torture porn horror films. You Mm -hmm. know, it's like it it almost comes with the territory. It's almost like you can't do a bloodless serial killer story anymore. You got to have that there almost to show as a consequence. Gotcha. So next we have Halloween autopsies. Now, also coinciding with the 25 years of terror documentary this was written during the production of it um the documentary came out on dvd three years after it was filmed in 2006 so this is from 2006 and it was released as an insert of the 25 years of terror dvd this is the only one i have an actual physical copy of all of these comics i have obtained digitally by means that i'm not going to share with you i'm not going to tell you how to get these um, they are also something that, you know, are up in price. You're, you're not going to pay crazy like the, the novels, but you're going to pay more than a single issue comic book is pretty much worth. Yeah. So, the next we have Halloween autopsies, um, what's, one of the cool little factoids about this is that many of the crime scene photos in this are actually elaborated on in later comics. Ah. So, I will hand over my plot synopsis to you. Okay. So... Uh, a young
1: man named Carter uh, remembers the night his life changed. His father was a projectionist, while he, and while watching Night of the Living Dead, as a boy, he discovers his father has
2: died of a heart attack yep. in this, the booth. This kid grew up on movies. You know, he'd, always, he'd get to sit in the movie theater by himself and watch all these movies while his dad did the projectionist. So, And he grew up on horror movies, loved them, loved the kills. But one day, he's watching Night of the Living Dead. The film breaks. He goes up to see what's wrong, and there's his father... Completely frozen to position, dead, white skin, with his hand gripping his chest. That com- changed Carter's <laughs> life forever.
1: The combo of his love for horror movies and seeing his dead father has given him a morbid obsession with death. He grows up to be a photographer, trying uh, to hide his obsession, but uh, feels great
2: shame. He's- he 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 loves for whatever reason. This guy's become obsessed with death. He thinks it's the most purest thing you could ever say. Mm. It's it's a part of life that's beautiful you know the beauty of death the release of death but he also feels a great shame with how obsessed with this he is because he knows he's weird he knows he's fucked up for it but it's just something he can't shake
1: right and he's given the assignment to investigate the rumor of michael's uh survive survival of h2 um upon yeah. upon seeing the crime scene photos and of Andy Brackett's body. He is
2: fixated and agrees to the assignment. He views Annie as, like, the perfect victim. He's never seen anything more beautiful in his life. The sight of Annie Brackett, you know, her, the fucking crime scene photos of her laying on the bed, sprawled out, throat slashed open. Right. For whatever reason, just this sick part of his mind says, this is fucking beautiful. And he immediately agrees to it based on that.
1: Yes. And he begins following Dr. Loomis, who stayed in Hadfield since uh, the events of the first two Halloween movies. Since after 1976. 1978, excuse me. Um... And the town's, uh, despite the town's dismay of him being there, because it's a constant reminder of what has happened.
2: Yep, and this actually is elaborated more in the first death of Laurie Strode comics, Loomis' is remaining in Haddonfield. He mm. actually buys a house and moves there.
1: Uh, Carter begins showing signs of obsession over the assignment, wondering what it would be like to see through Michael's eyes as he kills. Carter is car, uh, following Loomis, and after snapping at him, Loomis begs him not to follow him, and but... Carter does not want to see.
2: This. Yeah, Loomis, Loomis catches him following him one day. Fucking screams at him, and then realizes that, like, you know, comes comes to his senses, and then just pleads to Carter, saying, "Please don't fall. You don't want to see the things I have seen." And as we know, Carter is someone who who does want to see these things, but Loomis just don't know. You don't want to see what I've seen.
1: Yes, and, but he realizes that his his obsession is going too far, and when he fantasizes
2: about his. And his girlfriend would look like how beautiful de- how beautiful she would look like if she was dead. Yeah, like that's one of his great shames is that he has this girl that this amazingly beautiful woman that's like a model mm. he photographs, loves her so much, but feels like one day she's just when she finds out about this about me, she's just going to fucking leave. Right. And as his obsession grows, they're laying in bed one night. He looks at her, and instead of just you know you lay in bed look at your girlfriend saying man I'm, she's so beautiful I love her so much, he's thinking man she's so beautiful I love her so much. She's so beautiful. I wonder what she would look like if she was fucking hacked apart. Having these thoughts about the woman he fucking loves. Like, this ah, is how fucking Netflix, This is how screwed this guy is in the head. At this point,
1: um, Carter knows Louis' schedule from following him for so long and sneaks into his house. He's mesmerized by looking at all the autopsy photos that Loomis has in his files throughout the years.
2: Loomis uh, also keeps a shape mask in there that he sees and just like... Connects with it instantly, much like Michael. Like, yeah, he's been following Loomis so much, he knows exactly when he leaves the house every day, and takes the opportunity to sneak in and just rummage through his shit.
1: But is at this point, he he's finally gone too far, and he but he follows Loomis again, and, and Loomis had-
2: when he looks at these autopsy photos, he just feels like this insane shame over the elation he feels looking at all these people who've died. Right. And this is where the uh, autopsy photos he looks at are for many victims in later issues.
1: Mm. And so, but Loomis meets up with Bracket,
2: and they have a pretty big fight. Loomis and Bracket have a pretty big argument. Of Bracket saying, "You will never know what I've lost." You know, it starts pour. It starts pouring as if an outward manifestation of the of the fight they're having. Right. Uh. You know, he's and- like he lost
1: his wife, and began, all because of the death of his daughter that he blames Loomis is for. Yes. And, so and
2: Bracket leaves, and
1: after the argument between them, uh, Bracket leaves. Loomis turns his attention to Carter and begins. Asking why he's following him, Ricardo knows that something's wrong. Uh, Carter, Carter thinks that
2: Loomis caught him again, but he feels like, wait a minute, something's wrong this time.
1: Yeah, and knows that something's wrong. Loomis asked but
2: asks. Uh, Loomis addresses Michael by name. Carter immediately knows. Oh fuck! Turns around and there's Michael Myers standing above him.
1: Oh, and he finally sees Michael as death itself, and he and he's now sees his deception and. It, it has He's, killed him. He
2: sees that, like I was, a I was obsessed with death. Now I have met death, and mm. the, and and it has killed me.
1: At Carter's, the autopsy. Um, At Carter's autopsy,
2: yep. The, yep. The, uh, apparently, his throat's been slit and his eyes gouged out. And the people, the the coroners, they find two rolls of films in his fucking eye sockets.
0: Oh.
1: And in the epilogue, yeah, Carter's death records. He agrees to move to. Um,
2: Yep, and as Marion. As, as, Lo- as Loomis is you know updating his records for Carter's death, that's when he talks to he's talking to Marion and he agrees to move to Langdon with her. Langdon excuse setting him. up Halloween H two O. Gotcha, huh?
1: That's um, really interesting. But like, it, I assume that's
2: actually on Halloween when Michael attacks, or like it's you know. I don't know, because some of these actually don't have them attacking on Halloween. It's interesting. One of, the, one of the next ones we will get into, which is a direct continuation of this, mm. and was actually advertised at the end of this, Right. Um, in fact, doesn't take place at all on Halloween.
1: But I'm saying, like, uh, like,
2: did Michael just leave Loomis alone at that point? Well, as we will continue with our little continuity here, we will find out more... Because remember, all these comics now, written by Stefan Hutchinson, are all part of their own continuity. Okay. So we have a little more to explore here.
1: And with One Good Scare happening the most present,
2: and these happening in the past. Well, One Good Scare is not necessarily the most present. Okay. I don't, I don't think it specifies when One Good Scare takes place. I'm going to guess after 19... I'm going to guess all these take pl- place post-1998. Okay. I know 30 years... Because t- the thing is... Um, I know at the latest that I can think of off the top of my head in the 30 years of terror comic, we at least get between 98 and 2001 because one of them has Laurie in the, the asylum from Resurrection. Mm. But anywho, the next one we continue with is actually not a comic. It is a short story. We have two short stories. This was before Stefan Hutchinson managed to score publishing for, his, for the, these comics. Okay. In the meanwhile, in 2008, have a short story just simply entitled Sam. This one go, describes the death of Sam Loomis in the H2O continuity. It gives him – this features w- more backstory on Dr. Loomis than anything else. Okay. Like a lot. Um, it incorrectly claims that he always carried a lighter with him but never smoked. And it specified the, eight, the Halloween 2 ending, but we know that that wasn't a lighter. He that was, was, he that was, was Deputy Hunts. So. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, from what the backstory has, it, he could have that. It's just it, it incorrectly states it there. Um, many of the details of Loomis' life are actually taken from Donald Pleasant's actual life, his his uh, involvement in World War II, mm-hmm. uh, being taken as a prisoner of war, mm-hmm. and the actual date of death they give Dr. Loomis in this is the date of death of, of Donald Pleasant's. Ah, okay. And Michael Myers' presence and appearance around that time is not around Halloween. Gotcha. So we begin introducing an old lady named Elizabeth Worthington. Uh, she's remembering the last time she saw Sam Loomis back in England in 1957, right before he left for America. As the years passed, she followed his activities. Um, she's a journalist, so she's followed everything he's done, but she always remembered him saying this one this one thing he said, there's a, there's a design to fate, and unfortunately, it seems to be a design that doesn't care for the emotions of those who are but instruments in its larger purposes. Huh. Yeah. Weeks after, we, and now we now we get a bit of a flashback from weeks after Michael murders Judith. Doctor Loomis he visits the Myers house. He enters it the same way Michael did that night. He re- retraces his steps. Gotcha. Desperate to understand, you know, with, mm-hmm. with desperate to understand what was going on, but with no signs. But he has this weird feeling that something is not right. As he continues retracing Michael's steps, this terrible this anxiety comes over him, like like the cold sweats, everything, the, the shakes. And by the time he gets into Judith's room, he's about ready to have a fucking full-blown panic attack. Huh. Uh, he describes the house, you know, is still pretty the same way that the residents have left. There's a couple young cobwebs starting to sprout up. But once he gets to Judith's room, has that anxiety, and once he calms down, he understands everything he's dealing with. He understands he's not dealing with just a normal fucked up case. He knows he's dealing with something beyond this. After 15 years of having his fears dismissed and his reputation completely ruined, Loomis, you know, in uh, late 1977 decides he's had enough. He's going to take his own life. <clears throat> he has a gun in his mouth. He's just thinking about everything that's gone wrong in tears. But he st- one th- single thought that pops his head stops him at the last minute. What if I'm right? Hmm. He immediately stops. And within at least 10 months, he, he would get his answer. So after recapping, you know the events of the original Halloween, sort from Sam's perspective, saying that when he, when he finally sees Michael before he shoots him out of the balcony, he sees everything he knew Michael was come to life as if like he was correct. Like this is everything I thought of him, of him as, and it's actually right in front of me. And the fear that came over him, and how he acted, and how he you know blew him up and but survived. By 1995, Sam is still hunting for Michael. He believes. Pet, like petty crimes, missing persons or animals to be Michael's work. Things that people just brush off as, you know, it's a, it's an accident. It's an accident. It's not Michael Myers. He's fucking dead. It was an accident. You know, this crime or whatever, eh, it's just some punk. Oh, this missing person? Uh, maybe they took a wrong turn and we'll find him. Mm-hmm. Oh, your dog's missing? Oh, get a new dog, you know? The authorities just write him off. He's always too late to the fucking scene for any real evidence. Uh, due to his age and health by this point, Marion, she wants him to give up his hunt. You know, he's living with her. And she thinks – as she's telling this, she thinks back to all the time he spent with Lori after the survival, often pondering the thought of you know, when Michael would one day return. Like apparently the two of them spent a lot of time together. They would cry together. You know. Mm. They would have all that – almost like a father and daughter that have been through this horrible experience and think of how like, they helped Laurie fake her own death. you know. Um, yeah, in secret, they plan to fake her death, forging a new identity in hopes Lori can make a new life for herself. Back in England, she starts – Elizabeth starts thinking to herself of how she met Sam in 1942. She's apparently packing to come visit for some reason, which we will find out. Back in 1942 during World War II, she was on a date in some, da- like, dance hall with – you know, the, the troops are there. Go go to the box social with the troops. Right. Uh, she's bored to shit with her date. You know, this guy is just a fucking complete stone personality. Yeah. But she notices someone over in the corner. Uh, this young man named Sam, mm-hmm. very charismatic, fun, funny man, making jokes, making everyone laugh, lighting lighting everyone's cigarettes. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's 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 this person that just commands attention, right? And she instantly became, you know, draw, drawn to him. Mm-hmm. She had an unrequited love for him that never happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he moved away after he came back from the war as a POW. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever happened. So one day, Sam, while reviewing his notes. He makes some kind of shocking discovery. He realizes that Michael's patterns, because he has, the, as seen in H2O, he has a map with all these pins in it. His patterns are not at all deliberate. He's actually watching Sam. Michael is, the way he has been positioning all the things that Sam thinks he's doing on the map, this is not really gone into much detail. You just kind of got to use your imagination with it. But Sam kind of believes that Michael's watching him. Realizing that Michael has planned all this way ahead in advance, that that, that you know Sam has essentially been tricked, mm-hmm. that Michael, who really could strike at any given moment with Sam, has just been fucking with him all these years. After realizing that, Sam suffers a massive heart attack. So word of the heart attack reaches back to England, and that's why Elizabeth is traveling here. She travels to America to see him for the first time in forty years. You know, worried about her old friend's condition. Uh, her taxi drops her off in front of his house, but in front of the house, there's Marion uh, talking to former Sheriff Brackett, you know, saying, give him, give him my well wishes. They mentioned David Loomis. Mm. mentioned contacting David. It's a little continuity thing. But as she's watching, she, she just all of a sudden feels something and notices blood, like, trickling down her head. Michael apparently so quickly and so swiftly struck and just her body was not able to react in time and he fucking knocks her and takes her all this happening with like people standing, you know, 50 feet away. Oh wow. So yeah, she can't, she doesn't even have time to react before passing out. So Sam, he awakes in the hospital after having this horrible fucking nightmare about Michael and he feels an evil presence in the room. He he knows he's there with what little energy left that he has. He speaks to Michael with, he has no fear of death. He's asking him why, why he has his attention lately. He's kind of just like, joshing with him Mm -hmm. like what like what the fuck i just had this i'm an old man i just had this massive heart attack
1: what can you do to me what are you gonna do kill me like
2: (laughs) this heart attack almost fucking killed me right but he notices that michael is holding a bloody knife and sam says oh no like what have you done why won't you stop Mm -hmm. the only thing michael responds with is he throws him a plastic bag loomis opens it and inside is a severed hand holding old photos of himself Michael steps aside, revealing that the hand belonged to Elizabeth. He's got Elizabeth in the room tied up. He's cut her hand off. She's bleeding. Sam, panic-stricken, jumps to his feet, you know, tries to get out to let her go, but he's so he's so weak. He can't, he can't do anything. Saying, like, she you know, she means nothing to him. Michael responds by taking his knife, digging it into her eye socket, and gouging her eye out, continuing, uh. continuing to wound her. As a last-ditch effort, Sam, he begins mocking Michael. Claiming he could never, like, he could never get what he wants. Like, is that what you want? You want to relive the death of your original sister by killing the other one? And how he could, ne- Michael could never have that because a car accident took Lori's life. Hmm. Saying that his goal of killing both sisters, you know, fuck, you can't do it because a stupid car took her from you and hmm. you're mad like a child. You yeah, know? petulant even, and you're lashing out. He even compares him to Jack the Ripper, how he vanished, saying that after no longer being able to top himself and how Lori's death will never be able to give him that feeling because she's gone, of, you know, topping his original murder. You know, he he mocks Michael. Michael responds by disappearing completely. He, He vanishes from the room. Loomis goes over to check on her, and he notices that her back is bleeding. There's a ton of lacerations on her back. He starts inspecting them and feeling them and realizing that they're spelling out something. You know what they spelled out? Carrie Tate. Michael knew about Lori all along. Whoa. That was that was his that was his last trick that he played on Sam, realizing that he knew this big secret all along, that she's still alive and that I've been fucking with you all this time over it. <whistles> and Sam Sam dies. He yeah. dies right there. Um the next day, Elizabeth is, you know, reported missing by her family. And nothing in Sam Loomis's room seems completely out of order whatsoever. Like, his hospital, he, he's in his bed calmly. His hospital bed's fine. The room, there's no blood anywhere. But the nurse does notice a strong smell of disinfectant, meaning Michael cleaned it all up. Oh, wow. So, you know, several years, about three years later, while tidying up Sam's old office, Marion has kept it exactly the same, like we see in H2O. He, she's, you know, just tidying everything up, organizing things, looks through his files. sees the file labeled Carrie Tate. And since Marion thinks he's dead, never come back, she puts the file name Carrie Tate in the file name Laurie Strode hmm. that Michael gets in H2O. Huh. And that's the, that's the end of that one. Well, but the
1: question is, if Michael knew, I guess he was just waiting for the anniversary, why go back to Loomis's house at that point?
2: Well, as we see and as we will continue to see in the remaining comics, he spent all this time just, you know, fucking with Loomis. Mm. Because Loomis was the one person that desperately tried to understand and stop him, mm. he could never stop him clearly. And all this time trying to understand him, Michael was just f- fucking with him. Like because like he's still trying to, un- it's almost like he's still trying to understand me, but I'm gonna have fun messing with him because he never will. Mm. I, you know, it's like the Roddy Piper crow Just when they think they got the answer, I, I change the, the questions. questions. This was Michael's thing, and because of, I guess maybe because of the 15 years he spent with Sam, mm. he wanted to draw it out as long as he could. Mm-hmm. I mean, he spent 17 years apparently now fucking with him. Right. This, by the time Sam died, it was 1995. And yes, there is the anniversary deal with H2O, the fact that it's 20 years later and Lori has a son that's now the same age she was when he attacked. Mm-hmm. There, there, There's a reason and a rhyme to Michael Myers' methods, but they're so undefined. They just kind of are. It's just like, hmm, he's big on anniversaries, but why? We don't know. Mm-hmm. He's big on, you know, if he's going back for this anniversary, this victim has a son that's the same age she was. Why does that matter? Why does stalking Sam for 15 years matter? Like, you know, Sam kept him imprisoned, was trying to understand him, and I'm sure Michael relished in the fact that he drove him fucking nuts. Mm. But why? You know, like, all those questions are still there. Your boogeyman is still not explained. We just know that he spent the better part now 17 years driving Sam fucking nuts until he got the last laugh on him. Hmm. He got the last trick on him. Nice. Next is our second and final short story before we get back into comics when when, uh, Stefan Hutchinson would get a distribution deal with Devil's Due Publishing. This one is Halloween White Ghost, also in 2008. Everything from here on in comes out in 2008. Like, Stefan Hutchinson kept himself fucking busy in 2008. Yeah. All the final comics we got came out in 2008. Uh, it's another short story. Now, I was originally going to write this one off until I really sat and read through it because I had only skimmed through it before. It didn't come off as interesting to me. Okay. I thought through it. It stars a man named Christopher Hastings, and this takes place in 19, on Halloween Eve 1978 or in the, the early hours of Halloween. You know, midnight, it officially becomes Halloween, but mm-hmm. still technically. Like, what would you do last night when last night was really today? One of those technicalities. Gotcha. This man, Christopher Hastings, he is a truck driver for the Phelps Garage Company. Where have we heard about that before? Oh, boy. The truck driver Michael kills and takes his coveralls from. It takes place in the hours after Michael's escape. Uh, several Halloween 4, Halloween 2, and Halloween 1 uh, references are in here. Specifically Halloween 1 TV scene references. The scenes that were shot for television during the production of Halloween 2. Um, so I'll hand it over to you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> We introduced the Phelps Garage truck driver named Chris Hastings
1: on his last night out of work at work before morning <laughs> Uh, before moving to Chicago to start in his new job, working with his father, and with his father-in-law, excuse me, uh, he's genuinely displeased with his life and, and the jobs he's worked, and his, crap, and his, and, uh,
2: and his, his crappy marriage. He's he, he, he not happy with life. He's going from being a truck driver to fucking laying carpet for his father-in-law. He, for, from a nagging, pain-in-the-ass wife that he has a kid with and can't just leave. His
1: life is very unfulfilling to this point. Yes, he's
2: pretty much fucking miserable. At the end of his
1: day, he decides to take a quick trip to his childhood home in ha- of Haddonfield one last time. Yep,
2: he like- grew up in Haddonfield. He just decides, you know what? Before I bring back the company truck, I'm going to go on a little trip.
1: Likely, to getting himself into trouble in the process. After his first trip down Memory Lane uh, goes well. Each place he visits brings back thoughts of moving to Haddonfield, um, fitting in at school, his relationship with his father. The most uh, vivid memory of his childhood love, uh, uh, Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Robinson.
2: Yeah, he was not born in Haddonfield. He moved there with his father at the age of, what, 13, I think? Yeah. And you know he grew up there, and he he when he was young he found a crush, this one young woman named Sylvia. He he crushed on her for years until he finally decided to ask her out, and she said yes,
1: yes. After six years of dating, they were set to be married, but one um one bad choice destroyed all this. Yeah, Chris- he, he
2: made a pretty fucking stupid mistake that ruined everything in more in very bad ways, as we will get into.
1: Uh, Chris's, uh, this is his old home, becomes, a uh, a paper one when he remembers his unofficial bachelor party at that Rabbit and Red Lounge.
2: Yep, he, his the- friends take him as he, as he... the fuck was that? Just... Uh, the shelf behind oh, okay, you. I just banged into something. Sorry, folks. Production woes. Mm-hmm. Let me move my chair a little. But yes, uh he gets an unofficial bachelor party with his friends at the ra- the famed Rabbit and Red Lounge.
1: Yeah, he comes to the rescue of a woman being accosted at the uh, Rabbit and Red. He gets caught up with him and,
2: and as the woman... Um... There was something about like town folk, like, like there were certain people that lived on a certain part of town that were kind of like, like the rednecks of Haddonfield. Mm. Like the, uh, the, the bitch I will crawl over here and skull fuck the shit out of you.
1: Yes, the the, the primary cast of uh, Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Yes,
2: yes. He's drunk and she's being accosted and messed with and he comes to her defense mm. and Unfortunately, that that heroic act under the influence of alcohol leads him to banger in his car. Yeah, they, they they do it. He unfortunately cheats on his fiance in a in the heat of the moment.
1: Yes, and it, but
2: he feels immediately guilty when he's sobered up, and he tells Sylvia of his infidelity. Yep, he he he's not going to keep his secret. He wants to, he won't he wants to confess. You know, he tries to come forward, and her response is just just cold, shutting him the fuck out. And
1: then the pain overwhelms her. The memory's too much for Chris. He spends, uh, he speeds out of the town as fast as he can. By the time he calms down, he stops at the highway twenty-four railroad tracks, a nearby payphone from it we see from Halloween one. Yes, he, he like as he's
2: thinking back about this, the memory just overwhelms him, and, and he speeds the fuck out of Haddonfield. He re- realizing you cannot go home again. This was a bad mistake visiting this place one last time. And when he finally like comes to, he realizes where he's actually stopped at. It was the. Highway 24 train tracks with the payphone that Loomis visits in the beginning of Halloween where his body is found. And that particular place has more meaning to him than uh, we are led on to believe.
1: Yes, because upon repain- regaining his composure, he remembers he's realizing he's faced his most painful memory yet. Yep. And after confessing to Sylvia, she calls him uh, later that night from uh, the said payphone and asks her to meet him there. Arriving at the tracks, Chris finds a drunk, uh, finds... Um, Sylvia's drunk. She's yes.
2: been. She meets him out there, with that exact area. She's been drinking, and and just said, "Never mind." Wearing her wedding dress,
1: and what Chris has done, staggering closely to the tracks, not seeing the um, oncoming train, Chris raises to save her, but at the last second, stumble costs him, and, and he witnesses her death as she's
2: smeared by the train. Sylvia gets hit by the. Chris, his, his last minute fuck up, causes her to get killed. And he witnesses this,
1: and the memory is too much for him, and he collapses to his knees and in sorrow, overcome with emotion, he sees the shape in the white in hospital gown, and vision is Sylvia still alive, forgiving him. He can't Syl- really, he can't really make
2: out what that is. This person in this, in this, like in white, you know, it's really, it's really a man in a white hospital gown that we that we know of, mm-hmm. you know. But overcome with grief, he looks and and just like he he thinks it's Sylvia that like, oh my God, you're really alive, and you've you you've come to. Forgive me and embrace her, but the the embrace is fatal.
1: Okay. You know like how people make jokes of the fact of like you think of Star Wars action figures and uh, every everybody in the background has got an action figure for Star Wars. Oh,
2: Glumu Uptu and Klegman and Moog and on the back
1: of the action figure there's a little bio of detailing of who they are. Why is it bad that I'm thinking of that when I read of the story? Oh no,
2: that's why it originally instilled absolutely no fucking interest in me whatsoever when I for when I first saw it there, you know. I mean, I'm glad I read through it. I was almost thinking that this guy, like, dated Judith Myers at one point or There's no mention of Michael Myers at all until the end when Chris, you know, overcome with grief, has his little fucking hallucination and is killed by Michael Myers mm. in his hospital gown. But, I mean, it's not a bad story. I mean, it's not scary. It's sad, certainly. Right. Um, but one of the interesting things about it, too, is that earlier in it, Pretty much, right. Right when Chris decides to go go there, uh, we do cut back to Smiths Grove and kind of get a bit of the aftermath, mm-hmm. where uh, like the nurses and the patients are running around saying the devil, the devil's on the loose, and Loomis asking about you know where's the security supposed to be here, and we we get mentioned the character Bernardi who from the TV scenes when Loomis is asking who is supposed to be watching him, right? Bernardi, Bernardi, where was he? Well, mm-hmm. he he didn't come, Doctor. And one of the patients in there was actually Reverend Sayer from Halloween Four, ah. screaming about the devil coming to kill us. Huh, that's annoying. So, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting side story. I mean, you don't need to explore every side character in something, you know? No. Like, and, and I hope Star Wars learns from that and doesn't make eighteen spinoffs a year.
1: We are getting a Mandalorian's TV series, though.
2: Sure. Why, why not? Why the fuck not? I'm, I'm sure the Mandalorians are related to fucking Chewbacca somehow, because shoehorn character, cause everything Because for a galaxy that's supposed to be so big, it's the same fucking people. <sighs> that's why, why I like... All the, the, same the same fucking people. That's why I like The Last Jedi. It doesn't, has, doesn't have to all be connected. Just, well, that, uh, That's why I like the revelation that Rey's parents were nobodies. Yeah. I'm not going to say I like The Last Jedi because... Uh, I don't have an interest in it anymore. It didn't. It didn't strike me like the others. I don't. I don't hate it by any fucking. Yeah, it's my stri- second favorite in the series. Really? Yeah. I don't hate it by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but I don't think it's the best one. But I. I like that. Yeah. Just because, like, I just hope the
1: guys that retconned in the next
2: one. It probably will be. Anyway, you know what? Why, why didn't they just hire J. J. Abrams? Hire one person for all three. Have if you're gonna make a fucking trilogy of movies, have it be one person's vision. Why should? Why should the next guy have to figure out your murder mystery? You know. <laughs> I mean. It's a lot to commit to. It is a lot to commit It's a lot to commit to. But you know what? Look the huge- Russo's
1: brothers did, like, fucking two Captain America's movie and now two Avenger movies. I mean, obviously, Marvel is able to uh, keep uh, a consistent vision with the same screenwriters and same directors and telling- weaving that story.
2: Yeah, but here's the thing, though. With those... Before we – let's finish this tangent we just – because I think we've done really good at not getting off on a tangent. Mm. Each of those started out with this individual character story and a little thing underneath that links it all together mm. until we get to the big thing that links it all together. Right. Yeah, we did with, Winter Soldier,
1: did the Civil War. With then Star,
2: they, yeah, with Star Wars, it's all fucking – all three parts are linked together. Every aspect of it is linked together.
1: Even though the original series was not initially meant to be a trilogy, it was made up I as know. it went. Yeah, I know. Anyway.
2: But anyways – uh, we continue now with Halloween Night Dance. This yes. one is definitely gets a lot of attention. This is the first real fresh story of Michael Myers outside of Thorn trilogies and Doctor Loomis and Laurie Strode and all that. Uh, this, I believe, is the first. Yep, this is the first comic under their deal with Devil's Due Publishing, mm-hmm. who would produce all the, who would publish all the comics from here on in, and whose unfortunate uh, bankruptcy. I don't want to say bankruptcy. I don't know the goddamn story anymore, unfortunately. And I look, really looked it up. The information is starting to dry up about it, mm-hmm. about what happened with this deal. But okay. as, as we will get to by the end, this, this uh, was very short-lived. Um, this actually takes place in the town of Russellville in the year 2000 on Halloween. It begins on Halloween Eve. A young woman named Lisa is leaving for school that day. She has a chronic fear of the dark. She has a constant fear that something's always there. Iron Maiden reference? Ah. Fear of the dark. dark. Fear of, of the, the dark. dark,
0: yeah. I, I have, have a constant, constant fear that constant someone's always near. near.
2: Have you ever been alone oh, at on, night? Something, uh, something, something. God something. damn it, I'm going to blast that. Let's get back that. to this book now. Okay. When she leaves school, she has a chronic, chronic fear of the dark from some trauma that happens to her many years ago. Stop laughing. <laughs> We're on a <the> time constraint. <laughs> That's what you always say. <laughs> she takes solace in this little ballerina music box that she keeps. And she dream- she dreams of herself as a ballerina dancing all her troubles away, you know? She's a maniac, maniac, for sure. And she's dancing like she's never danced
1: before. Okay, enough.
2: But unfortunately, her dreams always end in this terror from this traumatic event where she's consumed by total darkness as a ballerina. So as she leaves for school one day, she, she makes a habit of checking her mailbox every morning because a young boy that she used to babysit for uh, named Daniel usually leaves her like a little letter with like, this nice little crayon, happy little crayon drawing, mm-hmm. a simple child's drawing. She no longer babysits for him um, because of said incident that caused her fear of the dark some time ago, and she harbors a horrible guilt over it. Huh? What it is, we'll get into Meanwhile, over in Chicago, a young couple named Ryan and Marcy, they're preparing a trip to Russellville because Marcy's family lives there, and she has not heard from them in several weeks. It's very important. Oh. Uh, Ryan just absolutely dotes over Marcy. He fucking loves everything about her. He C- cannot visualize his life without her. Mm. Just the thought of it you know, drives him fucking nuts. Hum- that's how in love with he is. We then cut to this dark-, in this dark and scary place, this young woman who later is identified as a character named Abby. She awakes, and she's tied by her neck to a door, wondering where the hell she is, where her boyfriend Ben is. Uh, she manages to free herself, and she examines the room and sees a dresser drawer filled with shape masks. Tons of shape masks. Ah. Something is addressed in the first death of Lori Strode, which we'll get to later. And she starts to recall her attacker, you know, who it was. Like, mm. oh, God, it's, she sees the mask that I have sitting. Over there, mm-hmm. I have my little Michael Myers mask sitting across the room. Yes, this is
1: our totem like, who's washed over us through these past few podcasts. Yes.
2: But back at school, Lisa's greeted by her friends Sean and Nikki. There's always a friend named Nikki, isn't there? Yes, there is. Hi, Nikki. Yes. Uh, they decide to start making Halloween plans for the next day. Nikki's supposed to be grounded, mm. you know, but they don't they, they want to think of something, but uh, nobody's interested. So Lisa finally opens Daniel's letter, and then there's, you know, the child's crayon drawings of her very nice and innocent. The final one, however, is a drawing... ...of Lisa nude and stabbed to death, bleeding. Oh! Shocking the shit out of her and her friends. Meanwhile, Abby has freed herself and discovers Michael Myers... ...he's just sitting in a rocking chair in front of this fireplace in this old house... Mm -hmm. ...staring at the body of Ben, her boyfriend. He's been impaled and hung over the fireplace mantle. So, you know... That's kind of fucked up. That's fucked up. So, meanwhile, Ryan and Marcy, you know, they're traveling to Russellville... One of the things they did, because it's Halloween, is they made little, like, candy grab bags. You know, it, it's like the little uh, pumpkin. Oh, like, little orange, emblem and everything. Orange like, with yeah. a pumpkin emblem. It was tied at the top of Restrained, candy. Restraint. Yeah, I like, got gotcha. Sharing. They got a car, fucking car full of those. Uh, Abby escapes with Michael in full pursuit. Uh, she makes it onto the highway. It comes out of nowhere. And fucking Ryan and Marcy accidentally hit her with their car.
1: Oh, boy.
2: Yep. Yeah. Marcy goes out to check on her, but Ryan, you know, he hit the, his head hits the steering wheel. He was kind of bumped on the noggin a bit. She goes out to check her, but out of the shadows, Michael comes and fucking impales her with his knife. Oh, shit. And pulls her into the darkness. Ryan, he sees this, but, uh, you know, in his mind, it's like, oh, my God, she's not dead. She's not dead. You know, it's just, it's just a little airborne. It's still good. It's still good. <laughs> it's gone, Dad. It's not that, But his injuries are too great, and he passes out right next to Abby on the road. Uh, Next morning, it's Halloween morning. Lisa takes another letter out of her mailbox from Daniel. But Before she could read it, Sean pulls up in his car, suggesting that they all skip school for the day and go to a Halloween carnival that's in town. She agrees, and they drive off. As they drive off, though, right across the way, the street, there's Michael watching them. Oh. So I'm wondering who's leaving those those letters in her mailbox now. Oh, boy. That's the end of issue one. This Mm -hmm. is a four-part series. Issue two begins... Lisa's recalling a, a part of her trauma that happened. Uh, some time ago, her and an unconscious Daniel were trapped in the cellar of this old abandoned house. She st- eventually, the, the cellar door is like closed on her. She sees someone do it, and she's locked it. That's where, where her fear of total darkness comes from. She's apparently trapped in the cellar with this boy, and that's where her guilt comes from. What What else happens with that story? We'll find out later. Oh. So she finally snaps out of it. She's at the carnival with Sean and Nikki. She's kind of bugged out by all the Halloween imagery of stuff, you know. She's kind of on edge from She's this. not feeling it. She ain't feeling it, and she ain't right. So they go in the merry-go-round, and as she's on there rotating around, she sees Michael Myers staring at her in the far distance.
1: Oh, that'd be a really cool thing to see. As you're going around, you Does see him get closer. And then,
2: but then the motion of. Well, no, no. He's there at the distance, but then as she goes around, you know. He's taken out of her sight. She can't really stand there and watch. She's forcibly taking it. Yeah. As she's riding on the merry-go-round. So afterwards, they get off of it. They go uh, investigate, but no one's there. Uh, Ryan, meanwhile, by this, by this day, you know, Halloween day, has come too, and he brings Abby to the hospital. Uh, while unconscious, though, Abby has memories of how she was captured. Her and Ben were inspecting the long-abandoned Charlie Bowles house, where old Charlie Bowles, about 15 years ago, murdered his entire family with a hacksaw. Mm-hmm. Now, that is actually the primary place where Michael Myers has, I guess, taken Taking a residence. Taken a residence, yeah. Now, if he's mo- he, he's, mo- he's on the move, folks. He's moved out of his old stomping grounds. He's, he's getting out of town. He's seeing the world. Yes. And he decides to stop at another murderer's house and stay there. Uh, Abby and Ben were inspecting the long-abandoned house, planning to have a Halloween party there with their friends. Plans were cut short as Michael has begun living in it, you know? So mm. he captures them yeah. and... Killed Ben and... Killed Ben and... and, and we are where we are now. Uh, at the fair, Lisa looks through that day's letter left in her mailbox. It's a drawing of a ballerina, kind of confusing her, like the children's crown drawing. She she doesn't know that Daniel would know that she has, you know, a fixation. I'm, not a fixation, but a fantasies of being a ballerina. Like, right. owns a music box. Like, what the fuck?
1: Like, how would he know
2: that? Yeah. It confuses the share her. how Daniel would know about her dreams and that. In addition, there's a picture of a young woman who Sean thinks resembles Lisa, but the name written on it is Judith. It's a photograph of Judith Myers. Lastly is a picture of a giant jack-o'-lantern eating a naked Lisa alive. Oh my. Yep. Her response is scared, not knowing what that what the deal is with these. Back at the hospital, Ryan's injuries, they have been treated, but the police he's being held for questioning by the cops. He ain't allowed to leave. He believes it to be the work of Michael Myers. The cops don't even want to; they don't want to believe it. They don't even want that name fucking mentioned. Mm. You know, everyone, it's always the place. Now nah, he's dead. You know, he's come back fucking twenty times, but he's he's definitely dead this time. Yeah, definitely. Twenty twenty times the charm. That motherfucker's <laughs> dead. Uh, frustrated with them, and they're and he just being desperate to find Marcy. He breaks out of the hospital, smashes out a window, climbs down the fire escape, and gets out. Mm. Uh, after the fair, though, we cut to Nikki, who you know she's pumpkin carving she's interrupted by the doorbell opening the door it's michael and he immediately fucking attacks her oh wow there's a hold of her <clears throat> starts choking her down the ground he takes a fucking granny smith apple one of those green ones stuffs it in her mouth takes a thing of lipstick draws a clown smile over it and then takes his knife and shoves it up through her chin and neck into her head oh geez uh the issue ends with ryan sitting in front of a house just trying to complicate complicate contemplate what the hell his next move is and how the hell he's gonna get marcy back from this killer
0: hmm.
2: issue three begins with lisa telling the full story of her past she, she's coming clear this one two years earlier she took daniel out for the day hanging out in the woods they came across the old bull's house that's where they were trapped daniel excited at this place thinks it's pretty cool he runs in but lisa when she's trying to chase after him trips what is it with these characters tripping at the last it's minute. a horror
1: cliche at this point.
2: People from Illinois, do you tie your fucking shoelaces together?
1: I don't know. People from Illinois, please write in.
2: She enters the house, looks for him, and it finds this open, like floor cellar. It's it, it, it's like the cellar in Evil Dead. That's with the floor hatch. Had, yeah. Safest places in the cellar. Different movie. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel's down there, and he's unconscious. He fell in in the dark. So she goes in to check on him, but sees a shape standing up there, looking at them. Closes the hatch and locks him in. They were found two days later by a search party, and Le- Lisa was so fucked by it, she didn't speak for two weeks, and Daniel was permanently fucked in the head. because He's just a little boy. Oh, geez. She hasn't sat for him since, and she blames the whole incident. Like, why wasn't I fast enough? Yeah. So meanwhile, Ryan, he finally decides what his next move is going to be. He's going to go to Marcy's family with what their original intent for coming to Russellville was and look for help. You know, he doesn't know where else to turn. the the cops are after him. But maybe Marcy's family will help me. Right. Uh, Lisa and Sean, you know, return to her house. Lisa was telling the whole story to Sean as they were just hanging out with his car, just out in a field somewhere. And back to her house where Sean suggests, in a very horror, in a very horror movie trope, to clear your head, why don't you take a shower? They're, they're not dating, by the way. They're just friends. You know? huh. If anything, I think there's one scene where it implies that Sean is actually interested in, in uh, Nikki Moore. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah, just go take a shower. That'll clear your head. I'll just take a seat? So briefly coming back to the hospital, though, Abby is finally awoken from her unconsciousness. As Lisa sh- showers, you know, at Lisa's, she's showering. Sean, he goes to make a phone call, but he notices the phone is dead. Suddenly... Something is dropped into the shower while Lisa's in there. It's her cat who's been dead and disemboweled.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: As soon as she screams, the lights are cut out. But when they turn back on, she's leapt out of the shower, standing there naked and wet, confronted by Michael. She screams for help. Sean runs up the stairs, but Michael quickly picks him up and just throws him back down. Michael, he goes down the stairs, doesn't attack Sean, but he just leaves. So Sean gets up. He's pissed off. He goes after this guy. Always remember, Michael's got a a trick for everything. Yeah. So Lisa goes into her room and finds all the drawings that Daniel left of all, like, her being stabbed or whatever, all over the fucking walls along with the picture of Judith. So we now kind of confirm that it's been Michael that's been sending these to her.
1: That's creepy.
2: So Sean, you know, follows after him. Sees that he's going into the nearby cemetery. Lisa gets dressed real quick, grabs a knife, and she follows after While on her way, trying to follow Sean's trail, she realizes she's about to pass Daniel's house, thinking, oh, shit, like, these letters I thought were from this little boy, but they're actually from this fucking killer. He might have done something to this kid. She goes to check, but she's stopped by Ryan. Ryan actually reveals the house is actually Marcy's family, and Daniel is Marcy's little brother. So our our pets have converged here.
1: I was wondering whether, like, these plots were going to converge at some point.
2: She. She shows Ryan the, the letters that she had in her pocket and shows the picture, the Judith picture. Ryan instantly recognizes it as Judith Myers, and he fears the worst. He goes to enter, but someone's taped a razor blade to the door handle, and he cuts his hand on it. Oh. Back at the cemetery, Sean, he's lost ca- track of Michael, but he notices an open grave. He goes in and looks and like he sees Nikki's body in the open grave. Michael ter- Michael gets behind him and kills him with a fucking shovel. shovel. He's quite the shovel-headed kill machine, isn't he?
1: Double-headed kill machine. And the final
2: thought that goes through his mind before the shovel is him and Lisa earlier on discussing their own mortality and how they don't want to die one day. No. So, a little too late there, pal.
1: Yep. Day late and a shovel short.
2: Issue four begins with Ryan and Marcy, uh, Ryan and Lisa entering Marcy's family's house, and unfortunately, their worst fears have come true. They find the long-dead bodies of her family, including little Daniel. <sighs> Bodies are set up on the couch and, like, a sitting up, you know, looking at the TV position, Mm. and all their throats have been slit. Jeez. Ryan pleads with Lisa to come with him, believing believing that since this guy's after her, that they'll find Marcy. Lisa, you know, mentions her story about being locked in the Bulls basement by Michael, and that's the clue. So Ryan steals a car, kind of forces Lisa to come with her. Mm. She's, like, screaming for help. A couple of trick-or-treaters notice this, and they drive off. Back at the hospital, Abby tells the police her story. That and a call reporting Ryan taking Lisa, you know, people called 911 Confirm this, like, to say that, and everything Ryan's told the police, it it confirms their worst fears. Michael Myers has come to Russellville. Uh, Some of the cops don't think they're good, you know, one of the cops says to the sheriff, like, what if it is, Michael? Then we better pray we all fucking make it through the night. Mm. So the cops are now in hot pursuit. Uh, The stolen car dies near the woods that the bull's house is at and mm-hmm. Ryan, despite he, he realizes how much he's like hurting Lisa by doing this. Yeah. But like, he, he just justifies it. Oh, I'll be okay. Once I get Marcy back, it'll all be okay. I'll let this girl go. As they start through the woods, they notice the little candy bags that they had making a little trail to the bull's house. So they get to the house, and after investigating, Ryan's worst fear—his worst fear—comes true. They find Marcy's mutilated body hung by her arms to the wall. Her face has been sliced open, and a candle stuck in the head like an lantern. Fucking David Gordon Green had to have read some of these. Must he have. Had to have. Must have. Yep. This is the entire police force is en route right now. Just cars, sirens, and cars. Michael enters the room. Ryan attacks him, but he's slashed across the face. Lisa. <laughs> She manages to grab a big wooden beam, like a two-by-four, hits him in the back of the Die! head with no reaction. Die! No, this one shatters. Oh, damn it. It does nothing, so she runs like hell. Manages to, you know, find solace, like, retreating into a a, to a room. But Michael knows she's in there, closes the door, and locks her in it. Now, she, this is at nighttime. Mm-hmm. With this girl that has a chronic fear of the dark, locked in a fucking room in a spooky house with the killer she knows is there. Yeah. It caused all this in the dark. So she's having herself a nice little mini freak out. Mm. I'd say wouldn't say I'd say full blown panic attack. Right. So he returns to Ryan, who's just staring at Marcy's body, just like overcome with sadness, grabs him, cuts out his tongue, places a spare shape mask over him. Lisa manages to get out of the room, but she comes across the cellar entrance that, that caused all her fears and just She's overcome with like, no, not this fucking place. But she realizes I have to hide from this fucking guy. So Mm -hmm. she willingly goes in the cellar, closes the hatch, willingly puts herself in the place that fucked her up mentally. Ryan, he's kind of come to, but he's dazed as fuck. He can't speak because his tongue has been cut out. He he exits the house, but the cops have just arrived. Full beams of light on him. They see him in the shape mask. They don't ask questions because even the cops are two and three and they all open fire on fucking Ryan. Oh him. my! Now this actually harkens back to the ending of the un- of the unfilmed Halloween Returns, mm. when Michael subdues Doctor his Doctor Rogers, his mm. quote unquote psychiatrist, yeah, that clearly isn't Loomis. He's like injured him where he can't speak. He puts the mask on him, and and Doctor Rogers goes staggering out after he lets him go. But the cops realize it's not Michael mm. and don't kill him. Ah. That's where they go in and see that Michael. That's how Michael escapes. Gotcha. Yeah, returns, so, they, so people have to have fucking read this that are in Hollywood. Hmm. It's, I see these ideas repeating like crazy, right? So in the cellar, Lisa, she's just trying to calm herself down, but she does not realize that behind her there is a shape slowly fading into as our eyes adjust, much like a, our famous Tommy Lee Wallace shot, hmm. um,
1: Dean Cundy shot,
2: Dean Cundy shot. My bad, mm-hmm. love you, Dean. Mm-hmm. But you know, she starts like having. Oh, As she's taken and passes out, she starts having all the nightmares of as a ballerina being killed. The next morning, she awakes in total darkness, naked, and just completely confined, screaming for herself. She's unaware. She's actually been buried alive in a coffin with a makeshift wooden cross over it with the name Judith Judith Myers on it. Back at her house in the epilogue, Michael finds her ballerina music box, and he closes it for good, dashing that girl's dream. That's creepy. Yep. That's really good. I like that. That's a good, damn good fucking story, isn't mm-hmm. it? We are followed up now with Halloween: Thirty Years of Terror. This was a thirtieth anniversary anthology series released in two thousand eight as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's five stories placed throughout the entire H two O timeline. Okay. All right. I'll hand it over to you.
1: Okay. Uh, the first one called Trick or Treat. Real, real original. Uh, <laughs> well, aren't they all? Uh, yes. On Halloween, nineteen seventy eight, Joe and Mary. Uh, Mackenzie, we're introduced to the, the Mackenzie's, are enjoying the end of their normal Halloween when their doorbell rings. They are greeted by a terrified Tommy Doyle and Lindsay Wallace, telling them that the boogeyman has attacked them and called the police. Joe hears the the six gunshots and tells Mary to call the police. As she calls them, uh, she and... As she calls them, he's unaware of the shape is uh, viewing her through the window. Yep,
2: Michael's been shot out the window. He's made his way as he's retreating, he's made his way past the Mackenzie's house. I don't know if that's a coincidence or not, yeah. or if he heard Lori say that, but as he's as Mary McKenzie's calling the police, Michael's watching her through the window.
1: Mm-hmm. The years have passed, so and so has Joe McKenzie. Yep, Joe has passed away in the time. And Mary has never forgotten the night that she's, in, even in her solitude. Another Halloween uh, comes around. Trick-or-treaters are at, the, at, the, at Mary's door. She hands them their candy. As the children uh, bite into them, deadly tricks are played, and the candy is filled with razor blades.
2: Yep, all the kids bite into the candy, and it's filled with razor blades. Oh, jeez.
1: Uh, um, the other children notice that Michael Myers is inside sitting in Joe's chair, and Mary notices that the candy bowl is filled with razor blades. When she looks at Michael, he's gone, and Mary is reminded of the horror that she visited her, uh, that has followed her, and she will never forget it.
2: Yep, so that if the night in 1978 when the two screaming children calling for help didn't screw her up enough, because these were people from that sleepy little town. That terror is revisited, and Michael never forgot her. He replaced all the can- her, her Halloween candy; it filled it with candy with razor blades in it. Hmm. And as the children, you know, look inside, they see him sitting in Joe's old chair. You know how every old person has their old chair, just yeah. sitting in Joe's old chair. But when she turns to look, you know, he's, she looks down at the razor blade candy, looks up, he's gone, and realizes that you know th- that terror will never escape me. Hmm. That's story uh,
1: one. Uh, second story called POV. Through the eyes of someone standing uh, backstage, we see uh, the the beauty pageant, uh, The beauty pageant, of a beauty pa- queen pageant uh, winner. She walks backstage past everyone, applause, and, and heads are heads toward the dressing room. The person watching uh, holds up a knife and examines it. We then switch to the beauty queen's perspective of these events, watching the audience and uh, the applause. The uh, seen and she's her parents applauding, and all smiles. As the beauty queen continues past everyone, she on stage. She fails to see the shape entering the dressing room. She enters, sits at, at the mirror, and she all smiles with the and with the knife. But she until she sees the knife wielding shape approaches her. Approaches her, and then she is shown. From his perspective, and then repeats it from hers as he strangles and then decapitates her, leaves her severed head on the front of the mirror looking at herself.
2: Yeah, this is an interesting story. It goes with the whole uh, POV shots of Michael Myers that are very famous. Right. Where we see it from both the perspective of him and his victim. Mm-hmm. His victim is a beauty queen at this pageant, you know, receiving her awards and everything. He's watching her from backstage. Sneaks into her dressing room. From her POV, though, she fails to see him sneak. We, we, The audience can see this shadowy figure going in there. He's hiding in the corner. She comes in, sits down, all smiles because she's one. But he approaches her, and through both of their perspectives, we are shown the killing of her, where he, you know, stabbing her, chopping her head off, and her looking up at him as it happens, and it ends with her severed head staring at the, meter, the, the mirror. This is uh, autopsy photo of this is in Halloween autopsies.
1: Oh. Yep. The next one is called Visiting Hours. Laurie Strode remembers uh, back to the repressed memory of visiting uh, the boy at the asylum. The memory uh, appeared as a dream before in uh, in 1978. And it it preoccupied her so much that she forgot to drop off the key at the Myers house, causing her father to lose the sale. She remembers more of it and the memory thinks of it over 10 years later, happily married with a son. As Annie drops her son off to be babysat, she feels something isn't right. The boy in the memory knows her and won't stop staring at her. Another ten years pass, and she's... a headmistress for private school as she again feels something that, the night that she felt when and she sees Annie's ghost. Writing Sam Samhain on the chalkboard. Without warning, the boy grows and uh, up and kills everyone she knows, destroying her world. Lori is straight out of the sanitarium. Lori... She's staring out, staring at the, out the window. Staring. Excuse me. Sorry if my handwriting sucks. No, 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 no. It just got just a little smeared there. Uh, staring at the, And she tries to visualize what a life would have been like if Michael never found her. But her memories of uh, of her, her, her loss are so lost and overpowered. She knows one day he'll return, and he does, and she'll, she'll be there to face him.
2: Yeah, this is interesting when you first actually read this one because it's like, wait a minute. Lori did drop the key off. Michael killed her. She didn't, you know, in, in 1988, her life wasn't that good. Basically, she's she's going back to the repressed memory from H two of seeing Michael in the asylum, and she's trying to imagine what life would have been like had she not dropped the key off at the Myers house. If she didn't, he might not have noticed her, mm. or even ever found her. You know, maybe he would have killed someone else. Who the hell knows? And ten years later, you know, she might have been all grown, had a nice had a son, had a family, and he would still be alive, babysitting her kids. And one of the reoccurring things that she has in this memory is where she forgets something. And that's and it leads to you know it leads to, to something else. And she always tells Annie, "Sorry, I'm making a lot of mistakes these days." But as it goes on, we see that her what the memory that she has made for herself of what she wishes her life would have been like is nothing compared to the memories that she is stuck with mm-hmm. of Michael killing all her friends. So by the time it gets to her, the memory of her being a headmistress. Annie is, you know, the memory of Annie being killed is alive, and she sees Annie as a ghost, not as her friend that's still alive. Mm. And she realizes, well, in the sanitarium, that no matter how much she wants to think of a happy life, the thought of Michael Myers will always be there. It will always corrupt her, and that one day he'll come for her, and when he does, she'll be free. She she knows she's going to die, pretty much. Mm.
1: The next one is called Tommy and the Boogeyman. Tommy Doyle is being scared. Um, Scorned by his wife, excuse me, one night for uh, for leaving his... Uh, Tarantula Man comic. comic <laughs> lying around.
2: This one is actually a Tarantula Man comic, mostly. Just a short Tarantula Man story. Yeah.
1: Not wanting their son to read uh, this garbage. Uh, muff Cabbage is this. It's Muff Cabbage. <laughs> Tommy reads the tales of horror and... Uh, to two girls, Rebecca and Haley, are walking at the same time. T- two girls, Haley, are walking home from school, failing to notice the missing persons poster. Rebecca,
2: um, yeah, Rebecca's face is on a missing po- missing persons poster as they walk past it. She's yeah. failing to notice it, like what at, the hell? As they
1: reach the, her house, Rebecca and Haley, uh, Haley part, and Haley comes by. coming by, Haley's like, gonna to come say, by later. Yeah, we go study. Uh, inside the house, uh, it is covered with giant spider webs and a trail of her uh, and. Trailer, her, her underwear, underwear is leading up the stairs. Oh, jeez! And the transfer, the room of the transfer man is going through her underwear. Through her. Her He's underwear even like
2: sniffing her fucking panties too.
1: He tries to flee, but it's all all overtaken by the his web. Haley returns to her house, uh, to, to house later, and sees transfer man with his fangs and Rebecca. He lets go of her, noticing Haley. A large spider bursts from uh, Rebecca's, Rebecca's
2: mouth. Yeah, like he, like the fangs in her. He was like impregnating her with like spider eggs, mm. I guess.
1: Haley runs for her life, but no, but nothing. Uh, uh, she doesn't notice that she there's
2: a missing persons poster of her, her that's been posted,
1: um, proving that a man will always catch you. Tommy is inspired and continues work on his comic, inspired by his life's events, and starts and stairs, um, stars uh, Michael Myers with a thorn tattoo on his wrist, pursuing a
2: little girl named Jamie. Now, that's the interesting thing. Tommy, he's a, apparently – it doesn't say if he's a comic artist because at the beginning of the comic, he's actually drawing a picture of like a house. Right. So I kind of thought maybe he's like an architectural conceptualist, but maybe he's just drawing the house from like something. Right. It, he could be drawing the H5 Myers house. What this implies is that in this h continuity, that the Thorn trilogy is actually a comic book written by Tommy Doyle. Because huh. they actually show at the end, the ending panels is like scribble drawings of the thorn tattoo on Michael's wrist, a rough sketch of Michael, right. and uh, a rough sketch of Jamie when she sees him in H4 screaming, like in the in the Vincent Drugstore. Huh. So that's sort of their way of, of acknowledging the Thorn trilogy. That's cool. That'd be a cool way to do it. Yeah. And we also get to see what the, the crappy comics that Tommy's parents did want him to have. Mm-hmm. He's reading Tarantula Man number one, and that's just some, you know, Depraved fucking.
1: Like something EC Comics would write and every. or published and such. Yeah,
2: it's just some like depraved pulp comics mm. that he reads about some tarantula man that, you know, fucking targets girl. little. targets young girls and already puts up wanted posters of them fucking before they're even missing because no matter what, he's gonna get you. He's gonna get you. He's gonna get, he's
1: gonna get, get you. you. He's gonna get you. Booger man. Booger man. I'm, I'm just thinking of Rob Zombie's cover of. Boogeyman? Oh, yeah? Because it, 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 it starts with that audio of the kids um, taunting
2: uh, Tommy Doyle from Halloween. I'm thinking of the boogie-woogie man, Jimmy Valiant.
1: Whoa, boogie-woogie oh, man! Oh,
2: mercy daddy! Uh, the boogie man is here, yeah. baby.
1: Speaking of the Boogeyman, <laughs> re- in the final st- short story... Uh, Repetition r- Compulsion. It is October 30th, 1989. A school teacher teaches her class over the word... Uh, uh, overboard and, and she's overworked and help them through the spooky
2: fears of Halloween she teaches them a single word that she always be, you know with because these are little kids if you're scared just smile yes that is the way to defeat the evil just be able to s- smile, smile right in the face of
1: it just be happy and yeah. it'll go away if you just smile no fear can hurt you as the class dismisses and she sees a shape watching and Sam Loomis office stressed out over not knowing where Michael will strike next and Marion uh, um, notices that Sam's uh, shape mask staring at her Sam claims that it was the last face it was last facing his desk and then they realize that Michael's been there and pointed the mask towards his map on the map there's a new pin on, on said map and has been added to with a small drawing o- of a dog on it yeah so Michael
2: like he's as we see as you we're asking from the Sam story. He's been fucking with Loomis for years. Mm. He enters his house, points his shape mask at the fucking desk, and mm. Loomis doesn't even realize it. And on the there, there's a new pin on the map added, and there's a tiny little crayon drawing of a doggy, and the pin is for the school.
1: The pin is a painting of the elementary school that the teacher that we were speaking about for a moment ago works at. Um, Sam and Marion arrive, and Michael is, well, as was same and Michael enters the teacher's classroom. As they investigate the grounds, the teacher is desperately trying to get together to get their attention, but Michael has her mouth uh, covered. Sam and Marion find an injured dog near death, with a crayon drawing of
2: Loomis with the word Sam stapled on the dog. Yeah, the dog's not even dead. Even Loomis says like the dog's not even dead yet.
1: In the school, as uh, as in, as this Michael kills the school teacher. The next morning, the teachers find the body, and is tied to a swing set to, with her mouth with the word "smile" held open. Like, oh, jeez. Yeah,
2: like he. What he does is he like I don't want to say crucifies her, but has her in like the crucifix position, tied yeah. up on the swing set with like the chain swings, mm-hmm. and he's forced her mouth open with barbed wire into a smiling position. Jeez. Loomis see, reads the, sees this and real, hears this on the radio and realizes that the whole dog thing was a diversion. He even uses the line, I was like a stupid dog. You told me to fetch and here I came. Huh. Showing that this is what Loomis has been doing for 17 years. This repet- this compulsive, repetitious pattern of michael he believes Michael strikes somewhere and he goes to look. But he can never find anything. Hmm. Showing that, showing that j- just no matter what, he's got Loomis by the fucking balls. Because Loomis is so desperate to figure him out and stop him, but he ne- he never can. Huh. That's... That, see, that goes a little bit more into uh, the events of Sam. Yeah, it does. Asking why, c- 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 it, I guess that's just Michael's ultimate goal with Dr. Loomis is just to always fuck with him. And it's been the same author for all of this, correct? Hmm? It's the same author for all of these, right? Stefan Hutchinson. Hmm. He-, he ties all his comics together you. Gotcha. And, and, sto- we- and short stories and we got one last comic right we got one last one this is this i feel is the most tragic of all the first death of laurie strode 2008 this was intended as a three-part miniseries mm-hmm. but due to issues with devil do devil's Due publishing with issues of which i don't know have ever fully come out maybe due to liability mm-hmm. claims the third issue to this day has never come out we are left on a Fucking cliffhanger, and is the most frustrating cliffhanger at all. Right. The issue with Devil's Due Publishing also canceled a four-part miniseries that was supposed to start in 2009 called "The Mark of Thorn," Ooh. which actually would have continued the Thorn trilogy. Really? Stephen Hutchison would have tackled the Thorn trilogy. That was ca- it was advertised, but even the the first cover of it uh, commissioned was, was well, it was drawn, and at the and like you know, have this like the readers' letters at the end of comic books at yes. times. They actually show it where it's Michael standing in front of the Halloween 5 Myers house. That was canceled completely. That never even made it to to, to fucking paper. That's unfortunate. So this one tells the immediate aftermath of Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis after Halloween 2. And in my opinion, this makes a fantastic Halloween 3. Hmm. Days after Halloween 1978, the town of Haddonfield is desperately trying to recover. At Annie's funeral, Laurie and her only friend left, Sally Winters. Sally, who heard... Who is Alice from Halloween 2 was talking to over the phone when she was killed. Mm. They're mourning their friend's death. Lori believes Michael's alive, but Sheriff Brackett disagrees completely. Over at the Nichols hardware store, Mr. Nichols has his entire stock of shape masks marked down to 70%. No one wants to buy this shit. Mm. Fed up with looking at him, he takes all of them and throws them in the dumpster. Just, just He says, to hell with the lot of you. As he walks back inside, he sees someone walking behind the alley back there, picks up a hammer, he goes outside to, you know, clobber whoever it is, but no one's there, and he notices in the dumpster, the whole pile of shape masks are gone. Halloween night dance, oh. the drawer full of them that Abby finds. See, yeah, our continuity yeah. again. So Michael has amassed himself a nice supply of shape masks for the rest of his life.
1: Hmm. So wait, is this taking into account of Halloween two of them blowing them up? Yes.
2: Okay. This is after the events of Halloween two. Okay. Okay. Uh, Jimmy survived that night, but he suffered a really severe concussion and some brain damage as a result. Uh probably temporary. He's, like, wheelchair-bound. Brain damage. Yeah, he's kind of... She often visits with him to his mother's disproval. She, when his mother shows up to, to tell him to leave, she just looks at him like, get away from my son, you're the cause of this all. The whole town looks at her different now, knowing that now she's the sister of Michael Myers. Right. As the months pass, nothing changes for Lori. She's still haunted by visions of... Annie and Linda's ghosts, she'll, she'll like see them. She'll just be walking past like the cheerleaders practicing in school and she'll see just like Linda there dead but still cheerleading, you know. Uh, she also sees visions of Michael when he's not actually there. It's like, did he die? She, she passes by the Myers house and sees him standing there but he's not really there. She, she can't tell if they're real or not. On her birthday, Sally spends the day with her but they're being watched by someone. As they return to Lori's house, Mr. Riddle, creepy old Mr. Riddle, is, is uh, staring at them from his porch just with this, this sex pervert look. I was like, yeah. <laughs> they they kind of try to just ignore him. Uh, Lori's parents have bought her a car for her birthday, but Lori wants nothing to do with it. She harbors a lot of bad feelings for them, knowing that they aren't her parents and how this was all kept from her. And even the, just the fact that, like, her father sent her to drop off the Myers House key that day. She mm. feels like, is this some kind of sick joke? Yeah. Like, so she doesn't really trust them anymore. So to take the edge off, Lori and Sally decide to smoke a couple of joints up in her room. Uh, she's lamenting over all her guy troubles about how most guys want to kill her, not kiss her. <laughs> and showing uh, Sally her prescriptions that she now takes to help take the edge off.
0: Mm.
2: So she brings out a diet. She had a box of stuff that. Um, belonged to the Myers family that her parents gave her, and in one of them is one of Judith Dyer's, Di- Dyer's diaries. diaries. Diarrhea. Judith changed uh, her diarrhea for more. Gross. And in an entry from 1961, Judith notices Michael's behavior has been changing lately. He often barges in on her, plays with knives and forks, and just stares at her with this blank, pale, emotionless face. Hmm. Uh, her, mo- uh, her mother is visibly pregnant as she, you know, Thinking about the day's events. My mm. uh, mother tells her, it's not nice to stare. You know, tell, tells Michael, it's not nice to stare. You shouldn't stare at people. So Lori, she gets up. She looks out the same back window that she looked at in the first one, and she sees Michael staring at her from behind the, la- the laundry hung up, just like in Halloween 1. When Sally goes to look, instead, she sees Mr. Riddle. He's dead in his chair. Lori races outside to check on it, and she runs into the person who's been following her the whole time, Dr. Loomis. Oh, Laurie and Loomis, th- that's the end of uh, issue one. At the beginning of issue two, it begins with Laurie and Loomis. They're at you know a restaurant discussing Mr. Riddle's death and how no- everyone believes that, oh, it was a heart attack. But they're the only ones that really know. This, right, this whole scene right here is something I fucking wish we could have gotten from a Halloween movie. Something with Laurie Strode and Dr. Loomis interacting over this. Because one of the things that movies have the great power of doing is, if done right, you can put yourself in the protagonist's shoes. The protagonist can almost be an avatar for yourself. Mm. you're drawn in and the way Halloween was flawlessly executed, you there you know projecting yourself onto the protagonist of Laurie, you want some fucking answers like what the who the fuck was that? What was that? You're waiting for these answers you wait and especially in Halloween too because it's like, oh my God, he's he you know you, you can't stop the boogeyman. he's back like. You as the prote- you as the viewer want to see the protagonist you project yourself on get these answers and talk to the one person that Dr. Loomis who knows this. I feel like that was almost a, even though it wasn't their intention to continue it on past two, that was a missed opportunity because I I would have loved to see the scene where Lori finally gets these answers from Dr. Loomis of who Michael is. What the you know what and what fun. can they do to try and stop him? This person that attacked her came after her like me as the empathetic viewer, empathetic viewer wants to see this protagonist just get get some kind of information of what the fuck has just happened to her. You mm. know? So Loomis says he has no real answers for Lori though. That even after fifteen years Michael gave him no with Michael he had no explanation for his evil. And talks about how people like to chalk it up to mental illness and stuff or someone just went crazy or whatever. But believe the belief that evil is real. Lori, not knowing how much it'll help, gives Loomis Judas' old diary. And we get to another entry uh, from May of 1963. Judith is telling of a really bad day she had. Her and her boyfriend were supposed to take a trip to Russellville to, you know, do the the deed. I see. The sexual deed, as it was. Out in in the woods somewhere, I guess. Because, I I don't know, I guess they enjoy field mice running up their crack. Ah, damn it. But, unfortunately, two things, shitty things happened. Uh, the Bulls family was just recently murdered at that time, and they get stuck taking Michael with them. So they tell him, you know, just stay in this general area and play. We'll be right back. And a little bunny rabbit hops near Michael, and he just looks at it. So Judith and her boyfriend, they're in the middle of six. Clothes completely off, which mm-hmm. I don't know, man, but, like, I wouldn't want a trail of fucking ants crawling up my fucking Yeah, sack.
1: and you know, your brother's not too far from here either.
2: I, I, it's implying that they went far enough away. But Judith is shocked. She sees Michael's found them. He is covered completely in blood and just staring blankly at them. She screams in just shock of, you know, being uh, just shock of this. Uh, the entry ends with Judith saying she never told anyone about the day out of embarrassment and the fact that she would get in steep fucking trouble. Huh. So back in Hatterfield, Loomis is showing Mary in a house that he just bought when Sheriff Brackett and Deputy Hunt arrived. Brackett is fucking pissed that he heard Loomis is moving into town. He wants him gone. He mm-hmm. blames him for everything. Loomis tries to reason with him, saying that he only wants to help and that he understands, but no, Brackett says, you know, fuck you, you'll never understand. He doesn't say fuck you, but he says you yeah, know, yeah, you'll yeah, never understand. Yeah, And Brackett, he vows to make Loomis's life a living hell, to the point where Deputy Hunt has to, like, hold him back. Yeah. As Brackett walk ba- walks back off to his, you know, squad car, no pun intended, Deputy Hunt takes the role of the good cop here. Hmm. Tell it, just t- does his best to explain that despite his well-meaning, Loomis's presence is a constant reminder that the help that his, bleh, that his presence won't help the town heal, which is much of what was said in Halloween autopsies. Yeah. As Carter's viewing Loomis, saying that the town has tried to heal, but his presence is a constant reminder. Uh, Lori's finally made it to her high school gradu- graduation, but she is a complete wreck. She's, she's, you know, drinking on her fucking pills at graduation, staggering to the ceremony. Jimmy's trying to flag her down, like, hey, Lori, over here, over here. She turns around and just screams out, like, Sh- shut up, people, you're embarrassing us. Whoa. She instantly feels bad for it. She's like, why was I so bad? She's, so, she's very self-depreciating at this point. feels so bad for him. Uh, she goes to get her diploma. She's looking at everyone in the crowd, looking at her parents, saying, "You want my pa- why are you people applauding me? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she goes to get her diploma, she could see past the, the principal, I guess it is, into the parking lot, and there's Michael staring at her from inside a car.
1: That's she creepy. She
2: immediately collapses in terror, but when she looks back, he's gone. At cool. Loomis's new house, he begins telling Marion of an idea he has. Since she doesn't qualify for witness protection program because she's, you know, not an actual witness to a crime that's currently pending in court, mm-hmm. they still haven't caught the guy. He suggests to have her fake her death, that this would not be the first death of Lori Strode. Mm. That's not actually how it goes, but that's just how I just title dropped that. That's not like, oh, well, if the kid's there, the parents got to be there. He's home alone. Yeah, not, yeah. That, that's, that's my doing that title. Okay. Over, that, that her faking her death again would not be the first death of Lori Strode. Uh, Marion says, you think you could save her? And Loomis deep down, he, he says, no, he, but you could see it's written on her one day. He's going to get her. Marion asks, you know, why help her? That's like, be, just so she could have some kind of a life before he does. So she could find something. Mm. It's like, are, are, shouldn't we all strive for that to find something before our time comes? So that night the graduates of Haddonfield high school. I have at Harvard, a graduating costume party as no one believes that when Halloween comes, anyone's going to want to touch that shit with a 10-foot pole. No one's going to celebrate it after what has happened mm. the previous year. So Lori's sitting around the table. She's dressed up as Raggedy Ann, like her doll. Mm. Everyone's doing cocaine around the table. It was the late 70s. Cocaine! She's you know, she's intoxicated. She just wants to go outside and clear her head. So, mm. Sally, you know, too intoxicated to get up herself. Sally helps her out. She drops her off in the doorway because she's about to go fuck some guys. I think it does imply that Sally was coming to go get have like group sex with a, oh, like, like gangbang. That's oh, kind of what it was implying. Oh my. When the one guy says, Come on, Sally, the guys are waiting. That while fucked up these guys took advantage of her, you know.
1: Jeez, that's not cool. So she
2: drops her off in the doorway and it holds on that shot of her in the doorway for a couple panels. In the background of the kitchen we see a man dressed in a clown costume with the Emmett Kelly sad clown mask. You know, the famous clown, which was one of the masks considered for Michael Myers mastering production of Halloween one. He's walking around and he begins watching her. He approaches her holding a knife. She notices this, turns to him and nervously asks, Michael, the clown responds just by tilting his head sideways. Like someone we know. He then lunges at her with a knife. She gets up, runs for her life, but is still so intoxicated and overcome with emotion. She questions if this shit is even real. Uh, She you know, finds her way through an alley, and as she makes it to the street, to the street through the alley, a set of headlights begin rushing towards her, and she races for her life from the clown. He's in a car chasing her.
1: Oh, I thought it was Christine chasing after her at this point. Yeah, why not? Maybe He
2: was driving Christine. <laughs> well, no, he wasn't. But running away, she thinks back to her repressed memories of the time she saw Michael as a child, and more memories start, you know, just coming back. Especially one of her father beating her if she ever spoke of the boy. Mm. The Halloween two novel reference I mentioned earlier. And just how the fear of her father beating her repressed that memory. Uh, She's able to dodge the car, but it stops a few houses ahead of her. And she recognizes it as the car that she saw from the graduation. Mm. But unfortunately, she recognizes the house it stops in front of. It's Jimmy's house. She runs to the back of the house, but it's too late. Inside, the clown has got Jimmy. He breaks his fucking neck and just throws him into the glass coffee table. Sure, out of desperation, she picks up a rock, shatters out the back window, but it's too late. Jimmy has been killed. Wow. And that's where issue 2 ends and that's where this fucking cliffhanger ends. We never find out what the hell happens after this.
0: <sighs>
2: Bullshit. <laughs> Bullshit I tell you.
1: At that point, I say just write it your own write your own fan fiction
2: and how you want that to end. I want to know how to... Apparently it's been written. Apparently the comic has been made. It's just for legal reasons cannot be released. And Devil's Due Publishing is still around. Bullshit. Like, little panels have been leaked from it. It's still around. So that is the end of our Halloween comics. No other comics have been released since then. Nothing whatsoever. Uh, I presume for
1: legal reasons at that point.
2: I guess so. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if the details can be released. I know I have read them in the past, but as time has gone by, they've kind of been, even on the internet, lost the time. When I do a search of these things, all I get is, buy Halloween comics here, you know? Mm. Like, online retailers that still sell issues. I mean... These comics, I'd say check your local comic stores. They you might be you able might to be find them in the
1: back issue somewhere. Single
2: issues. I think Night Dance was collected into a trade paperback. Okay, so you might be able to find it as a whole on Amazon. It's like ninety dollars though.
1: So, wh- what are your feelings overall for the comics? Like your I think they're a-
2: excellent. I mean. They, they, You know what a stickler I am for continuity, especially when it comes to Halloween because I love it so much. But the fucking, you know, the horse left that barn a long time ago. The fucking ship sailed on that a long time ago, especially with the movies. I think it's awesome. I think the fact that Stefan Hutchinson managed to create his own continuity of those missing 20 years is fucking awesome. Mm. I would have loved to have seen more, definitely. And I hope we can still see more in the future. I hope this shit gets ironed out, worked out, or the the legalities with Devils do end and a new publisher takes over. Just just fucking something. Fuck the Snyder Cut, release the third issue of the first Mm -hmm. Death of Laurie Strode. I can get behind that. That's more important. Yes. But now we come to, I I would say the last we have of uh, Halloween and other media, of our tricks and treats, Halloween video games. Oh, okay. Video games? This, unfortunately, is going to be shorter because Halloween has mostly stayed out of the video game spotlight. However, there have been efforts, both official and unofficial, Yes. That are worth noting. Uh, we start with the one and only licensed Halloween game <laughs> that is Halloween, ho, oh, blah, that is only Halloween, and that is the 1983 Halloween game for Atari 2600, uh, released by Wizard Video Games. They were actually a uh, distributor of B-horror movies on VHS when they decided to dabble into video games. Ah, okay. 1983 is also the year of the video game market crash, so we saw how well that worked. They also released the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game that year.
1: Makes so much sense now thinking about it. The layouts.
2: Yeah, because both of them were adult-themed because of violence. They were either banned or hidden behind the counter, resulting in low sales, and copies are very rare as a result. Um, As Wizard, you know, was uh, liquidating their inventory, though, they would actually... You know, to get rid of all their back stock of it. They'd stop making labels for the cartridge. They would take a piece of masking tape and with an orange marker write Halloween, Halloween
1: on it. it. Like, that's how cheap it was. That's how
2: cheap it got. Uh, see the excellent Angry Video Game Nerd episode from 2006, I believe? two thousand seven. He did an awesome one. He did a two-parter on Texas Chainsaw and this. Yeah. Um, interesting thing about this is that the instruction manual makes no reference to actual character names. It's just Michael the Myers is referred to as the killer and Laurie is referred to as the babysitter character. I don't know. It's like you could license the game, but not the characters. Uh, legalities, I guess. Now the way this works is that you've got a series of static screens. Meaning you don't have any. Sc- it's not like Super Mario Brothers, where you, when you move right, the screen scrolls. You got these like static screens that
1: you move across.
2: You, well, when you get to the ne- when you get to the end of the TV, a new one appears. Yeah, It pops in, and you start on the the left side. Now, when like say if you go all the way right. The next one will pop up and you'll be on the left now. It doesn't move into the next one like a Mario platformer would. Right. Uh, what it is is that you're inside a house, babysitting on Halloween, Michael Myers is attacked, and you got to protect the children. Uh, the background graphics and everything, we have two floors of this house you're on, divided in the middle by, like, literal, like, fucking crawl space crossbeams, pixelated crawl space crossbeams. But well, you have a top floor to bottom floor. They're all different colored. It's very interesting. Um, I don't. Remember exactly how many there are from left to right, but there is a furthest left and a furthest right. Um, on the top floor, though, when you get to the second to last room, the power is flickering on and off. I guess implying Michael's cut the power, so it becomes dark, then illuminated, dark, illuminated. So there's points where you got to navigate this through the dark. Mm-hmm. As you move from screen to screen, Michael Myers will come onto the screen and attack and after you, and he does that. His animation is that you know, knife overhead, stabbing up and down motion like yeah. a robot. Wait, <laughs> But when he comes on screen, the Halloween, a very bad eight-bit version of the Halloween theme plays. I mean, I can't say it's bad, but it's for the technology of the time,
1: is what they could provide. It's
2: cool to see, you know, yeah. especially when you see the liberties taken with many licensed games. Right. It's cool to see. But you, as Lori Strode, who's uh, for some reason wearing a green shirt and a large red dress. Yeah. Her sprite is actually like bigger than Michael Myers's. Yeah. His is. I, I mean, it was Atari. I'm not gonna not gonna judge. But your mission is Lori Strode. To, if you choose to accept. If you choose to accept it, is to navigate these rooms, avoiding Michael Myers, and you have to find the children in the house. You'll come across a room, the child will be there, and you use the, uh, the button, the single button, the lone button on the Atari joystick, to, I guess, sort of grab the kid. Mm. You don't physically grab him, but now you got, now you, now that you have the kid, you have to guide them to either the furthest left or furthest right room. Those are the safe rooms. Avoiding Michael Myers all the way. Now when you're by yourself Michael Myers will come after you when a child is on screen, Michael Myers will go after the kid yeah so you your first priority is to you know navigate him navigate the child away from him if he's if you have gotten a kid and you're guiding him and Michael Myers comes on and you don't have the, enough room for him to get away he'll start gravitating to the bottom of it and you kind of got to navigate around right so he will come mm-hmm. chasing so you you really do have to make a strategy at quick thinking mm-hmm. But once you get the kid to the other side of the room, you know, you've you've dropped him off. It's kind of like the whole collect the item, bring it to the room. And every time you do, for whatever reason, it lets you 675 points. Should
1: be 666 for the name of Satan.
2: Uh, Sure. Why not? Mm -hmm. Um, Every now and again in a room, you'll find a nondescript weapon on the floor. It looks like a sword. Yeah. Or or a... Big dildo, one or the other, something like that. With, with, with a f- fucking uh, hilted a hilt, a hilted dildo, yeah, <laughs> a cock sword, <laughs> a schlong sword. Because of those sheath and everything. Well, due to the low pixel count, it doesn't flop very well. No, but it, when you pick it up, apparently Lori's arm is just a little longer because now it's green. Yeah, But what you can strike, Michael. You you can only use this once. If you hit him, he will retreat off screen. And you will be netted with another 125 points. Uh, Michael cannot enter any of your safe rooms. Uh, you will find doors every so often that will switch you between the top floor and the bottom floor. Um, if both floors have a door, you'll just move from the top to the bottom on that same screen. If one of them does, you'll be moved to a different room and you won't really know where mm. on, the, on the alternating floor. Um, now, as you this, – this is one of those games in the early Atari era – more arcadey, where there is no ending. The, the the point is to get a high score. You have yeah. three lives. You got to save as many children. you Can't get a high score. The more children you save, though, the faster Michael becomes. Yes. So it, it,
1: it does raise the stakes as you go along.
2: Yes, the difficulty does grow. So you know the uh, that's basically the object. I would love to see this come back as like a cell phone game, though. Though I- I'm willing, to, I'm willing to pay three to five dollars for it for no ads or microtransactions. Mm-hmm. Just update, just updated. You know, you could still keep the same look and feel to it, just mm. with a little more modern look. Yeah, like like more detailed sprites. You could even keep it in two D if you want, maybe two and a half D. Because it's interesting. It does make a very interesting arcade style game of avoid the killer, save the children, and, it does, and try to get your high score.
1: Yeah, and it does raise such... And it is entertaining, even as rudimentary as it is. I don't think we, it's bad at all. I, like, we played it, and it was like, okay, okay, come on, let's go, let's go. It does, like, all right, you get into it, it despite the early iterations of a video game system, a home entertainment system, i should say.
2: Now, this is the last thing, officially Halloween licensed, we would see for pretty much the next 30 years.
1: Yeah. Everything else from now until when we bring it up again is that it's unlicensed games that people made independently.
2: Well, actually, that's not totally true 30 years. I would say 24 years because I keep forgetting we do have smaller things Mm in there. The next one is a fan game that I am aware of. I'm sure there have been more fan games made featuring this, but uh, I mean – you know, you, you, could have, you could have an entire litany of fan games out there somewhere. That you're unaware of, had, yeah. So that we're going with what I'm aware of. This one I found back in 2002. It's called Halloween The Awakening. I can find no further information on this anymore. Whenever I look up Halloween The Awakening, apparently there was a fan film made called Halloween The Awakening. I can't find any fucking info on this at, at all.
0: Hmm.
2: I found this sometime in 2002. I either discovered this through... A file sharing service like Kazaa that I used to use, or LimeWire, right. or through uh, Michael Myers fan site that I went to, because nothing ex- information exists about this. You have I you have watched me play it, so you know it's real. You know I'm not pulling this out of my ass. Yeah, it's true. If our, uh, our uh, I'm if still future- waiting for that check to clear, but yes, I've seen you play. Fuck it. you. <laughs> okay, then the, yeah, you're waiting for the check to clear. So are these people for making the damn game? <laughs> check, but one of these days, if we ever get our our, uh, our plans of getting a fucking let's play channel going or something that's an idea floating around this will definitely be featured um this was made during the 2002 era version of rpg maker for those of you that don't know there actually was a game release called rpg maker that let you make your own rpgs Mm -hmm. this one is a 2d one with a top-down perspective um I noticed that was made by RPG Maker because at the time, right before I graduated high school, a friend of mine gave me a pirated copy of that version of RPG Maker. So I recognized it instantly. I'm like, holy shit, this is RPG Maker. Mm. I recognize everything from it. It has a uh, Legend of Zelda slash SNES Final Fantasy look to it.
1: Ah, okay.
2: So it was... Very, it was pretty much very early and incomplete. I consider it more of an alpha version, even though it says the Halloween Awakening Project 2002 to 2004, version 1.0. Okay. I consider this more fucking version 0.1. Yeah, it's very beta. It's it's very alpha. Oh, yeah. it, we haven't reached beta yet. Mm-hmm. We're in the alpha stages, man, where it's like we're in the alpha stages of, okay, we have things. Now let's start putting them together. <laughs> A beta version is, okay, we've put things together. Now let's, let's... see how to refine it. Exactly. Um, this thing, it has a shitload of intros to it. For, for everybody there's, there's an intro to the whole game as a whole. These are like Metal Gear levels of laborious with unskippable text boxes. It's pretty, it's cool to see. It is cool to see the, the Michael Myers initial night of murder, killing his sister, recreated in Super Nintendo style graphics. Mm. You know, Dr. Loomis talking to him in the Smith Grove in Super Nintendo style graphics. It's, it's cool. It is cool. I will say that. It's got an awesome 16-bit style graphic design and sound design. It is professional-looking. People yeah. did put some time with this. And
1: like the 16-bit generation may be my favorite video game system. My f- fav- v- favorite video game era, because I think my Super- the Super Nintendo might be my favorite video game system. So We're talking
2: the SNES, Sega Genesis, TurboGrafx-16, yeah. et cetera. You know. I know
1: that I know it's pure nostalgia talking right there. Yeah. I I recognize that.
2: Oh my god, my childhood. Yeah. This game acknowledges all eight movies of the timeline. Mm. We, so we don't have no split timeline here folks. We got everything put together. Uh, mm. it mixes actual sound samples and actual music samples along with uh MIDI sound effects. Mm. You know, Super Nintendo style MIDI sound effects of the sound of like um Like a gunshot or something will sound very computerized. Yeah. But it also they also use a lot of MIDI music, which kind of clashes with the actual sound samples. Now, being that this is something on a PC, I can understand you wouldn't be able to do it because of cartridge limitations. Okay. But since this is a PC file, there's nothing stopping you from using you know raw CD quality audio.
1: Maybe creator is being lazy.
2: I think it's also a product the fact that this is a very early alpha version. Mm. I think that too. I don't think they fully decided on what they wanted to do yet with the sound. Okay. Um. When you have the text boxes, you know how a lot of times in games they'll have like a little uh, avatar image of a character. Yes. Talking. These are actual photos from the movies just, of the characters.
1: Just been 16-bit a night?
2: They've been compressed for, okay. for this. They've been given that 16-bit style compression. And there isn't that much of a quality loss either. Oh, okay. It still looks very good. um Level design, I feel, is a little inaccurate. Now, this may just may be me, me splitting hairs because I'm a stickler for continuity and accuracy and things. But it also comes with the limitation of the of the top-down presentation and the fact that everything kind of gravitates upwards. When you're looking at the perspective of a top-down view, you always see the back wall of an interior. You never can see what's on the front wall. Mm. So, like the Myers house, um, when Michael enters, you know, Judith's room, she's all the way in the back corner. But the way the layout would kind of have it based on – unless you sort of you know mentally feng shui this and realize, okay, this, this particular um, interior area is likely rotated or whatever, it kind of gives you the idea that Judith Meyer's room is the back of the house when we know it's the front. Right. But the, I, I feel it's just a limitation of the 16-bit presentation and the, and the top-down perspective that this adheres to, much like Final Fantasy and Zelda. This is not indicative of the game design or whatever. It's a very good, well-designed game. Uh, we have three game modes here. Number one is The Babysitter Murders. This plays through the final act of Halloween 1. Yeah. Uh, the intro scenes, you know, lead up to the finale, include a, including dropping the key off at the, the, girls dropping the key off at the Myers house, the stalking of Annie with actually a playable segment that can award you with a health item. The health item in here, now all these items were, were clearly not finished mm. because I only found one actual item, Tim's Stomach Pounder. Tim Strode's Stomach Pounder is your health item, is your health recovery item.
0: Hmm. Yep.
2: You have to do, as Lori a little thing when Lindsay's dropped off of uh, Chase the Kids and sort of play tag with them. Okay. If you can get them under a certain amount of time, you get Tim's Stomach Pounder. And the music that plays is actually from Super Mario RPG. Uh, that's funny. Uh, the pause menu is very RPG-like. You have an item book, an item, a logbook, and equipment menus. Uh, phones in this game are considered save points. Now, this is kind of troublesome when you play through this mode, when you realize Michael cuts the power. Yeah. So, it's like, uh, so your actual save points are limited in when you can do them. You are limited to specific times when you can do them. Okay. Um, as a collectible, you have rabbit and red matchbooks to collect that are strewn about all the areas. I only found four in my playthroughs. I swear there was a fifth. Hmm. You know?
1: Well, why, why would you say that?
2: I don't know, because I, I, I kind of remember either finding a fifth, and I kind of also remember the, the, that... I think the website I found this on had a small guide for it.
1: Oh, okay. So it's not like you just like, you feel like there should be another one out there or anything.
2: No, there's a part of it because five feels like a more solid number than four. But mm. Anywho, we begin with Lori going to investigate over at the, uh, the Wallace house. Mm. You know, She can't get in touch with anyone. Immediately there, if you go like looking through areas, I think you find another Tim's stomach pounder. It may be in the Wallace house. I don't remember fully. But the first thing you want to do, save it to phone. So, you go out, you go across the street, and this thing has, for 16 bits, this has awesome fucking atmosphere to it. Mm. It really does. Little music and sound effects cues. Uh, you go around back to the Wallace House, go in. Often, as you're walking around, you'll stop. You'll hear a creaking sound. You hear the uh, the Myers House music, the
0: do, 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 boom. <laughs>
2: as you inve- and the thing is you're investigating this house you don't know what's lurking where you yeah. don't know what surprises they've put mm-hmm. you know you and you could search through nearly all of the Wallace house except for one particular room that ah. someone is hiding in while waiting for you to approach um, as you get upstairs and you go to turn down the hallway that has the the bedroom a cat jumps out at you for a little jump scare yes but the room in the hallway next to it you can't open because It's locked. Mm. I wonder who could be in there. Oh, Uh, you get inside, you find you know Annie's body on there. You go over and investigate the closet, and Bob pops out, Mm. complete with Jamie Lee Curtis's scream sample. Yeah, you go over to the cabinet, and there's Linda there. Yeah. Pulls out dead. You go back outside. And as you go to the staircase, you can just make out, they really blended this graphic in really well, the dark silhouette of a figure there, mm. right at the corner of the stairs. And if you're not looking for it, you may not catch it, and it really works well. Mm. And it's your little 16-bit Michael Myers sprite that pops out, you know, stabs you, you fall down the stairs. So now we have the pursuit. Your speed has now been slowed because you're injured. Yeah. So you have to retreat to the Wallace house. When you get to the back door where, you know, Michael has... Has uh, pinned it Mm. shut, and as he's trying to break through the door, you pick up a hammer this time to break through the door. So you break through, you get back to the Doyle house, and you throw the pot at the window. Tommy comes down, but now you have to avoid Michael for the next 30 seconds. You have to avoid his his, uh, Mm. pursuit until Tommy opens the door. Mm. Uh, The AI in this is pretty fucking stupid. You can easily get behind an easy fence where Michael will just move slightly left and right. Like,
1: why can't I get you?
2: And sometimes he won't even move left to right to follow you. He'll move up, he'll move down, he'll move away from you, and it's, he's pretty stupid in this yeah. point, folks. Uh, once you get inside, you know, you got to hide from him. You can't save here just yet. You go pick up your knitting needle, and that's when Michael strikes. Now, the combat system in this, because it's based on RPG Maker, which uses, you know, the like a uh, battle system like RPGs, we do have a real-time combat system in here. It's pretty fucking clunky, though. Yeah. Michael can – you can only attack Michael if he's in the next – like, if you were to divide everything up into a grid like normally is in a 2D game like this, you can only attack Michael if he's in the next base. Right. But he can attack you also. You have to come up with a bit of a uh, strategy, which I found, of hiding behind a chair and when he walks downward into view, hit him and then run. It's a real stick and move. Mm. If he's facing you, he could strike at you. Your health could go pretty quick and those stomach pounders don't restore all your health. Mm. So I save those. um. Movement could be a bit slippery, and the, like I said, the range of weapon is poor for avoiding hits, but after you beat him, you know, you could go to save again, mm-hmm. and it's interesting, the uh, Resident Evil 2 safe room music is used for the, for the uh, figures, the, for the save menu, it takes about seven to, hits, seven to eight hits to beat him. Um, next, you go upstairs, you get Lindsay and Tommy out of the bathroom, but Michael comes back up, and she sends it back in, you go in, hide in the closet... And it's a race against time here. you got to fu- know to get the clothes hanger. And once you do, you get to the next battle part. You are now in the closet where all the slats are broken on all four doors. And you only have four spaces to maneuver. You have to move back and forth, avoiding him mm. and strike when you can. It's more that stick and move, you know. You got, you got to stick and move very wisely. After the closet scene, you take over as Loomis, who has arrived. You know, mm. you go upstairs into the room where Laurie's being strangled. And you are armed with a gun, fortunately. Right. Now, you only have six shots. You do have a, an ammo box, which, at least in this, I did not run out of ammo. Mm. But you have to constantly reload. But the problem is, Michael, it, he can move through, like, dialogue boxes. So if you're – you have to count all – you have to do archer levels of counting your shots. Because if on the seventh one you go to shoot, the text box will come up. Michael can still move after you. Ah. So you have to really stick and move. Gotcha. To, to count your shots wisely, reload wisely. Mm. Uh, instead of shooting him six times, you have to shoot him 20 fucking times. Jeez. We don't hear him. I shot him 20 times. I shot him at every part of him. He resembled Alex Murphy when I was done with him. <laughs> <laughs> but hey. when you see- Clarence, he's still alive. <laughs> That's what it's, you should have said. <laughs> but anywho, you know, when you kill him, you don't shoot him off the balcony yet. You go out, you check on Laurie, and then you hear her breathing. Loomis just runs back in. He's standing by the balcony, and he shoots him. And it's kind of funny how this plays out with all these little sprites. It's like, Loomis checks on Laurie. You hear, like, it! And you just see his little sprites. Scurry back in. <laughs> as, if like, ah. as if, like, oh, fuck you again. Yeah. Shoots him off the bed. It's very comical. Your ending message, and this is for all three mode well, all two modes that you can do. We'll get to the third one. You get a, a, a picture of Laurie that says, you have survived. It's in, like, a greenish hue. Yeah, I, I guess the the real ending would come into place, yeah. Mm. Uh, game mode number two is Field Trivia. This is a trivia game show. It's on the set of a game show hosted by Linda, and we have a MIDI version of Don't Fear the Reaper playing in the background. It's pretty cool. Um, you are asked 25 questions. You can only get three wrong. And the way they show your lives or strikes is that you have a celebrity panel of Halloween characters. You have Bucky from Halloween 4, who harasses everyone for some reason. You have Wade from Halloween 4, who talks about how sweet his mullet is. And you have Mrs. Elrod from Halloween 2, who threatens to go kick Bucky in the balls if he keeps harassing him.
1: Oh, Jesus.
2: So, every time you get a question wrong, Michael kills one of your celebrity guests. Bucky is the last one, and and sure enough, he's fucking pissed off that he gets killed. (laughs) Now, every time you answer a question right, you get the sound clip of Linda going, totally. (laughs) And Freaking these range from, like, simple questions to, like, what was a character, you know, like, like movie trivia of, like, behind the scenes. Like, how much did Halloween gross? Um, to, to the one that killed me the most was what is Dr. Lemus' middle initial? I've forgotten it right now. I even w- Google searched it and I couldn't find out what it is. But it, it, it ranges from, like, characters, minor characters' names, like what is Billy's, the name on Billy's bracelet that he gives to Jamie in Halloween 5, Billy Hill, his name. To, like, you know, where was Halloween filmed? Like, who, like, the that. Fuck, like who the fuck would know that? Not, not the, the, People the, the, that the... pay close attention to detail. The fanatics.
1: Yeah, even us are fanatics. Like, we, we've we done the show, but, like, yeah, I don't know that. Well, I
2: tell you, on my first try, I did get the three questions wrong and die. But I have completed this. And once again, you get the You you Are a Survivor screen. It's more for laughs. <laughs> yeah. Last but not least is our third mode, the old Myers House search. This one, they even bring up a text box warning you this mode is incomplete, cannot be finished. Enjoy exploring at your own risk. Uh, The prologue is with Loomis. It's called The Last Man. It's a journal entry from uh, December 1st, 1995, after Halloween 6. Uh, There's a shitload of typographical errors in here. Yeah. But it's a general recap of the whole series from Loomis' perspective. Um, it recons the theatrical ending of eight, eight, Halloween 6 to where, upon Loomis's return, he confronted a maskless Michael with his undisfigured face, realizing that, oh, my God, he is something not human, how mm-hmm. he could heal from being burned alive like that. And Loomis collapses, suffering another another stroke.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, it claims that Loomis had no knowledge of Laurie faking her death until an s- outside source revealed it to him. Ah. So this goes – I mean, like I said, this continuity is all over the fucking place. People have filled in these gaps themselves. But this guy—I remember when we played this. This got so long and arduous that we were making jokes. Yeah, we were cracking jokes it. and we were just
1: like, "Cause like, all right, we're like, cause we didn't want to do the trivia, so we played the first mode, and we're like, all right, fine. So we're having a conversation, bullshitting or whatever, while you're playing. But yeah, it—what happens at the end?
2: What did happen at the end?
1: Michael jumped out and scared the shit out of us. Oh
2: yeah, we'll we'll get to that, you know. Mm. But um, in Loomis's in this prologue a little bit it makes actually a really good point of asking was Lori giving jamie to a foster home a way of protecting her mm. like if i fake my own death is he really after me is he after all of his family will he come after my daughter if i if i give up my daughter and move away you know will she be safe because mm. he's only after me but at the same time if you go back to our halloween eight show episode the fact that I have spent long years trying to think of this and fucking cannot come up with anything. Mm. Well, well, not come up with anything, but just the, the, the
1: John. A credible reason to have the Thorn trilogy coincide with John TV Tate's Asia.
2: existence is the only re- wrench in my fucking thoughts because, like, the, his age between him and Jamie Lloyd is so fucking close that it would be the fact that she abandons one child and keeps another, mm. and I cannot come up with a good reason, good enough reason, why. Yeah. The next chapter is called The Search. And the, like I said, the text box pops up saying this is incomplete, but still playable. Um, I looked up the Strode Realty number is actually not on the sign, is actually in front of the Myers house, and this game is not the same as in the movie. I was looking up some of these things. There was one phone number that was 555-7898. I'm like, oh shit, 7898, 7898, 20 years of Halloween. Mm. These little things you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening outside the Myers house, it lets you roam up and down Lampkin Lane. I mean, you can't really go anywhere and do anything. Uh, apparently this is in December, and there's trick or treaters walking around. They're recycled. They're recycled from earlier in the game, from the uh, the babysitter murders chapter, when they have the cutscene of Laurie dropping off the Myers house key. Oh, okay. So they're recycled sprites. Uh, the garage from Halloween Resurrection is there. Okay. Um, but when you go in the Myers house, you're exploring. You hear these creaks walking around, and like you know that he could be there. Um, in the living room, you find silver shamrock boxes piled up in there. You find some crates that are relatively totally new. There's an old TV there. When you turn it on, the Silver Shamrock TV commercial plays mm-hmm. a little 16-bit rendition. Um, upon when you you go to the basement door, but it's locked. So as you explore more of the house, two of the rooms upstairs are locked. But when you go back, something, something triggers this. And I think because this is still an alpha version, I don't know what. And it's almost by chance. But when you go back to the basement door, it's unlocked. It's open. When you go in the basement... You're looking through everything. You look to one of these doors that's there, and Michael jumps out and kills you. That's what scared the fuck out of us. Yeah. That is your instant game over, which is not supposed to happen. Um, Some items you pick up don't even appear in the item window because it's it's incomplete. It's incomplete. But what you do is you find the sewer area from Resurrection while exploring the basement. And when you get to the end of it, Judith Meyer's tombstone is there confirming that Michael is alive. Now, when you try to go back and escape, Michael's there. You have to fight him. This time, you only get six shots, and you have no other... Ammo, meaning this is unfinishable, you know? Yeah. So that's where that ends. That's where Halloween The Awakening ends. Mm. So I can't find any information on this. I can't find if there was another version. I'm guessing the project was abandoned. So, I I mean, all of you fucking feel free to look. I don't know if you can find anything. Uh, What we next come to, the first actual licensed Halloween game since Halloween 1983, Michael Myers' Rampage from 2007. This is the only Halloween game to feature the Rob Zombie Halloween. Oh, okay. Um, It's a point-and-click flash game. You're played as Michael Myers, killing trespassers in your house, trying to get to your sister. Uh, The graphics have kind of a pre-rendered PS1, Sega Saturn 3D look. Okay. Where everything looks smooth, but not as detailed. Like, um, for any of you out there who who are familiar with what I'm talking about, when you play a PS1 game, often the the cutscenes were pre-rendered. That's why they had a smoother and rounder appearance than the more jaggy models that are being rendered in real time Requiring more processing power. Gotcha. Um, you gotta type in your birth year to play. If it's not old enough, it tells you to ask your parents' birth year of birth. Like, it's, it's, it's... so it's like it's like going to the movie theater for an R-rated movie. How old are you, son? I'm seven. Oh, I can't let you in here because you're not over seventeen. Well, how old are your parents? Thirty-five. Uh, okay, one ticket for you. <laughs> so it's like, what's the point? Um, it takes a fucking long time. It can take a long time to load, depending on what site you get this from, I went on like five websites, and by the fifth one, I found one that's fully loaded. That's supposed <laughs> to use an older version of Flash. Oh, okay. Which is less, and that's another thing about PC gaming, folks, with a lot of these things. Mm. The older this shit gets, the harder it's going to be to be compatible. Um, it's using some pretty low-fidelity sound and music samples. Like, it uses stuff directly from the movie. Like, between each round, there's quotes from, like, Dr. Loomis, Lori, Sheriff Brackett, but they're pretty low in quality. It constantly has the, the Myers-Chase, dun, da dun. Throughout the whole thing, the Tyler Bates version, uh, you get three types of stab attacks: a low stab, a downward stab, and a slash across. I don't know how to fucking activate any of these. I, I honestly, I don't, because when you're moving the mouse, the cursor is on the person that you're mm-hmm. fighting, and it's kind of it's kind of a rail shooter. It's kind of a point and click rail shooter where you don't move at all. You just come up to a teen that's invading your house, and now you have to move the house around and stab them to death. Gotcha. Uh, you get a power bar that allows you to charge your attack by holding it down, which will do more damage. Um, <sighs> yep, You got. and there is a timer. You, the, high, the quicker you kill, the higher your score, and a victim counter for each level. Cool. Uh, the acting in this is fucking pornography levels of bad. Wow. No, please, don't kill me. <laughs> I po- want to
1: be in the sequel.
2: Points are based on where you hit your victim and what type of You know, hit, whether it's a charged hit, a regular hit. Points are deducted if you miss, though. And Like I said, the time bonus adds to your score. You have multiple rounds per level, and all rounds are added together for your final score of that level. And then after all the levels, it's all tallied up for your final score, which you could have posted online, but the website is currently down. You could add it to a leaderboard. Uh, The levels take place starting at the basement of the Myers House, moving up to the top floor. And for a house that's been abandoned for over 15 years, it's pretty well furnished. It still has electricity. It still has running water. <laughs> the power's on. Someone's taking a shower. Everything's still pretty nice, you know? Pantry is fully stocked. Electricity works. Um, eventually, when you get up to the top floor, you fight a cop. He can fight back. Oh, okay. Like the teens, as you fight against them, they do start to get quicker. Gotcha. And they it maneuver you and everything. But then you get to an enemy who could fight back. And after him, you get to Lori, who's the best at dodging. She, yeah. She's good. Uh, you only got three levels. You only got nine rounds total. It could be beaten in a matter of minutes. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not very difficult at all. Gotcha. Next, we get to another fan-made game uh, just called Halloween from 2013. It was developed by Pig Farmer Productions. They're the makers of eighty slasher-style games mm. with older-style 3D graphics and gameplay. Right. Um, they tout it as, like, PS1 quality. I'd say it's more if you were to port Resident Evil on Atari Jaguar CD. Wow. It's it's beneath PS1. Uh, depending on your computer specs at the time, you can get higher polygon counts, better lighting, draw distances, etc., but it ain't it ain't that great overall. Your max resolution is 1024 by 768, so you're limited to 4 by 3 aspect ratio Jeez. for a game that came out in 2013. Uh, you got three camera types, which proved to me that... My, what I wished for the Resident Evil 2 remake is possible. You have third person over the shoulder, mm. first person, and fixed camera angle. And each of them give it a different feel. Those are the three game play, major gameplay styles of the Resident Evil series. Mm. So for this remake of Resident Evil 2, I'm wishing you could have chosen between all three. Right. This game proves it's doable. And this is a fucking shitty-ass fan-made game that's buggy as fuck. Yeah. This is a professional, multi-million-dollar event. Um...
1: Not, you're not angry whatsoever.
2: I'm not angry whatsoever. I just think it's like, come on, if these guys could do it, you guys could do it. And you're, you guys are the professionals. Mm. Uh, this game though, unfortunately is no longer legally available. That word legally. Uh, it was taken down due to copyright issues and it was re-released though, but altered as the babysitter bloodbath. The storyline is altered, but the gameplay is still the same story is technically still the same. You still end up in the same places. Uh, The main menus are styled in like a VHS box. Mm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, Another interesting thing is that this very likely, based on the story lens, takes place in 1978. Oh, okay. It's almost like a retelling of the original Halloween, and I will get to why. Just be careful on the menu because the escape button will close the whole fucking game. Normally, normally it it brings you back to the menu. Uh, They do a pretty neat job very quickly recreating the Halloween 1 intro. With the little three D pumpkin zooming towards you and that. he uh, plays a character named Sarah who's a babysitter asked to watch a boy named Billy on short notice. Um, oh no, it was this game that had the five 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 seven eight nine eight is the parents number. Oh okay. Total nod. Um, the parents tell you that the kid makes his own bedtime and you could just do whatever you want. So character wasn't written very well as this. Animations are primitive as the fucking graphics.
1: This is this the one where the kid is like He really... runs in
2: a circle throughout the house all the time, like he's like he's fucking filled with sugar cookies. Yeah. And when I say the graphics are fucking primitive, one of the things with two of the characters in the game, uh, Billy and the male, later male character Jack, they do this thing with their hair. Now, for primitive three D graphics, often what they would do is that the top texture of the character's head would be, you know, the hair texture. You would have a hair texture, and they would add like polygonal three D hair on top of it, and the two textures would blend together, creating a hairstyle. Right. In this game, the two textures are often two two shades of the same color. So Billy's hair is like two toned in patches. <laughs> so is so is Jack the boyfriend. The animations of him running around in circle are hilarious. Sarah has no sideburns whatsoever. She shaved them. They seem to be because they didn't put them there or whatever. Um, after turning on the t- finding the remote, your first task with turning on the TV for Billy. Uh, you find the remote upstairs. Now this house is is not lit at all. Very few rooms are lit, and apparently there's no light switches in this no. house. But upstairs you find a flashlight. Now I play this primarily in first person. It gives it quite the eerie atmosphere. You played this with me. Mm-hmm. I remember the first person was kind of making you a little bit queasy. Yeah. So we switched back to well, – what we switched to? Fixed or third?
1: Uh, I think we went back to third at that point because it was like – because I just kind of felt like it was going to be like a jump scare video that Michael would pop up anywhere and like really startle us. That's I was, why I did it.
2: But to my to my uh, sadness, that doesn't come until much later. No. Um, if you turn, find the remote, turn on the TV for Billy. You get a phone call with nothing but very heavy breathing phone rings again, and it's her friend Jill. She gives you her number to call her back from, which you never need to at all in the rest of the game. That's another thing about a lot of these fan-made games, is that there's a lot of things here that have no payoff whatsoever. No. Uh, Joe wants her to call a guy that she's met named Jack, but she leaves the number... uh, Sarah says she left the number in her coat pocket, so you go to get your coat out of the closet. Billy has stolen the number, and you gotta chase him around the house to get it. This is where the slippery controls come into play that drive you fucking nuts. Mm. So... You get a hold of Billy. You get Jack's number. You call, and he decides to come over. Once you put Billy to bed, they're all just good drinks. So we, we're introduced to a protagonist who's an espir- ir- irresponsible, pain in the ass bitch.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> he just wants to get wasted. Yeah. Um, Billy is hungry, and uh, you have to make him food. Yeah. So in Resident Evil style, you all the only food that's available is a box of C three POs. Yeah, driving home the era. Mm-hmm. And a thing of milk, and you make him a bowl of cereal mm-hmm. to eat. Um. Yeah, there's a ton of closets in this house, adding to the claustrophobia of it. None of them really come into play at all. Um, but when you go into one of the rooms, there's a radio there. You can turn on, listen, and the radio is warning. You can hear, like, this fancy jazz music of the day, like big band stuff. But then a broadcast will be interrupted by a special report of an escape killer, Michael Myers, escaping from Smith Grove. If you have anything to do with whereabouts, call the police at blah, 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 which is fucking useless because Michael cuts the power when he finally arrives. So yeah. it's another useless thing. Uh, the den is the safe room, and VC- VHS tapes are your save points. Mm. There's only three in the whole game. You right. can only save your game three times. Pretty fucking annoying. There's a safe that lets you store items, which I do. To- it's very Resident Evil based. After putting Billy to sleep and getting the bottle of liquor for you and Jack, the doorbell rings, but no one is there. Upon investigation, Jack pops out to scare the shit out of you. Mm. You know, it does a good job of setting up the scares. Really, the atmosphere is great in all these. Uh, after setting in, Sarah goes to grab a beer, but she hears the sound of glass breaking outside, and she sends Jack. Jack goes out to investigate. You know, as you walk back to the to the living room, all of a sudden you hear Jack scream fucking bloody murder. Oh. Um, for me, the game froze, and upon reload, the flashlight was gone. I had a lot of issues with uh, bugs in this. So uh, ex- when I finally was able to get it to work... Examining the outside, you find an axe out in the backyard for your weapon. Now, the backyard, I think, to do it must be this must be in the California Redwoods because they're doing some heavy logging. Yeah. The backyard is very hard to navigate because there's a lot of obstructions from logs and trees and bushes and shit. You find a shed that's locked, padlocked. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a garage you get, go into, but you can't tell anything. There's a car there. It has no gas in it, you know, because. Yeah, you gotta get
1: fuel and put it in the gas. You'll,
2: well, you always leave a car with no gas just lying around. But as you investigate, you find Jack. He's dead. He's been impaled through the fence with a screwdriver. Ooh. I did not know this. You're supposed to take the screwdriver with you. Oh, jeez. Now, when that happens, the camera splits into all three views at once, like all three views of frame, almost like a comic book. I was immediately confused, had no idea what the fuck I was supposed to do. Mm. I ran back to the door. You're actually supposed to hit the action button to pound on the door to get Billy to let you in. But Michael's approaching. There's one that's actually a scene from him. Uh... I got killed, and upon loading a new game, an interesting bug happened, where it partially continued where I left off, but also partially loaded a new game, where Billy comes to let you in at the scene where you're introduced to Sarah's parents. So the game is now fucked. Oh, Jesus A Christ. bug has happened, so now I'm in a part that I can't advance forward from, where, I'm, where Sarah's dad is there, he's just standing still like a total statue, because the game has loaded into memory a new game, as well as my where I last left off. So... Uh, got to the this, the final straw was when I started a new game. I picked up the flashlight, and it wasn't in my inventory. So I said, fuck it. I finished by watching a Let's Play. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched by uh, channel PB Horror Games, and I don't know how to pronounce this. Ra- Raid, R-A-E-D, Wolf Gamer. Mm-hmm. One of them actually had no commentary, and the other one was a guy watching it. And, and screaming along, and right? And screaming like a little girl along. But yes, that, awesome that one I think games. I've seen. Um. You're supposed to take the screwdriver, you're supposed to bang on the door, and then Billy's supposed to awake and let you in. But as you're let in, you hear the sound of a nearby window breaking and, you know, Michael's in. Now at this point, Michael could pop out at any place. He's following you around. This is where, like, you're on your fucking toes because you could pop out anywhere. Uh, going up the stairs, you use the screwdriver you got to pry open the rusty laundry hatch and go down the basement. Hmm. That, I don't know how you, a grown woman would fit and okay. not break her fucking both ankles and knees on the way down, but okay. Uh, exploring the basement, you find bolt cutters for the shed, revolver ammo, and the master bedroom key, which has been locked up to this point. Uh, there's no way to drop up, drop items that you have. You have to fucking put them in the safe to free up inventory. So if you didn't come to this basement with items, there's a good chance he's going to catch you. Mm. The Let's Play With No Commentary I watched, I believe that was the, uh, PB Horror Games one, did it with very little issue because he managed his inventory well. The other guy, Raid Wolf Gamer, he was getting chased left and right and getting killed all the time. Mm-hmm. You go up to the master bedroom, and you find the revolver and more ammo. But upon leaving, Michael's in pursuit. Uh, music cues lead me to believe he could follow you through different loaded areas because the the first floor and the second floor are two separate areas that load. You yeah. go into them, and just based on the music cues, it, the game remembers where he is and follows you. Hmm. So you go to the outside, outside hedge, open it with the bolt cutters to find the gas can. You gas up the car, but Michael enters right when it's done, and you got to you know shoot him with the revolver. Hmm. Um, after you kill him, he's, like, like, every time you shoot him, they have textures load of him getting bloodier and bloodier. Mm. But not, like, where you shot him. He's just progressively getting bloody until he's, like, this big red smear. Until he looks like Gossamer from the fucking Bugs Bunny cartoon. <laughs> until he looks like such an interesting monster.
1: Just imagine, like, the little, like, see-through avatar of Max Payne when it gets filled up. Like, how more, how
2: yeah. more you hurt. Like, that's how I'm imagining right now. It's hilarious. Even in places you didn't shoot him, he's covered in blood for some reason. But Billy arrives, and you leave to the, you know, you get in the car, you leave, the screen turns black, and you hear the sound of peeling out and crashing into shit. I don't know if Sarah had actually consumed some of that liquor before. (laughs) At the police station, Lieutenant Breaker explains the situation, informs you that when the cops arrive, Michael was gone, and he'll have her taken to the hospital. End credits. That's it. Average playtime is 30 minutes, I saw, for Let's Plays. Hmm. You can beat this game in half a fucking hour.
1: It's enjoyable. It is scary, but, like, it is, like, it is, it's got its issues, like, ever, like.
2: Well, I I do say positives do include great atmosphere, despite always being too dark. It's always too fucking dark. There's poor brightness adjustment. Uh, Good use of music cues and sound effects of the movies. Even, and it has a lot of instances of silence, like Halloween, The Awakening, where Michael can make you feel anywhere. It uses silence to its advantage, but often, sometimes maybe just the sound of, like, a ticking clock. Mm-hmm. Would have helped something the sound of just like, to break it up. yeah, the sound of maybe like cars driving outside the window j- just for that, but mm. its it's used effectively. Negatives were just that it's too fucking buggy and glitchy, at least for me. I mean I'm using it on a modern, modern Windows 10 computer. Mm. Um, the whole all, all the, the graphics look like shit, and it's like I, I know this was probably one guy who made it. I don't want to criticize, you know, but it's like, come on, man. yeah, but um, our next thing we have came out same year. This Now, the next two things we have are actually licensed Halloween DLC for an existing game. Mm. Um, first, we have the 2003 uh, Call of Duty game, Call of Duty Ghosts. 2003? 2003. 2003, my God, shit, I'm sorry. 2013, same year as this game. Um, where is it? What The first map pack, uh, Onslaught? Was released, you know, for three six for all the consoles, mm-hmm. and one of the multiplayer maps, Fog, is has uh, Michael Myers in it. Now, what's cool about it is that I I think that they went to make a multiplayer map that was based as like their tribute to horror because it takes place in a spooky campground. Right. So you know, Michael Myers does not. Mm-hmm. Now the Halloweens take place in a campground, and Michael Myers when he is there which I will tell you how that happens, he's axe-wielding and can run. Yeah. Now, he don't wield an axe. My theory is that they started making a map that was going to be a generic horror tribute, and then at the last minute, oh, shit, we got a Halloween license. Uh, well, instead of starting over, they're on a deadline. Let's just put him in there. Uh, on the multiplayer map, Michael Myers appears as a pota- playable character obtainable by earning a care package by completing various challenges via field orders. So one of you what players... Can, if you complete these field orders, you could play as Michael Myers. He's faster than everybody, stronger than everybody. Uh, he swings his weapon faster. You do have only a melee weapon, but it can kill in one hit. Mm. And it takes you like 20 point blank shots to be stopped. So once you become Michael Myers, you're pretty much the unstoppable killer. Mm. And I mean, that's really all there is to say about that, actually. So yeah. Moving on, our next one. Um, we have Dead by, the 2016 horror game Dead by Daylight. Now this is drawing a lot of comparisons to Friday the Thirteenth, the game, because it is an online multiplayer deathmatch only game where one person plays as a killer while other characters play as survivors. I'm not going to go incredibly in depth with this game because it's not a Halloween game. The DLC featured here is really cosmetic, yeah, mostly. Um, but you have one player plays as the killer. Four player, he's tr- What he's trying to do is kill each of the players by stabbing them, immobilizing them, and hanging them on these hooks that are kind of like altar, like these meat hooks, like in Texas on Masker, mm. that are part of this altar to some supreme being that you know, over over uh what is he, the overlord I believe he's called. Something like that. Huh. But once, you know, the player ca- the survivor character is impaled on this, you have you can fight this back. You could be rescued by other characters and continue right. playing. But if you're fully sacrificed, you're you're eliminated, you know? characters have perks based on their individual nuances that they give killers have these perks based on their personalities and stuff um there are items that you can get called offerings that can influence the match like certain modifiers and stuff okay um the one thing that sucks is that when you're playing as the killer you create a lobby for people to play in and survivor players have to join your lobby you could sit – I sat there waiting for like 20 minutes once, just waiting for people to join my fucking lobby to play a game. And if the people I'm playing against are really good, they can end in shorter than that. Jeez. And unfortunately, you cannot choose what levels you play. It's randomized. You can – certain offerings you get for that level can be used to influence what what level is played. But ultimately, it's out of your hands. Now, in late 2016, Halloween DLC was announced. You have Michael Myers as a killer, Laurie Strode as a survivor. That's the – other players, with their own perks, you know, individually pertaining to those characters. And you have a new map, a Haddonfield map, which features the Myers House. This map I have not been able to play because I have not been able to land on it. Hmm. So I've had to resort to, again, Let's Plays I've watched. Um, The map, it, it's not bad. It's well made. But the, the issue I have with it is that its atmosphere is of this spooky, horrible murder town, which Haddonfield is not. Haddonfield is portrayed as this old-looking sleepy, everyday Midwestern town, and the Myers House is the spooky part that stands out, you know? Right. It's like when, when when street block that the Myers House is on. You'd see nice house, nice house, nice house, nice house, spooky house, nice house, nice house, nice yeah. house. Run down spooky. But everything's run down and spooky. And a lot of these houses contain the same wallpaper textures, floor textures, so it's like it's like every house looks the same.
1: And it seems like an infection from the Myers House is just spread out and it's yeah. contaminated every other house nearby. There's
2: like a strewn cop car about, you know, Uh, news van, I think. Now, as for the Myers House itself, the exteriors look promising. There's the actual pumpkin from the open credits sitting on the porch. There's a Strode Realty Realty House sitting in the lawn. But when you get in the house, the layout is very off. Um, You you cannot explore the left side of the house. It's cut off because there's a basement area. In each map, there's like a basement area. That's kind of like the killer's lair. That one is located there. Um. When you get around the back, you see – if you, the Myers house in real life had an addition on. That's where the kitchen was. Right now where it actually stands, that addition was get rid of and has not been brought back. So say you were actually visit the Myers house and retrace Michael's footsteps. As you're moving towards the back of the house, the back of the house would end sooner than it actually did in the movie. Because oh, okay. that addition was, was done away with and not brought back. Gotcha. The addition is there, but it's now a porch. So the house is physically shorter than it's supposed to. And when you go in, the living room is there. There's no dining room. There's just a couch strewn there. It's pretty inaccurate. I mean, this is DLC. I'm not going to harp on it too much. I mean, I am a stickler for this shit. It's cool you get to play in the Myers house and play as Michael Myers. And you do walk. Your movement speed is walking. But one of your perks is about your obsession. Like, one randomized player becomes your obsession. And there's perks where, like, you move faster when you target your obsession. Or if you a killer uh, a survivor got away, you have a perk where you could move faster to keep chasing them. You know, like, there's the playing with your food perk. Like mm. Michael Myers does, all the perks are influenced by that. But it's just, it's a solid game. I'm not big in the online multiplayer stuff. If they were to make it, more, I, I'm a bigger fan of Friday the Thirteenth, the game. That's the one that draws the most comparisons to because mm. it's a horror game. You know, if you're into online multiplayer deathmatch style stuff, and you got and you got some friends that you know will play with you, and so you don't have to sit in the fucking lobby for half an hour waiting for strangers to join your game. Mm. I say go for it. You know, the Halloween DLC is cool. They released Saw DLC. Nightmare on Elm Street DLC, Texas Chainsaw Massacre DLC, some of them got their own maps, some of them didn't. Leatherface didn't get his own map, but later they had one that was, like, based on it, like a like a farmland field, you know? Okay. So that's really all for Dead by Daylight. Lastly, it was teased, I saw on Twitter for the new Halloween, Halloween 2018, that... Someone early on had tweeted, will there be more information about the plot and everything? And they responded, yes, there will be a whole advertising campaign complete with yada, 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 games, I noticed, or a game. People's imaginations really immediately started to run wild. We're talking anywhere from like nine to ten months before the release of the movie. Okay. People thought they were going to get a full fucking Friday the 13th, the game style, Halloween game. Oh. Folks. Even I saw that wasn't coming. It's it, Unless they were keeping it a secret, and I have seen that happen before, where games were announced just months before they were released because they kept the lid on it. That didn't happen, and I didn't think it was going to happen. Right. Because as, as we now know, and this wasn't a thing back then, but the Friday the 13th lawsuit put the kibosh on any future content being released for the game. Mm. As, as a publisher, what is it? Ilphonic put it. I think that's them. Yes. Ilphonic put it, when you walk away from a project, you can't just walk back. Okay. You know, once you start something new, you got to finish it. You can't be bouncing between shit. That's why there's separate teams. Like, like a company can have multiple teams work on different games. That makes sense. But that same team isn't going to say, okay, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm working on this. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I'm working on this. Gotcha. You know, your team is dedicated to that. All that's there now is for Friday the 13th. The game was that they outsourced the maintenance of servers and the game, like just bug fixing and patches. But what we did get is a little another flash game called Escape Michael Myers. They advertise it as an 8-bit adventure. It's more 16-bit, if you ask me, where you play as Laurie Strode, and you are constantly on the run from Michael Myers. It's another point-and-click flash game, and you got to guide her past obstacles as Michael Myers chases her. Now, it starts out with her on her shooting range, and you have to target your mannequins, and you have a little bar that goes back and forth. With a little uh, sliding cursor, and you have to time it just right to to hit the mannequin. And the more you get, the smaller your little window gets. Until you get to Michael himself, where it's the smallest that's moving the fastest. That determines how many lives you start out with, up to five. So you can only take about not lives, your uh, hit points. You could only get hit five times. So what we have now is sort of a reverse of Back to the Future on NES, where in that one you had Marty constantly on the move, moving up the screen as the screen scrolls upwards, and you have to avoid obstacles and stuff. Yeah. This time, you're moving down the screen, and you have to avoid obstacles. You have to avoid mental patients. You have to avoid deer. You have to avoid cars. You have to avoid this, and Michael's constantly chasing you. You can only get hit five times, and as you transition from each scene, it, it tells you that you're going to a new level, but this happens so quickly, you won't even notice it. You could be up to – I got to level four, and I didn't even realize I was up to level four. Oh, wow. Because there's no actual break in the action. It is. And just like the Atari game, just like the other Flash game, your object is to get the best score you possibly can. And survive as long as you can, you know. Mm. So they advertise it as an eight bit style. It's more sixty It's definitely more sixteen bit style, but it's pretty cool. It has actual sound clips. Has actual music clips. It's neat as a little like time waster. It's like a little. It would be cool as a cell phone game, you know, instead of a flash game. So I don't think Flash works on Android. A lot of people don't use Flash anymore because of its security concerns. Gotcha. But that is all for Halloween games. <sighs> nice. Uh, last but not least, I would just like to. Give an update on one more thing. At the end of every episode, we like to say how you could watch Halloween on you know, certain media. Yes. There have been a few little updates here and there. Uh, Halloween has come to 4K Blu-ray, for any mm. of you that have it. Um, it's a two-disc set. Its first disc is the movie in 4K. The second disc is a blue, regular Blu-ray copy of the movie. The second disc is the 2007 Blu-ray release. Right. Complete with its extras. Um, the 4K release has the extras of the 35th anniversary, so you're getting the best of both words and worlds, and since neither of us, you have it.
1: Yeah, my friend uh, Tom from college, He, uh, I haven't seen him in a couple of months, and I haven't spoken to him, Like he, but I guess just going through like Facebook, like, oh, what things of uh, upcoming birthdays. He bought me that for my birthday, and is sending me out of the blue, and I'm just like, um, I text him, did you send me the Halloween 4K Blu-ray? He responds saying yes, and I'm like, well, I know we haven't seen each other in months, and he... he to, like I, I'm the blame for that because I've been so busy, but like I feel like once you update to 4K, this is something you're gonna want. So I thought that was very sweet, and I'm very thankful for that.
2: That's gonna be my first 4K release. So neither of us, you have it, but neither of us have a 4K TV or player. Or player. Uh, we don't have an HDR TV, so we can't tell you anything about. It. But Blu-ray.com, our, our one-stop source for Blu-ray reviews, mm-hmm. has said it is very comparable to the 35th anniversary version. It has apparently been redone, you know, gone over again, mm-hmm. but apparently they haven't had to do a whole hell of a lot, you know? Um, aside from that, Halloween's two, and there have been several, uh, steelbook re-releases of Halloween movies. Yes. Two that have come into particular Halloween two and three have actually very, very quietly been done from brand new 4k masters supervised by Dean Cundy. Mm. Uh, They're identical in content from the Shout Factory releases. The menus are the fucking same. The extras are the same. Yeah. But it has now been done in – mastered in 4K Mm -hmm. and compressed – and downsampled to 1080p. Mm -hmm. And fully remastered. I noticed that the picture has a little desaturated look to it. And this, I feel, can bring out kind of details, small, finer details that the oversaturation before – or desaturation we had before – Lost. Kind kind of drowned out a bit. So I think it kind of reels – I think it more reels things back in, but – it begs the question: Did we need another t- standard Blu-ray release? Because the sh- both the Shout Factory and Universal Blu-ray releases were pretty spectacular.
1: I guess it's just just for the steelbook market at yeah. that
2: point. But as of right now, the question you are all most likely asking: When does Halloween 2018 come out? Um, at first, Amazon had listed a uh, page for it with you know just your, your standard stock um, like pre-order placeholder page mm-hmm. but then best buy came out with a limited steelbook edition on january 15th 2019 that's their announced date amazon has updated theirs it will be released january 2015
0: 2019
2: okay however there is one streaming movie service what the hell is it called movie web movie something okay that is coming out with a digital copy of it that you can get through your Google Play account December 28th.
1: Oh, nice.
2: So, oh, Movies Anywhere is called. Okay. Yes, you can own um, December 28th, you can own a digital copy of Halloween on Movies Anywhere. Mm. For everyone else that wants a physical copy, you have to wait till January 15th,
0: 2019. Okay.
2: And that, my friends, concludes the fucking Halloween series.
1: Yeah, I mean, we covered a lot. Uh, we covered a lot.
2: I, I'm proud of this. Episode. I'm proud of this whole podcast, truthfully. This yes, is so am I. The last one, you know, we're doing for the time for the time being, mm-hmm. because what else is there? Yeah. I mean... We've covered everything very comprehensively.
1: Right, and too much, like, a lot of people have liked it, so I'm very thankful for the people who have um, reached out saying they enjoyed the show and everything, so I appreciate each and every one of you, so thank you for that.
0: Although
2: um, we've come... Uh-huh. To the end um, of the road, still yeah. I can't let go. It's unnatural. I belong to you. You belong to me. I belong to you. Oh. Sorry, I'm kind of sad now. I know, it's but like, like saying goodbye.
1: I know. I mean, I know people have suggested us. Tackling another horror series, so we may do that in the future. I'm not sure because I know, like, ugh. we'll see. We what is there we... that
2: we have this level of passion for and so, that we could go as deep with?
1: I have an idea. We'll toy with that, and we'll, we'll listeners will have to listen in to find out more about that. So uh, you'll have to, if we continue this, you'll find out very soon. So, Mike, I want to say thank you for on this Journey that we've gone on. This, for, the, it, this has
2: been fun, man.
1: This is what has been, and it's we chronicle. Like it's weird seeing our are year chronicled like on this podcast because of it.
2: Well, you know what? T- t- to truly close this all out, because this, as we know, they want to put out another sequel. Halloween will never truly end. No. If I may end this with a quote from John Carpenter, much like the killer himself, how the Halloween series never seems to die. So. Mm-hmm. With with more Halloween that arrives in the future, we will be back one day.
1: Yes, I but uh, if anybody I, I know you don't have any social media, so you don't have anything to plug there. But if you want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney Two, my Instagram at t Rooney Ten Twelve, my other podcast, Please Rewind at the RF Forum Russia Show, which you can find at rf dot com, along with the other shows and the Real Fans for Real Movies Network, and my YouTube page, Through the Lens Productions. And there might be some stuff coming that way very soon. But I want to say thank you, and we'll be talking to you soon.
2: Peace out, folks.